games, video 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 games. It's October 12th, 2012, and this cast is ruined. This is Idle Thumbs 78, the Ruination cast. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. And I'm Sean Vanneman. And we, in lieu of a regular podcast this week, we are releasing our ridiculous five-hour marathon Ruination cast, which we streamed live on Sunday on Twitch TV. Yep. For those of you who weren't following the Kickstarter campaign, we, we said one of the rewards for backing the Idle Thumbs podcast above a certain amount was that you would be able to contribute to the podcast by writing us uh, a subject to discuss. So if you notice the download for this episode is long, that's because we spent about five hours going through hundreds of... 180-ish. About 180. 174. Yep, 174 reader suggestions. Uh, And we originally said to ourselves, well, if we give these each about a minute, it'll take us three hours. And we obviously did not hold ourselves to that because it took five hours. It was really fun. We live streamed it out over Twitch. Um, But this is the recording that we actually put, uh, that we grabbed off the actual audio mixing board. That said. So this will sound, most of this will sound a lot better than the Twitch TV. If you were there for that, or if you watched the archive version, this is actually going through our microphones. However, there was a moment towards the end where we realized uh, our software had stopped recording, so we're missing a big chunk of of quality audio from that, which we will splice in yep. using the Twitch Probably TV like 10 version. to 20 minutes. Yeah, like. at most. At most, um, yeah. Also, at yeah, most. If, yeah, if you got this far and said, oh, F this, I just want to watch the stream, you can go to twitch.tv slash idle thumbs, and the whole, uh, the whole live stream with videos archived there. Um, anyway. Yeah. For your approval yeah. or disapproval. <laughs> yep. Idle Thumbs Ruination. We'll be back next week with a real cast. Video game. Yeah. Sorry about okay, that. there we go. Hello, Welcome. Now. Hi, guys. Welcome to the internet. Um, so we have all of your topics and they're in a list. Oh, one note on all this stuff. There are, how many are there total? 174. 174 people are helping us ruin this podcast, which means if we spend one minute on each of these we're going to be here for three hours and we we that's our so that's our ballpark estimate but it also means we're going to be kind of blasting through some of this shit some of these will be small and some of these will be a little longer so bear with us and hopefully you feel like you got your Um, money's worth (laughs) yeah some people yeah we also uh if you're watching this right now live you'll notice it doesn't sound like what it looks like (laughs) Yeah. yeah it looks like we're talking into our nice microphones uh, we're but in reality, we're talking into a webcam across the room. So uh, the, we, there will be an MP3 version of this later that hopefully sounds good. Um, this one is just what it is. So enjoy that. <laughs> so enjoy yep. this. Uh, you ready to go? Yeah, let's go. Chris, first one. Number one. All right. I guess I can't keep my iPad from turning off. Um, all right. So Glenn W. asks, what is the Mecha Goose? What is the Mecha Goose, Chris? <laughs> so Idle Thumbs, before it was a podcast, as some of you probably know, Idle Thumbs was a an editorial site on the internet that 
Um, Jake and I were involved in co-founding along with several guys from the UK, including James Spafford, uh, Merrick Bronstring, uh, Alex Ashby, uh, Ben Andak, bunch of, bunch of cool guys. And, um, Doug Tobacco, our web guy was involved still from the beginning. And, uh, the Mecha Goose was a crazy photoshopped thing that I think Spaff put together yeah. that combined robot parts and a goose. And that's it. Yeah, I think it was supposed to be the device that brought the British guys into town for E3 2005. Oh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's what the Mecha Goose is. This podcast yep. is on a goddamn roll already. <laughs> Thanks, Glenn. <laughs> Number two. Aaron Malone uh, writes, I want famous Vanneman to discuss his hatred of socks. It's not that I hate socks. It's that I don't think socks are... Socks have become perfunctory. You have an actual stance on socks. Yeah. Okay. No, I just don't think socks are perfunctory clothing. That's all I think. Okay. So I think sometimes... I'm not wearing socks today, for instance. Hmm. Why? What's the point? Don't need them. No chafing. Feet aren't sweating. It's nice and cool in San Francisco. Nice and cool in here. That's my stance on socks. Interesting. Okay. Uh, all right. <laughs> this is going to be a long podcast. James, James Spafford says Merrick Bronstring. Oh, Bronstring, Merrick Bronstring. Oh, guys. Left. Guys. Uh, more Thanks, Spaff. <laughs> Number four. Nolan says, do you have a favorite graphic novel or comic book? If so, what is it? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I would say probably my favorite is um, Preacher by... Um, it's actually the seventh. It is the seventh. My watch is off by a day. Thanks, Jake. It's October 7th, Jake bought a watch. You know what, guys? We're starting this over. I think we should start this over completely. Yeah, we're starting this over. What? Yeah, we got to start from the beginning. Every time we mess up, we have to go back to the beginning. Okay. That's part of the Ruination cast rules. All right. Yeah, yeah. So, Glenn asks... (laughs) No, uh, no, Preacher by Garth Ennis, I think, um, is probably my favorite comic series. I think it's awesome. Um, It's really cheesy, I think, a lot of the way through, and I think it's really, um, uh, like schlocky but it's probably my favorite comic series and do you guys ever read comics at all like i went through a phase. Yeah. yeah i went through a phase where i read a bunch of graphic novels i haven't really read very much superhero stuff but i've i read i went through a period where i read like sean do you know um or jake uh, jake you probably know the publishers like drawn and quarterly and fantagraphics yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i went yeah, through yeah. a period of several years where i read almost everything that drawn and quarterly published and like a few things fantagraphics did drawn and quarterly was my favorite publisher so almost anything they put out I ended up liking, which is a weird thing to be able to say about a publisher. Um, mm-hmm. But I just thought they had a really good uh, catalog. Um, so I liked guys like um, Seth was really, I, I liked a lot and uh, I'm forgetting so much of the stuff. It's been years. Um, oh, actually one thing I read that's more in the line of like what you just brought up is uh, from hell by Alan Moore. Yeah, it's great. Which I liked yeah, a lot. Yeah. I thought it was really excellent. Yeah. From um, hell's really good. Uh, 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 well, whatever. Anyway, that's enough. <laughs> I, I really like Transmetropolitan. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Super, Jake Super Trans- Transmetropolitan Trans- is my yeah. favorite thing yeah, because yeah. I enjoy that it's a fucked up weird story, but that has weird sci-fi stuff. That's fine. But I really like that its protagonist is a journalist mm-hmm. yeah. because I think that we don't have enough weird journalist protagonists. I think that they're the best. The best. Uh, Ross Cubbin writes... When you updated Godi.cx with a list of your favorite games of 2011, I was incredibly happy to see my favorite Deus Ex take the top. With Chris liking it, Sean not so much, and Jake, well, we can probably guess. I thought, <laughs> I thought it would make Fuck an off. interesting discussion topic. Any standout moments or stories you have to share? Also, will we see you at PAX this year? You well, did. You did. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe, You yeah. could have. Hope you did. So what was your standout moment from the new Deus Ex game, Jake? I'm playing it for a minute. <laughs> You thought the load screen was choice? Yeah, I... 
I played less Deus Ex than I would have liked, but there was one evening where me, Chris, Steve, and Nick Brecken were all playing at the same time and in Steam chat, which was like the night mm. after it first came out, and that was actually one of the more fun things yeah, in a while. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. But I didn't play into that game enough to actually like it. I mean, to experience enough of it to have an opinion on it. I did like what I played, but I just look at my Steam profile and be sad. You're going to be the one that has standout moments. I couldn't get into the game. Like, <laughs> I, can't, yeah. I can't remember a standout moment. I mean, in general... I really enjoyed my first playthrough of the game, uh, which I did as as non-lethal. And I mean, it, in general, it was just really fun to try and approach, other than boss fights, which were frustrating and didn't allow that. Um, other than that, it was just really fun trying to approach every scenario with the goal of not killing anybody. I mean, it, you know, it's and it says were you, you were successful in that. I was. Yeah, did you play through. Uh huh. I didn't kill. Other, did you ever accidentally do that and then go back? No, I never did. Did you die in attempting to not do it? Um, maybe, but it's hard to say how that would have changed from just dying in normal fashion. Right. Um, the one thing I will say is that until I completed the game, I didn't know if I had actually stuck to it or not. Right. Because there were times where I'm like, I don't think I killed that guy, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm not really sure. Uh, and so when I got to the end of the game and the little achievement popped up for the non-lethal playthrough, I was incredibly relieved because like, there's no counter or anything in the game itself. Right. It's so, you know, so that was, so that was cool. Um, Mike Carey says, discuss the merits of an idle thumbs song featuring Jake Rodkin as Mr. Babu bird noise. The, the merits? The merits. I yeah. think you've, you've left off two key letters, which is demerits. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, hmm. There haven't, there has been a dearth of idle thumb songs, Chris. That's true. Just, you're just going to own up to that 100%. Just, that's, that is a factual Well, it's accurate. Yeah. I don't know what else to say about it. Um, I mean, I, I, we've, I've had so much stuff I've had to spend time on, especially with, you know, with Idle Thumbs and other stuff. Like, I just haven't had time for the... Uh, Do people know what game you're writing music for right now? Um, I'm Do you want people for, to know? Uh, yeah, that's fine. I'm, well, I don't know if it's been announced, but... Yeah, go for Royal it. Nation <laughs> cast exclusive. I'm writing music for Steve's game, Gone Home, uh, which has been really cool. Steve Gaynor, Hot Scoops, our friend, uh, is making a game called Gone Home, which I think he's talked about on the cast. Yeah, he has, uh, the PAX cast. And uh, it's really cool. It's set in a house. There's no combat. It's exploratory, a lot of really interesting narrative. And I've been working on the music for it for the IGF build, which is going out, um, which I, they're submitting quite soon. So if you're, an, if you're an IGF judge, you'll be able to play Steve's game and see my music in it. Uh, anyway. Awesome. Yep. What uh, number are we on? Who's keeping track at home? You were counting, but I don't know. I think we're on There's seven. No numbers on this. Um, seven or eight. Grumbeld writes, Idle Thumbs Con, when will it be? Mm. 2015, year of the PS3. That was number seven. You're year right. of the Idle yeah. Thumbs Con. <laughs> You're calling it right now? 2015, Thumbs Con 2012. We're naming it after this year in memory of our Kickstarter campaign. It would be rad to do an event, for what it's worth. Yeah. We think that's yeah, really we cool. we think it would be cool. We think it's fucking cool. We talk about the... If every if nobody had anything else to do, what would we do? That's kind of a long-standing conversation we have amongst and ourselves. We've, so. we've been batting around ideas, but they're all things that are very vague right now. Yeah. And, you know, who but knows? I also think anything we did that was like I can't imagine us doing a con, but I can't imagine us doing an event. If that makes sense, you know what I mean? I can imagine just like pulling a con. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We would take the money that people <laughs> take people bought tickets for for well, the con. Idle Thumbs has been a long con, if that's what you mean. I mean. This, this yeah, you are experiencing Idle Thumbs Con right now. Yeah. yeah. I think that's what I we're mean, trying to get we're at. We're not actually sending out any of those goods. 
You mean any of these goods? Any of these <laughs> fine any of these Kickstarter goods? wares? What a nice seg. Look at this. Look at this wizard print. Look at this. Look at this, look at this soft, t-shirt. artisanal, handmade t-shirt. Look at this space asshole. <laughs> For those who are not watching the stream, I'm showing people my space asshole. Thanks. Who was num- that? Uh, that was Grumbeld. So number eight, number eight, Adam Connolly. As older gamers, we're experiencing, we've experienced so many great moments and innovations in gaming. I have clear memories of being almost overwhelmed by the scale of WoW, being amazed at the early Sim and Civ games, marveling at the feeling of being in a real place playing Quake with 3D environments. Do you think those moments are over for us gamers? Mm. It seems like everything to come will be incremental upgrades and that whole new concepts will become more and more rare. Are the best moments of gaming behind us? Wow. Before we answer that amazing question, yeah. I'm going to give you a stream note, which is since we're talking into the webcam, don't hold your iPad up between your face and the webcam when you're reading. Ah, you're right. Hi, guys. Anyway, we're just talking about what's going on because it's a stream. Anyway. I've got to do the, the Sophie's choice of whether to talk into yes. this microphone or the webcam. Just yeah. split the difference and make the whole thing sound bad. Right. Yeah. Um, just mumble the whole thing. Yeah, just mumble it. So um, are the best moments of gaming behind us based on... It's so funny looking. This is this is truly fucking ruined for what it's worth. Like every time like eyes go like squint and look at the computer screen to read the chat, I'm like... <laughs> No one Just cares. Talking to, you know, I'm talking to you guys. So are the best moments of gaming behind <laughs> us? I, I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. But I, I do agree. I like all the moments he pointed out. I'm, I remember like it was yesterday, my first 10 minutes in World of Warcraft. And I was just flabbergasted. Completely flabbergasted. So um, I really hope I get a feel like that again playing a video game. I think that what's more likely to happen is that the best moments will go less from being technological watersheds to being just moments of extreme impact for one reason or another, be they, you know, systems emer- emerging or be they just really interesting dramatic moments or whatever. I mean, I, you know, I think, I think if you look at, uh, other media like music or film or whatever, the, you know, the first time somebody heard, I mean, music existed before recorded media. So the first time someone heard like Mary had a little lamb recorded on Edison's wax cylinder, that was amazing. And like, we'll, pro- no, we'll probably never have another moment that is that seminal in the history of like the advancement of musical technology in terms of just fundamental in- advancement. But that doesn't mean that wonderful musical moments don't occur all the time. Like those. Right. Gaming has probably passed its, we're surprised that a train drives out of a screen. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. Moments of fidelity based wonder are maybe gone. But right. Rift is coming out. Oculus, Oculus Rift will Rift. change everything. That's true. Everything will saying. be changed pretty soon. Let's keep a let's imagine keep playing, all cards on the table. If you could play Super Hexagon with an Oculus Rift, I think you're, that would be a, a watershed moment in gaming. True. Mostly because it would destroy your brains. That sorry, destroy your brains. I like the way you put that. It would Fucking, destroy your brain. It would. It would. It would. Zombie. Just yes. Destroy your brains. I would get I would I would play Super Hexagon in an Oculus Rift. Oh my god. Uh, as long as my mind I would, I could, would could actually spin the thing around. That would be so good. That would <laughs> as long be as your mind in, in a sensory around, in a sensory deprivation this? tank. Yeah, as long as there's just a node plugged into my brain that can spin the little triangle around. It would oh, basically makes me barf to think about. Few things are more actual like gross cyberpunk reality than imagining those two things combining <laughs> and then just you walk into a cafe and there are 15 people all just sitting still with like a slowly cooling coffee in front of them because they're all jacked into Super Hexagon and their Oculus Rifts. Right. That's the first idle thumbs event. <laughs> yeah. Calling it right now. Oh, gross. 
also the the notion of like just the speed at which you can think of things like just the if you got distracted and suddenly the the, the hexagon is just flipping out all over the place oh my god a million barbs a million barbs the, the plural of barf barb it might be <laughs> i think that sounds a million good. barbs is the actual name of this episode of the ruination cast so john funkhauser this is number nine i think uh says tinker taylor soldier spy super fucking badass movie next uh, Erky Lindpair says, uh, "Do I have to?" Okay, what's your favorite word? Ooh, mm. I have a fa- favorite words. It's two words. What? Video games. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> Casey Griggs writes. Oh, this is a ten or eleven. Oh, we're always in. I don't know. Casey Griggs oh. writes, "I ideas for a game jam theme." Hmm. Oh, there's this cool Twitter account, Peter Molodu, and he posts tweets, and you, what if you made games based God, on that? God, I thought you were about to say there's a cool Twitter account, IGN.com. <laughs> well, there you go. That's an idea. Yeah, make it. That's actually not a horror. A yeah, game jam themed around IGN review superlatives disconnected entirely from the games which they're reviewing. Yeah. Right. It'll bl- <laughs> Your brain will explode. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, you're right. That's, that's basically just a game jam that says do whatever you want. But yeah, <laughs> but all the games will just be fucking extreme that's or true. probably trying for really intense poignancy that then yeah. would have an ironic quote attached. Like, backport your game to an existing super laudatory review blurb so that it fades up in the – like, you give people the laurel leaf template uh, that they have to type their review quote into and every game has to fade that up first. Right. I would go to that game jam and play yeah. all those. Put Make that. Auto Thumbs Event 2. <laughs> Talk about Thief. Oh, I didn't say who asked this to <laughs> That's the guy's name. Talk about Thief asks. That was number 12. Or this is number 12. Okay. You still haven't said the guy's name. name. What are you doing? Oh, I can't pronounce that guy's name. So he just not. Oh, I'll do it. No, you do. His okay. name is Anders Hansen. Oh, no. It's impossible. Oh, Anders Hansen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anders um, Hansen asks that we talk about Thief. Talk about Thief. Uh, thief is an amazing game. Thief was a first-person first stealth game that... Uh, irrational. I'm sorry. Looking Glass Technologies released in 1998. I think um, the the like most incredible year of gaming that's ever occurred. Yep. 1998. Yeah. Uh, Thief was really hard for me. I remember Thief being. Game. I remember Thief being incredibly hard for me. Thief and Deus Ex both crushed my face when I tried to play them. Right. Hey, look at that. You're making the chat bigger. Yeah. I am because I can't see. Sorry. Jake needs to get glasses. The only thing is, I was hoping to be able to see the uh, the preview as well. Oh, we don't need to see the preview. I don't want to. I don't want to look at that. <laughs> All right, um, Thief's amazing. Thief was Thief was one of the games that made me think about games critically for the first time because I was trying to figure out like what kind of game it was, and mm-hmm. it like overlapped several kinds, right. and that was surprising. That was really hard for me when I was that age. Like when I was like thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, it was really, really tough for me. Yeah, yeah. it is a hard game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still it's still a hard game. Yeah. Uh, David Turner writes. Right, this is long. I would love to hear Chris delve into how he's recorded things in the past. It was New Year's resolution for me to record some songs by the end of the year. A coworker suggested I pick up an M. Okay, well, he's asking about recording. Okay, so <laughs> um, the the way that I recorded before was dumb and not worth explaining. So what we have in the office now is much better, and I will explain that. So we have a uh, <clears throat> eight track FireWire audio interface by Mark of the Unicorn. Fortunately, it's by that's, Mark of the Unicorn. That's the name of the Let's company. all just. Enjoy that. Enjoy that. Um, so it's an eight-track firewire that goes into the Mac we have here in the office, 
and uh, we are running three um, fours. These are Behringer C1 condenser microphones uh, that are supplied phantom power by the Motu, and we're running that all into Logic Pro on the Mac. Um, my own recording for my own personal stuff is just whatever's there. Like, I'm not a good engineer at all. So when I will be recording anything for Idle Thumbs, um, when I record an acoustic guitar, I have an acoustic, a pickup on my acoustic guitar. So I just plug that right into the Motu. In fact, I have it hooked up right now. Um, just going into an input. And then, uh, for vocals, I've just used, these are the same mics we used before, actually. Yeah. These have not been changed. So these are the, the same. Whenever I recorded my voice, I was recording into these in the past. Yep. We're actually pretty pleased with the recording setup we have. One of the biggest yeah. things we wanted to do with the Kickstarter campaign was get a proper mixing setup that gave us unique channels per microphone and let us plug guitars in and let us do all this other shit. Uh, because we used to run everything through one board, which meant that if anyone's mic blew up or if any of the levels were weird, we were just fucked and the recording yeah. was horrible. So... It's actually really sick. Yeah. Like we feel it's a kind real of spoiled. Setup now, yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty rad. Um, also, I'm just gonna point out, you can't read anything. It's so it's so stressful yeah. to watch you squint like an old man. Jake has needed glasses for a long <laughs> I time. Need and he refuses. It to says barbs. It says plural no, no, of dwarf no. equals dwarves. Oh yeah, the plural of dwarf equals dwarves. So the plural of barf is barves. But uh, hilarious cow Aubrey, uh, who Aubrey Hasselgren, yeah. yeah. Was talking about how he's he said he was planning on porting Proteus to the Oculus Rift, but Super Hexagon also sprang to mind. Proteus, awesome. I would actually play yeah, Proteus awesome. in an Oculus Rift in awesome, a second. Yeah. That'd be fucking fun. That would look like the nineties. Yeah, that like yeah, roaming around it's a the pixel art, art style. That's the, yeah, like that's, that. that's that's the virtual space that you fall into is pixel art, pastoral greenscape. But if you were playing Proteus in an Oculus Rift and then the sky just tore open and Super Hexagon took over halfway through, then you would be fully in the goddamn nineties. <laughs> Yes, accurate. Yeah. All right. So uh, uh, Michael Kilpack writes, um, a development team is tasked with creating a biographical video of your life. Who should make it? What genre it would be? And if applicable, what would the first boss battle be like? Oof. First boss battle being born. Thumbs collectively or like individual? (laughs) 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 What? (laughs) And who develops that? Jake? Uh, pfft. who develops that? I don't know. Epic. Epic? <laughs> it's Cliffy B's new project, actually. He's yeah. left Epic uh, to yeah. pursue your life story, one of the three of us, the video game. What's the first boss battle, Chris? It's going to be hard to top being born. Yeah. Yeah. Busting out? Like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the first... <laughs> uh, Okay, that was yeah. I think you that had to that one. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> what are we doing here? Okay, We're still back. Here we go. Laptop was computer. Martin Peace asks if you could be a tree, would your pine cones roll down a hill like the like a grenade in Far Cry Two? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Of I course. mean, what else? Yeah, what yes. else? What yeah, else? Yeah. Are gonna All right, do? Ben. Physics. Ben says, design a Waluigi video game. Is Waluigi as a character a comment on class war or on creating fiction? <laughs> what? Why does Waluigi hate Mario? Does he hate him at all? Wah. Love CPO on the forums, XXX. I don't know if Waluigi has any feelings towards Mario. I imagine Waluigi, really, his strongest feelings would be towards Luigi. Yeah. Yeah. Also, yeah. His, he strongly believes Waluigi is number one. Oh, yeah. He's, so he probably does have beef with I Mario I feel like then. he's going to win. Because Mario might a bit be of the number one party star. What? Yeah. Mario's an egomaniac. I always wanted them to make a crazy 
Waluigi game that was just like a psychedelic nightmare. Like yeah. just where Waluigi is like a crazy puppet master and you're just con- like it would probably largely be on rails. But like you're just going through this crazy like fucked up haunted house that is Waluigi's domain. Like that's I always wanted that to <laughs> Wait, exist. you want a Waluigi game where you are Waluigi or where Waluigi is no, in no, no. control? Well, where Waluigi's in control. So if Luigi's Mansion like 4 is actually Waluigi's Mansion where Waluigi right. has built the ultimate <laughs> yeah. Uh, like this is his masterminded plan for all these years has been to put Luigi through this just horrible yeah. nightmare dreamscape. Yeah, I would also like a game where you play as Waluigi. Yeah, because I think that would be fine as well. Uh-huh. Because he's Wal- Waluigi is the best. Also more likely to exist than the game that I propose. I, well, maybe it's both. Oh man, that's actually better. If Waluigi is in if you're, well, what a if you're nightmare playing of his own making, yeah. Well, no. What if it's oh, that's actually the best? But I was going to say if it's Walu- if it's the flip side of Luigi's Mansion is that it's like it's Dungeon Keeper, but you are Waluigi building this crazy haunted house that then an AI Luigi or like evil genius. Well, that's the twist. Is that after you build that thing, then you as Waluigi have to have to go through it. You thought you were building it for Luigi. Turns out it was a, a not. It turns game. out Waluigi is actually just Luigi's Tyler Durden. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Waluigi yes. isn't fucking right. real. You make this whole you make this whole thing explicitly for Luigi, and then and you then wake suddenly, up and you are Luigi. Yeah. Oh my Waluigi's god. Waluigi's Mansion. You are Luigi. We've done it. Thanks, Nintendo. Um, I mean uh, us. <laughs> Joel McCoy as well. Like fifteen, sixteen, thirty-eight studios slash big huge games. MMO celebrity money hole drags Rise of Nations devs into the cold earth. Thoughts? Well, it sucks. They're gone now. It fucking yeah, sucks. Yeah, it sucks a lot. Yeah, uh, suck. and I feel like everybody thinks they know more about the situation than they do. I think. I think there's actually there's. It seems like it's very contentious. I'm sure it's a crazy, complicated. It sounds fucking fuck. horrible. Yeah, I, I do know that Kurt the, Schilling's bloody sock is bank collateral for yeah. <laughs> like a lot of financial shit that's going on right now. I mean, I think the thing that is obvious though is that it was not managed very well, and it's gone right. now. Well, I mean, you've always made a good point that if like you're setting out to make like it is. What did you say? It's, Utterly reckless to ma- try to make a large scale MMO like that. Yeah, to try to make a AAA fantasy MMO is is a fairly it's irresponsible a thing to do at this point. I think like yeah. we're going to go up against World of Warcraft. I mean, World of Warcraft is even declining right now in terms of total user. Like it's just pandas. You know, it's well got those pandas. Not no one can hear what you're saying. That. I said pandas, pandas got those not pandas. As well as they, <laughs> no, as people expected. Anyway, weird. Um, uh, um, a, a full actual expansion pack based on an April Fool's joke is not hitting the numbers the way that people thought that it would. It's Tom Clyward says Monty Python. That's true, Monty Python. I actually have something to say about this. You have something to say about Monty Python? I do, in the context of Idle Thumbs. Um, <laughs> when we were doing <laughs> when we were doing the original run of Idle Thumbs, um, when it was uh, uh, Jake and and Nick and me, um, I was I about halfway through that run. I was watching a lot of Monty Python's Flying Circus on Netflix because they had the whole run up on there. And I started getting extremely influenced by all of the crazy structural shit they did on that show. Like just nutso things like starting the show with the ending credits like after five seconds of sketch or like looping things forever in weird ways that make you think something was wrong with what you were watching. Like they started just doing – as they made more and more of that show, they started getting more and more extreme and what – in the crazy formal experimental experimentation they were trying. And that absolutely, like in retrospect, seeped into my editing of Idle Thumbs. It's really funny. That, like, Okay, I'm actually going to keep talking about this for a second too, which is going to just blow – like all of our answers are way longer than we thought they were. We're fucked yeah. on this Ruination <laughs> cast. But that rem- it's funny to hear Monty Python as a legitimate influence because the thing that I often think about when I think about Idle Thumbs and what it means to me is like – 
I think of Hunter S. Thompson's style mm, yeah, Gonzo right. journalism stuff. Yeah. And it's funny that we're like Monty Python, Hunter S. Thompson. Like those are just <laughs> those are the things that everyone always cites as just b- bullshit, stomped on, tropey crap that someone who makes a funny thing in college thinks yeah. is good. And it's it's frustrating to me because I I don't know how to talk about that in a in a way that makes any sense. But I mean, I definitely if you listen to old idol like. Mid mid uh, I don't know what the word is. Mid run idle thumbs. I can't remember what episode numbers these would be, but like stuff like the, uh, I mean the the salacious crumb episode, salacious thumb episode was the most extreme. That was less Monty Pythonish, but like, see, I can't even remember anymore. But I just remember doing a lot of weird things where I was messing around with editing and putting things in weird orders and like just trying more extreme stuff. And I think eventually I kind of went overboard. Like at times, but like, yeah, Money Python was actually a really direct influence on that stuff, which is really weird. Um, okay. Um, video game baby. Michael, right. Video game baby was ridiculous. Michael Clamorous writes, what was the last game you played where you were really impressed by the story? Mm. I really like what you guys are doing with uh, Walking Dead. Oh, thanks. And Steve's game. I mean, like that doesn't, yeah. I don't know if that counts because it's not mm-hmm. out yet, but. Oh, like, I mean, it's, it's. God, but I played it. Like yeah. the 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 honestly, the writing Steve's doing in that. You, have, you guys have played it, right? Bits and pieces. I really have yeah, been so right. wrapped up that I haven't really played it. It's but so, I have the new build. It's really well written. It's really impressive. Like it just operates in a sphere that just no game, no other game I've ever played is about the things that game is about, which is impressive. Like that's a ballsy thing yeah. for so, someone to. So buy the off. two games that you're citing are Steve's game. No, no, and that's game? why I'm like oh. I'm like sitting here also, crunching 30, through games. No, 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 I almost said that too. You son of a bitch. Seriously. Uh, there's an uh, there's got to be an answer to this that isn't isn't a douche that doesn't make you a douche. Uh, I want to spend time thinking about this. He, this the question deserves it, and the reader deserves it. Um, uh, you no, Chris. Oh, okay. Um, great writing or story. It was the story, right? That was we're horrible people because everything that comes up is like oh i really like it's just something we've already talked about i mean the ones that are obvious is like i still was like really really like ensorcelled by the story in bioshock like it's still i still is as big as that game got and is as recited inside inside as that game is i would that thing had me that thing had me and I, I blew through it in two sessions maybe um you know, and it was completely for the story. I didn't give a shit about the combat or the systems. I think it's one that we talk about a lot, but I thought Bastion did a really good job of having story oh, stuff yeah, woven yeah, in. Yeah. That's an awesome. The thing that I like about the story stuff in Bastion is how integrated it is to the gameplay experience. And I thought they made some really brilliant choices about how to get that story out without it being beat a level right cutscene yeah yep. i thought that stuff was awesome yeah the way that it like there were those moments like when you when you complete a level and go back to the hub and the story yeah. would come in but it always felt like it was this full like you didn't notice that it was happening because the same yeah. stuff was going on inside of the game i thought that was really cool yeah yeah, yeah. and also, i think greg is having like a tremendously good a yeah, tremendous that writer guy's, that guy's solid um also a game that is just came out on ipad and i think iphone as well maybe i'm not sure um the last express by jordan mechner which mm-hmm is the narrative stuff in that game is fantastic. It's one of the very few games to uh, experiment with um, not with uh, kind of real-time stuff on a time scale going on in an adventure game context. Um, the whole game's on a timer, and so things are happening. Last Express? In The Last Express, yeah. Things are happening 
at a certain point in the game, whether or not you're there to see them happen, which is really, really cool. Um, it's got, you know, it makes it a little weird to play, but it's, it's totally worth playing. It's on PC. You can get it on GOG.com. Yep. And it's also on Oh, iPad. PCDL? It's PCDL. Wink. Oh, Wink. Someone suggested that we do a Last Express Saturday stream, which would be, oh, yeah. that would be fun. Yeah, that'd be weird because that would basically be a Let's Play. That would be yeah, very it would be, different. It, it would be a Saturday Let's Play, stream. but I think it would be kind of cool to do. Yeah. Um, Dogby asks, what is your personal favorite game anecdote? A game anecdote is an awesome thing that happens in a game that you remember for all time. Um, because of marketers, you might know it now as emergent gameplay. I don't know if marketers call it a marketing I think term. that because of game designers and yeah. dorks on the internet, you know it as that. I think marketers hate that phrase yeah. and would never put it anywhere. No, they would never put that on <laughs> a box. I think a marketer is fucking scared of that phrase because yeah. it means be afraid of the game doing not a prescribed thing. Yeah. Um, this is maybe a weak example. I don't know. But for me, one of the things that still sticks out as just crazy moment that happened in a game was the first time that I played Little Big Planet 1 on multiplayer, like, which is not probably the sort of thing that you guys would talk about. But that is always totally like it's burned into my brain. It was you and me, Chris, and two random guys on the internet. And it was just four of us with through complete nonverbal communication, just through like little hand gestures and guys walking around finding ourselves in a level where we had to swing across four huge vines as a collection of four guys. And the feeling of crazy teamwork <laughs> yeah. and camaraderie and just like all of us were best buds, but none of us actually knew who the other person was. But we managed to accomplish this thing where four little sack boys grabbed onto each other's legs and arms and swung. And then everyone jumped off at the exact same time and everyone grabbed onto the thing or like someone would just barely grab a foot and... We'd spent like a half hour just trying to get across four stupid little swingy foam things. Then finally accomplishing that was like, that was a crazy amazing moment for me, it, which is weird because it's four faceless burlap sacks in a multiplayer PS3 platform. But they're also but, like every, it feels like there's two like main like systems that are like thrusting towards that, in, yeah. towards that moment in that game. And it's obviously the, the level editor and the world design, mm-hmm. but also just the character animation and the systemic like the, yeah, the character the, the physics, little, the little bit every aspect of the character physics is about where we sort of develop a little thing so where everyone can just good. sort of go, okay, where you can hit the triggers and it makes your arms move. So we all sort of were saying, okay, one, two, three, no, no, no. And then it's like, no, 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 don't go on three, go on one, two, three now. But like having to communicate all that just by right. like waving guys and like frowny, sad face and like, oh man, oh, that stuff is so good. That was, that was a crazy just thing that is in a game. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so do you want to talk about other ones of those or do you want to just move on? Uh, I can't think of one now, so I don't want to just sit around yeah. thinking. Okay. Um, so Sean Tawney says Jay Allard. Hmm. Oh yeah. You mean Jay Allard CFO office dog? Yep. <laughs> Matt writes uninformed player choice slash player agency. I'll email an example of what I mean to questions that I will thumbs down now. Well, too bad. Matt. <laughs> oh, God. Well, uninformed. You done fucked what up. was it again? <laughs> Whoa. He probably did. <laughs> We well, I mean, I just like, we we're not going to go up. cross. What do you mean yeah. we fucked up? We told people what this was. You put in the thing and we talk about it. I'm willing to blame myself. Yeah, I'll take the blame on that, man. What was the, what was it again? Uninformed player choice slash player agency. I wish, yeah. An exa- oh, I mean, actually, I can't talk about something. Like, I don't know if this is what he means, but I have something to talk about. Um, <laughs> okay. No, I have something to talk about episode one of The Walking Dead. Right, go ahead. So. Uh, Which might not be what he's referring to, but it's your interpretation of it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, whatever. We're, I want to give the guy his due, especially if we didn't get to his question. Um, so originally, the structure of the of the first episode of The Walking Dead was as shipped, but there was some internal turmoil about the choice, like choice being really heavily featured in the game, and people wanted that front loaded. So we decided to do sort of a 
like to basically take the end choice of the game where you choose between like you choose between saving one person or saving another and put it at the front of the game. It was the first thing you did. It was um, yeah. Episode one got turned into a frame story for a little bit, right? And so when Kenny, so when you're running out of at the very end of the episode, when you're running out of the uh, the drugstore with Clementine and Larry throws up in the door and punches you in the face, that on that punch you were supposed to go back in time three days, and uh, it wasn't working, <laughs> and it was in there for far too long. So we ended up putting it back the way. Uh, we had it, but it was basically because it was uninformed player choice. I thought it was choose between these two people. No everybody on contextualize sc- anything. Yeah, everybody yeah. on screen knows each other, and you don't know any of them. Yep. So make a choice, and the choice didn't matter at all. Uh, just an anecdote. I don't know if that gets to the point of what you were or the point you were probably making in your email if you sent it. And I'm sure you did. But anyway, anyway, thanks, Matt. Sorry. Mike Mariano says, "What will the upcoming Thief Four need for it to feel like Thief? What do you want added?" I don't have a strong opinion about this. I mean, I, I think those guys did a really good job with Deus Ex Human Revolution, making it feel like Deus Ex in the ways that I think matter. And I think it's less about it needing a bunch of specific things and more just about it holistically uh, retaining the feel. Like, in other words, there are any number of things they could probably take out or add, and it would still be fine regardless of which specific things those were, as long as in aggregate, when you play it, you still you still get I mean it's it's a hard thing to define because I don't want to like start defining individual components right. that they shouldn't shouldn't have you know but like I do trust those guys having done uh, having done um, the sex human revolution to do a good job with you four. Mm-hmm. Jake's cool. doing something. I'm ruining here. the game. Um, the next thing. So where are we actually? Um, Asif Khan says journalists cheering during E3. Journalists cheering during E3. Does that happen? Oh, yeah. yeah it's a, press conference. It's, time, it's yeah. a thing that bums me out, but I also feel like you have to just, like, whatever. Journalists are going to cheer during E3. Journalists cheer during Apple press conferences. Journalists cheer at Google I.O. Tech press is tech fans. I wish that that line was more clean than it was, and there wasn't crazy cheering when someone announces their sales numbers at an event that you're supposed to be reporting on as a journalist, but it's just... Getting grumpy about it isn't going to make it not happen. I feel like no, but that doesn't mean you don't have an opinion on it. Sure, I mean, my I'm opinion not, I'm not crazy about my it. opinion on it is I wish that people could separate that stuff. Your better. opinion is probably I mean cheering at, at that is symptomatic. It's not like that's not the problem, right? I mean that's kind of it's just something that bum, bums you out. But that 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 rabbit hole goes deeper. Yeah, it goes. <laughs> that's true. It is it is yeah. like being so personally invested in the success of a particular corporation that you are like just fully bought into all of their spin that they're announcing on a thing. Like, I think that's not good for a journalist to be in that mentality. Yeah, It's, it's frustrating to think about the fact that you could be at one of those events covering something. And the fact that you are looking displeased at the events or looking completely passively at what's happening means that you'll get scowled at by other reporters who are there who are excited about that. Like, you know, that's, that's, yeah, the, the the intermeshed nature of being a cheerleader for a company and also being a, a tech writer of any kind is frustrating. But yeah, it's what happens, I guess. I think it. I think it happens less outside tech, though. Yeah, no, it's it's all mm-hmm. it's all it's mm-hmm. all tech. Uh, it depends. In, like the, if a film if a film studio held a press conference about its financial results, I think it would or like or some kind of conference in which financial results were part of what they were sharing, I think you wouldn't find a bunch of film journalists cheering about it. If it's a thing where they're also announcing their upcoming production slate, you would probably hear applause. Maybe. You might hear applause. I don't think you'd hear cheering. 
I mean, it, I'm, I'm totally speculating on that, but I don't think the way that that stuff tends to be presented tends to encourage. That's fair, but I think that like tech press has its own issues, which are people applaud at press events. Film press has its own heinous other bullshit where you go to a junket and an actress shows up and then everyone just asks bullshit questions about their clothes and their diet or like people just ask Robert Downey Jr. about his stupid like that's right. That's, I think that's a, that's slightly different in the sense that that might just be what their audience really wants. Sure. For a particular press. I mean, but for a particular that's saying journalist. that tech journalists are not writing for an audience who just wants to hear exact like exuberant coverage of what Apple has announced, which I think is why those people exist. Those are feeding their exact readers. I think there's a one to one like it's not those people. I think people who. But when Go. you read most most actual write-ups of game industry press conferences, they actually are pretty bland and nothing. Like, they tend to be... That's true. That's weird. We're probably talking about this too much. <laughs> no, that was... Uh, look at that natural tension that just happened right there. That was amazing. Gross. Uh, Daniel Herrera asks... Hey, it's Daniel. Hey, Daniel. Says, hey. you've traveled also, back... Um, uh? I just want to... I, there's something that someone in chat says that I totally agree with. Um, it is... Uh, how do y'all says... Stay away from the buzz and stop being controlled by it, and you can still keep enthusiasm and originality, which I think is totally true. That is true. Yep. Um, that's really well said. Daniel Herrera says, You've traveled back in time and are allowed to bring any one video game with appropriate console or PC or hardware to play it to, your, to let your 15-year-old self play. What game do you choose? Ooh. What game do you drop on your 15-year-old self? Hmm. Ooh. What was I playing when I was 15? I can't even remember. Well, probably the uh, stuff that you were just mentioning, Thief and Half-Life and stuff like that. Wasn't yeah, that all 1998, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. When I was 15, oh. I was playing Full Throttle. Yeah, same here. I was definitely playing Full Throttle. You, were, you weren't 15. No, 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 but I was playing Full Throttle when you were, when you were 15. So yeah. I was playing like when I was 11, 12, yeah. Um, um, I don't know. That's a good question. That was a really good question. The stuff I was playing is really different than the stuff yeah, I'm I playing think, now. Yeah, I think my 15-year-old self would probably actually honestly respond most strongly to just something with crazy graphics combined with emergent shit. I would probably end up dropping... I think... Like, oh, I know what it is. If I, if I threw Crisis at myself when I was 15, I would probably <laughs> shit my pants because yeah. I was playing a lot of first-person stuff at that point yeah. and also just had no way of fathoming what mm -hmm. art would look like. But at the same time, I, yeah, I have no idea what I would actually... like. Half-Life 2 would probably make me shit my fucking pants. Like a Half-Life yeah, 2 episode too, probably, or Portal, yeah. one of those games. would Portal is a good one. Portal would fucking crush me, actually, yeah. because Maybe I loved adventure game stuff. I love yeah. narrative and comedy stuff, and also I liked first-person stuff. So if I threw Portal or Portal 2 at myself in 1995 and said, this is what a video game is going to be like when you're an adult, I would say, thank fucking Christ, that's what video games are like. Also, I wish I was old. I want, And then I would go find a fortune-telling machine and tell it that I wanted to be big, and I would turn into Tom Hanks. Okay. And I would play Portal 2, and it would be awesome. Oh, just like just like in Big? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would use a giant keyboard, <laughs> piano-keyboard interface to play Portal well, 2. Well, what you don't know, actually, is that keyboard that he's dancing on is actually just pointed at a connect. <laughs> yeah. That's they don't show you that's that. That's a plot point that's, yeah. At this, in this version of Big, when I grow up and become an adult, I also travel in time into the future, <laughs> which did not happen in that film, um, but it's different in mine. Okay. Good question. Uh, MC Wilson writes... Where's the best place to get breakfast in the Bay Area? Ooh, there are a lot of a lot of favies. There's a lot of things that people like. Dotties is is JP says that yeah, I, I corrected myself. Sorry. JP pointed out I'd just be old in the nineties. Please. <laughs> this is big too. This time there's time travel in it. Um best food. Breakfast. Um yeah, people really like Dotties. Uh, I've only been there once. Um 
Uh, gosh, I don't go out to Kate's breakfast Kitchen a lot. and the hate is good. Yeah. Oh, um, oh, Brenda's is so good. Brenda's is where you want to go. It's like Cajun brunch or in that? the Tenderloin hmm. or kind of like a little Saigon area there. Right, yeah. right by Saigon Sandwiches, actually. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brenda's is super good. Cool. Yeah, and they, they just expanded, so it's easier to sit there now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's go to Brenda's after this. Uh, Desro says, Jake, talk about some classic Macintosh games. Uh, go play Dark Castle. All right. <laughs> Jesse Cobra he, says. He just named one. He didn't talk about it. Why? We got to have some of these be short. We, yeah. like, okay, we're, we'll go on. Is it, well, we should have a number because I, I, I realized that we could use the episode counter. I could just click forward an episode to number. Until how, we get to until we just get to 75. We and then roll use, over. We need to use three moves ahead episodes because they actually have a back catalog. They have more of than 180. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Still going to just keep clicking through episodes. Oh, so we actually are. You can play Deja Vu. Right no, I'm just clicking um, for fun. Oh, just for yourself? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. okay. Nice. You're just looking at them? Oh, you see, we got there in the little window. Yeah, it's there. Don't worry. Pathways into Darkness. Sorry, JP is correct. Play fucking Pathways into Darkness. Go play some Bungie games from before they fucking sold out. Um, <laughs> Daisy and Survivalism in Video Games says Jesse Copra. Love it. Absolutely. We've talked about it. this a lot, actually, by this point. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've also been playing Tokyo Jungle. Mm-hmm. And but I'm leaving. Where are you going? See you, Jake. Oh, okay. That's true. <laughs> That's true. All right, go ahead, Sean. Um, maybe I'll take your seat. Yeah, I'm taking your seat while you're no, gone. What? No, you're going to Okay. Yeah, I mean, Tokyo Jungle is like an arcade game where the entire th- like the thematic premise is survival, even though the mechanical premise isn't as based in survival as something like DayZ. But I still like it a lot. I yeah. think it's. I, th- I think it's. You get in these sort of rhythms mm-hmm. of. Um, eating taking over territory and mating and dying and you're in it just is like this, you do but exactly you know what i mean though like and when you have these packs of 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 babies <laughs> following you around that then are dying off as yeah. you're trying to survive and then you have like two le- it's amazing <laughs> it's really great. great yeah so you're continually like mating you get like a few pups or little like i don't know fawns or whatever you have um and then you're running around, you know, these districts. And, but as they're dying because you're fucking up or they're getting poisoned or they're starving to death. Yeah. It just, it, it's great because it's an arcade game where the mechanics just feed right into that, that theme of survival. I don't know. I like survival as a theme, period. Yeah. I think it's, I think, I think it's really cool in games. I think it, it overlaps with stuff like Thief, which is, you people would not call it a survival game, but you have to think about a lot of, you, you essentially survival is more important than like killing a guy in Thief. Right. For the most part, because if you start getting seen by a bunch of people, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, also in Dota, don't die. Yeah, right. If you're no, new to Dota, yeah. just don't die and you'll be helping your team. Yeah. That's the best advice. That's Run true. away. Uh, Fake says, why not more adventure game hybrids like Quest for Quest for Glory and Adventure RPG? Yeah, I've always wondered that too. Yeah, in I fact, think about that a lot. One of the things I've always wanted desperately is for Bioware to make a game that is like Mass Effect not like Mass Effect 2 or 3, but like Mass Effect 1, but with no or very, very little combat in it. Mm-hmm. I've always thought that would be awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, don't, I don't know why no one really ever does that. I guess because they just don't think the market's there, which is too bad. And maybe it's not. Um, but I've always, I've always thought that would be really cool. Yeah, I agree. 100%. And also Quest for Glory, that was a fun game. That had, did have combat in it, but it was fun. I also don't mind when things like uh, 
character interaction and dialogue trees and sort of environment puzzles and character puzzles show up in games with violence in them. But that stuff always feels really hard line disconnected. No, to I me. don't mind either. I mean, I, yeah, I think it's cool. I just think it would also be cool to have one that wasn't about combat. Yeah. Uh, Fred S. says, what terrible games have you felt compelled to complete and why? I don't have. I rarely compulsion. finish games at all, so I yeah. don't. I don't have that issue. Uh, and I actually have the opposite issue, where it doesn't matter how close I am to the end of something, that if it loses me, it's a wrap. Yeah. Like I probably have five episodes of Lost I haven't seen, uh-huh. and they're the last five. Uh-huh. I p- put probably nine hours or ten hours into Dead Space. Got all the way, felt like to the end, and there's a you can kind of tell where you are in that game. Um, and I just it lost me, yeah. so I have no really idea how the first Dead Space ends. I'm Even like, though I put, like I said, between yeah. nine and ten hours into it, I'm like that with games heavily, but I'm actually not very much like that with other things. Like I will, if I start a book, unless I really despise it, I will pretty much always finish it. And um, like a movie is the same, although a movie's short, so it's not a great comparison. But mm-hmm. with games, I will. Games are just so long and so repetitive that if it's really just not excellent or it doesn't have to be excellent but if there's not if i if i'm not still finding something that's worth playing i'll just stop and so i actually finish almost no games because i think there's actually relatively few games that have enough going on that for like eight straight hours not that i have to play them in one sitting but for eight hours there's actually interesting worthwhile things going on like that's very rare Mm -hmm. uh they tend to be just really repetitive Um, god what's so tough about the ruination cast is so much of our flow and our enjoyment of doing this is is going on d- deep tangents where we'll t- start with we don't even when we do the cast we're like what are we starting with but that's all we ever do because we know if we have something strong to start with and we've all played a few games that will eventually just keep going down these rabbit holes and all i want to do is go yeah and on this well, we, we knew can't. that was the, we, yeah. we knew that's what we were yeah. getting into um it just didn't hit me until now <clears throat> telco writes how can we encourage people to stay off their cell phones while driving it in public i don't know jake yeah, I Jake have no is the idea. worst at this. Um, Jake drives a manual in San Francisco, and I will see him texting while yeah, I'm in the, the car worst. with him. And actually, I'm like, dude, you're going to fucking murder me. Uh, if I die because of this. You have decades of your life left for, the stat, for statistically something to happen. <laughs> I'm trying to lay off that because that realization has occurred to me. Yeah. Jake got a whole hands-free system installed in his car. I did. Oh, it's really? going to be. Yeah. yeah. It's, and you have Surrey now. I know. You I, should be fine. I'm good now. You yeah. should just night Rider that shit. Yeah. I don't know how to encourage people, though. Uh, make them. cars less safe. Everybody <laughs> should just drive around in a 1971, like, Chevelle. Just make them have to be present all the time. Right. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. If everybody was in a... a um, oh, what the hell is that car? A Corvair? That would be, that'd be it. Yeah. Yeah. That thing is a coffin. Uh, so, uh, oh, that was Telka. Not, sorry. That was not... Oh, it was Telka. Telka. Thanks, Telka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's an exclamation point, which I originally read as an L. Oh. Um, Peter Thelen says, motivations and general thoughts on Chris's career move going from press to industry, differences between the two, uh, pros and cons, uh, potential disillusionment of gaming press. Um, the motivation was I was recruited, so uh, it wasn't like a, necessarily a motivation per se, um, although... You were recruited. What does that mean? Sorry, in which? I mean, I was recruited. What are you talking about? I was recruited by Irrational to not be in the gaming business anymore. Um, In other words, I wasn't. It it was something that sort of happened. Um, But um, 
you know, it was the case that for several years, for in fact, most of my career in total across both, most of the people I've known and hung out with have been people on the development side. Um, and I was at the time writing for Gama Sutra, which is a development oriented website. Um, so I think I experienced less when I went to Irrational, I feel like I experienced less of the kind of like shock that some people describe when they go, when they make that same, like most of the methods involved in making games and like the structures and, and practices were actually familiar to me already. Right. Um, so it wasn't really that surprising or jarring. Um, were you a little surprised just in sort of, for me, I think that they, it, we have a new employee at, at Telltale who started this week who's awesome. And, uh-huh. Um, we were talking on Friday. He's like, I don't feel like we did a lot. I'm like, we did a ton. You actually did a lot today. And I was like, this was really valuable. This was really valuable. This is really valuable. And he's like, that's it. I'm like, if we do day, if we have a hundred days like that in a row, we will be fine. <laughs> the problem is there are days when it's just failure after failure, after yeah. setback, after setback, and you don't solve problems well. And you're like, well, this is never going to happen. Were you surprised by how much of that is there? Or just being in the game press and seeing so much Um I don't know if I was surprised. I mean, it, it is different right. because in the, in the press, you have to, release a ton of material onto the internet every single day so it is very different but it's not i mean it's not surprising i mean i prefer it like i prefer working towards something over a period of time like as opposed to stuff yeah, of, yeah yeah like that's one of the reasons i've always liked doing adult thumbs related stuff is that it is it well the podcast obviously is just content every week but like whenever we try to work on something in the long term on adult thumbs i always really like that um, like the website or these fantastic t-shirt <laughs> Kickstarter rewards. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I don't know. I love this shit. <laughs> it's the best. Uh, um, I definitely also do. though realized that, um, Irrational is great. And like, I worked with a lot of awesome people there and there's, I'm sure Bioshock Game, it's going to be really, really cool, but I definitely learned, and this is not specific to Irrational, but I definitely learned I am not as into AAA development. Um, and I double, being a double fine is awesome. And like working on smaller projects, um, the overall company is smaller and the individual projects are even smaller than that. Um, and that's something I really like. And that's something that I think I want to, to stick with. Um, that's definitely, a th- and that's also not very surprising for me because everywhere right. I worked in the press was small. Like I never worked for GameSpot or IGN or a big site like that. I always worked on very small teams and like Idle Thumbs has always been a small thing. And so I think I just naturally gravitated towards yep. that. Are you, are you gonna? Oh, oh, um, I guess. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I thought you just, do you know where we are? Yeah. Uh, Allison Hussey says, I'd be interested in hearing your guys' thoughts on the weird undercurrent re- regarding video games and sexuality slash gender. Well, geez. I <laughs> wish this is probably the absolute wrong forum for that. Yeah. Um, I, but I we'll give glad, it 60 seconds. <laughs> I am glad that there's a discussion going on right now, though. Yeah. As yeah, compared yeah. to there just being no one acknowledging anything ever. Yep. Right. Because it's like, it would be really hard to deny that games are overwhelmingly targeted at and kind of just assuming that their you know their players will be males and like there's a lot that comes along with that yep um and the audience can reflect that in ways that are not the best and so can so can the industry at times yeah we also have talked about this on the cast a little bit i made an analogy which confused you guys um oh yeah the the thing analogy that that crazy alien from the thing um but yeah it is good it's really kind of like the thing allison so watch that movie and get back to us (laughs) Thanks for your question. There's no girls in that movie. (laughs) (laughs) The thing is female. (laughs) Matthew Amend uh, says, what was your favorite band in 1996? What year was 1996? What year was 1996? Well, well, how old was I? I uh, Simpsons Sing the Blues. 
No. Simpsons and the Blues is like, no, that's, that's before, like 92, yeah. 3. I was always really behind on music because I didn't have the internet and I lived in a small town in Wyoming. Yeah. So my musical taste was really bad. Um, so I would listen to stuff that my mom was Mine really was into. probably Weezer. Weezer. Yeah, that was way too cool for me. Uh, I probably, my favorite band in 1996 was probably the Squirrel Night Zippers. Hmm. And that was the only hmm. time that I ever listened to a band at the time that they had a thing that was actually charting oh really that's my one fixed point in time where right, i actually yeah, yeah. had a cd that someone else might have had otherwise i've just been hopelessly behind for the rest of my life <laughs> drunken bob dole says what will you do with the rest of the money uh i think the first and second rules of kangaroo jack apply <laughs> <laughs> the first and second laws uh laid down by kangaroo jack in his capital h film kangaroo jack we're about to spend spend a brinks truck of it sending all this crap to you guys yeah, so we, actually see how much don't we, know, we actually don't know how much money we're gonna have left after we ship all this yeah, stuff once, because shipping is expensive once the shipping yeah. plus international shipping occurs uh, a disaster will happen but there was that, a time actually i think this is worth sharing early on when we were putting up the kickstarter and we we're asking for figuring out how much we wanted we kind of sort of assumed that half of it was going to be fulfilling the rewards and we still yeah. and that, that has scaled yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. The, the amount of extra money we earn in the kickstarter is not directly like a one-to-one relationship to the amount of extra money we'll be left with at the end um, we'll we also actually we up, also yeah. kind of lowballed it originally which at the time yeah. in terms of how much the rewards would actually cost yeah um because we started doing crazy things like i don't know if we've mentioned this to people but like the um or on the internet oh, yeah. anyway but like we actually paid to do crazy things like instead of having regular cloth tags we actually paid to have the tags Here, removed yeah, and then screen print a custom designed uh label onto the shirt itself so like we ended up actually spending a fair amount of money um doing cool things like that and this one each of them have like a quotation or like some sort of like copy in there that's it's either this one's just got like a one yeah that one just has a random stuff in it but the wizard shirt has, there's there's uh, don't give it away. Let people. Nah, let people, people, people can read it when they get it. There is. I'll, I'll show how much there is. You'll show at least the co- amount of content, the amount of editorial content which comes included in every wizard shirt. <laughs> it's in there. Anyway, <laughs> but like that stuff that like, you know, the thing that was cool about going over was that, and this is something I think philosophically we'd always wanted to do, which was just do the best version of anything we're trying to do. Like if we're printing Graham stuff, go to the best printer in the Bay Area. Yeah. If we're doing shirts. Get do the nicest ones. Yeah, we, we can went do. we went bananas on that stuff because we wanted all this stuff to be really nice. Given that people gave us a lot of money for yeah. it, because uh, we had to detag these shirts. Yeah, we had to pay, we had to have a guy be paid to remove yeah. the tag so that it's like we're dumb. Um, but we're really happy to be able to do that. Yeah, stuff. we're so. really pleased with the quality of it, all that stuff. But it means all dollars will disappear into that, and then the rest of the money we're not giving it back. No, so I mean we're giving we're, we want to give back to you <laughs> by spending the money but not on, with dollars on, to you. For no, the, no money will be returned. Uh, Joel Miller says, "What Directly. game conference do you look forward to most each year? I.e., GDC, E3, PAX, and what excites you about it?" Definitely GDC. GDC, GDC. followed yeah. by PAX, probably. Yeah, but GDC by quite a lot. Yeah, I love GDC is you, the thing. It's so expensive to go, so it's not it's not you're not advertised to the whole time you're there. Yeah, yeah. and there's a little bit of it, but it's there not, is advertising, but it's but small. It, but when you but there's no equivalent to walking through. Like there's it's n- not what E3 is in its entirety, which is huge room of people yelling in your face with big flashing signs. Like that doesn't exist at GDC. Like there's a recruitment hall where companies set up booths to try and like attract applicants, but like yeah, and show things off, but there's no. It's not ridiculous. It's not an arms race of boomboxes. There's no like giant made out of Sculpey 
dragon that right. shoots real fire out of yeah. his face. And the, uh, and not the, that he'd be and the, yeah. but you and know the, what I mean. The bulk yeah. of your, what you do during Fiber GDC is like that. go to interesting talks by interesting people and just meet up with other interesting people and talk about interesting things. Like yeah. that's – like we've been going to GDC. I, I don't know about, about you, Sean. Yeah, but I've Jake and I have been going to GDC was... for like eight years I guess. A million years. A million years. I was and, sent my nine, second nine year now, working at Disney, which was awesome. Being like 22 and going to GDC was mind blowing, and I felt yeah. I felt like a speck on the yeah. earth. I like, felt Jake the and smallest. I started going before yeah. we were employed in the games industry, and it was definitely yeah, one we, of the we things. We started that, going because Idle Thumbs existing as an editorial site meant that we could have uh, we get, we got in a press fast, yeah. Because Idle Thumbs is a legitimate journalistic yeah. outlet. Yeah, um, um, that was back in that was 2003, maybe. Something like that. It was when it was yeah. in San Jose still. Yeah. But. And, uh, yeah, GDC is the best. Okay. Um, Matthew Wagland says, I disliked the playstyle change from Command and Conquer 3 to the fourth one and felt that it was, it was just a response to the criticism that the third iteration didn't change anything in the formula. What's your opinion on shifting playstyles like this in an established franchise? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I'm not for it unless I think established, I think, I'm not big on long-standing franchises as it is. Like, I don't really like not either. sequel stuff. But I do think if you're going to go down that road, I think you should iterate in an effort to expand and be clever and not change for change's sake. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think also it depends a lot on what the game is. And I think with something like a strategy game, you should acknowledge that the vast majority of people playing your game are playing it because of what it is mechanically more than anything else. And, like, that's, you know, like when you're... So let's talk about Far Cry 2. <laughs> yeah. I don't think to? I don't think well I mean I don't feel like Far Cry 2 You might want to wait. I bet somebody's going to ask about that video game. <laughs> it's just Far Cry 2 is is a weird example to me because Far Cry 2 shares that there's a big open jungle world with Far Cry 1 and that there's bad guys in it. Yeah. But but it feels it? like all other systems were thrown out. Like what though? I don't know. Well, I feel like there's it, no it, supernatural it, else stuff in it like there was in Far Cry but 1. But isn't that more thematic? Yeah, but that there was a whole that was the whole combat Style that was based yeah. around guys running at the your whole, face. The whole way that the encounter system worked in right. Far Cry oh, One was not—it was not iterated on in Far Cry Two. It was trashed entirely. The yeah. way weapons work. Trashed. Also, all like, of the just... all of the disaster stuff that just things that can personally ruin you was all added in Far Cry Two. That didn't exist in yeah, Far right. Cry One. Like the game didn't feel like that at all. Like it just felt like a different game. But for, the Far Cry Three—I don't know enough about it, but to talk about this, but it feels. It feels from the way that they're presenting it, at least, like it's closer to Far Cry One, uh, except apparently there's wolves in it. That, it feels that out. And it's, I feel. You, you think I Far Cry Three is its own other thing? A little bit to me, having just okay. played five minutes of it at PAX, it feels like Far Cry just becomes a sort of like banner of open world. Far Cry means you're out amongst open world tropical violent. plants, yeah. Of yeah. Some kind. Also published by Ubisoft, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, right. Because I mean, that's really the signifier is. Ubisoft needs a thing to use a brand name for is essentially what that is. Like, I I think if I was a super, I liked Far Cry One actually, um, but if I was a super super huge Far Cry One fan, I probably would be irritated by Far Cry Two, and I think that's totally valid and legitimate. And like Far Cry Two might as well just have been its own game. Like that, I mean, it, it Clint Hawking had had and his team had a pretty particular thing they were trying to achieve with that game that was yeah. pretty different from what Far Cry One tried to do, and like that. Obviously, a publisher is always going to do a franchise if they can, but like just purely outside of financial considerations, that might as well have just been its own game with its own name called something. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, uh, this is going to take for fucking ever. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> we're we about a quarter of the way start. through these. So, are we really? Yeah. What are we? Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay, yeah, but that that means we're setting up. We're averaging. This is going to be four hours long. 
So Darridge writes, interactive narrative versus games, or just interactive narratives in general? I enjoyed Heavy Rain, though I recognize it had its issues. I've heard others compare Jurassic Park and The Walking Dead to Heavy Rain, though I haven't played either of them. Just wanted to hear your thoughts on this interactive narrative taxonomy. Is it a genre you find compelling, even if it doesn't offer emergent gameplay? Or is it too limiting and closed a system to be enjoyable over time? Um, I want to expand on it. Obviously, The Walking Dead, like, Jake and I didn't work at all in Jurassic Park, but kind of, like, looked over the, we observed looked it over the wall. Over a cubicle oh, wall. Yeah. Going over there. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, people really are digging The Walking Dead, and I, I, I like it because it's giving, it's a nice, it's, it's a nice, uh, canvas in which Jake and I can do some of the things we're good at, uh, but what? Sorry, we just read the next question. Um, oh, keep going, keep going. And, <laughs> you know, but I think I personally want to push it, but I think, I don't, I don't, I like it. I mean, I think it's, I think there's video games, and this is, Jake, you are not one thing. Video games don't just have to be one thing to be good. <laughs> and I like, I mean, that's goes back to like us in the office. You were playing Super Meat Boy and I was like, Bleh. it's like my one regrettable, like, what is game? Or you're like, like Super Meat Boy. So, and then, yeah, you came back around on that though. You know, like I find myself not playing a lot of them, but that's also because a lot, not a lot of them are made and not a lot of them. There's yeah. not a lot of like voices out there that yeah, I, I guess that have my attention right now. Yeah. There used to be a lot more, obviously. I mean, like, like I wish it wasn't just. Jake and I and a couple other people, <laughs> you know, like and the Steve, Telltale, I guess. And Steve's up there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm what's fucking what's really interesting game, about Steve you know? is that he comes to it from such a different angle, but I think it's going to result in not a similar play experience because I don't think it's going to feel like playing The Walking Dead. But right. like, I think a lot of what that game delivers will be similar to what Walking Dead is, which is investment in character story narrative. And it's funny because all of Steve's influences are immersive sims like System Shock right. and Thief and games like that. And But he's... Like he's coming from another angle, which is come from that and rip out the combat. Where I think sure. you guys are coming from it from the other angle, which is starting from a more adventure game like. Mm-hmm. I think when like, we actually, no, I completely agree with when that. When we first started working on The Walking Dead, we were probably actually coming at it more from the angle that Steve was, where he said, we, "No, no, no, he's right." Yeah, yeah, because I mean, we were going from class, we were going from like adventure game, <laughs> adventure game establishment towards something like a system shock. Yeah, I guess that's he's true. He's coming from something like true. a system shock coming and, towards yeah, adventure true. game establishment, whatever that means. Yeah. You know, like this sort of like character to me, I think linear, uh, interactive narrative. The the thing that's appealing that's to accurate. me, yeah, that is actually what we were accurate. doing, I think had we gone unchecked and shipped the game that we started out to make, it would have been even Which we were gonna we we aimed we aimed for the stars and we hit the moon. Fortunately, the moon is red. Um, <laughs> a thing – I'm going to just keep talking apparently because it is a thing that's kind of interesting to me about this. Fuck we're we're just no, going. I have no plans for the rest um, of the day. I – like thinking about this as interactive narrative, like Steve's game versus The Walking Dead the, uh, versus other games that sort of appeal to me in this way. The thing that ap- – the bleh, I like when games treat the person who's playing them as a human being, regardless of whether or not yeah. the story is the focus or whatever. I think the feeling that people get out of games where the story is the focus is more – it's a game that's concerned with how you as the person playing it will react. It's concerned with how you as the person playing it will feel when certain things happen versus the thing that I think everyone focuses on all the time is the opposite loop. It's I press a thing on in, on a controller or on a screen. The game – funnels my input through a bunch of colliding systems and some new and unexpected thing pops out on screen and you as the player go, oh, that was cool. I pressed a button, I interacted with this thing and a cool thing happened. But the flip side of that loop is I think what makes people respond to narrative-based games. That's when the game does something that, it, that, with the knowledge that you as a fully formed human being on the other side of it are going to have a response to. And I don't know how to describe that exactly, but I think 
it's a thing that goes undiscussed in game development often, where it's like, people are going to think this is cool, people are going to think this is neat, but the, the discussion ends there. Like, ver- I mean... Can you give an example of what? Of well, like I think a, I mean, think environmental storytelling does a lot of that. Actually, yeah. it's like, oh, I'm gonna put, I'm gonna, there's, there's, there's like bloody sheets on this bed, and then next to the bed is a photo of a woman, and you're like, all of a sudden, it, the game just assumes that you as a human being know how to like observe a space and right. imply narrative, and I think that's some of what you're talking about. Yeah, and I guess I can talk about it in the context of The Walking Dead, which I didn't really want to, but I feel like The Walking Dead. It's an it's it's a way more coarse example of it than I think I would I would like to see games pursue. But that game, Walking Dead, is pretty thin on actual mechanics, yeah. and all that The Walking Dead does is present some sort of event on screen that requires you as a person with a brain that has back history as a human and mm-hmm. as sort of a person who's lived in society to have to deal with it and then input back into the game and see what comes out. There's not a lot going on 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 the on the game side of the screen. And I would love to see games that that do both. Yeah, me too. I guess. Yeah. Um, because it feels like yeah, we get systemic games that are all about you pushing things into the monitor, or we have like The Walking Dead or adventure style stuff, which is more about just how do you respond to pre baked narrative content. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how that works in both directions, but maybe Steve's game will get closer to that. Um, I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. Hi guys. Duncan Fife writes. The Alexander Hamilton Aaron Burr duel. So, oh my gosh! All that I think about this this is just so wiped out of the, my fucking brain. But it's the it's the got milk the got commercial. Milk commercial. That's all, yeah, yeah. That's which oh, the really? thing is that Duncan Fife is from New Zealand, so he probably doesn't have yeah. that commercial in his brain. Oh, hold on! <laughs> the goddamn Blue Angels are here. It's Fleet Week in San Francisco. I don't know if yeah. you just heard that. Um, but yeah, all that I think about <coughs> is the guy who knows the answer to the call-in, but he ate a bunch of cookies or something. Oh, but oh, sorry, bro. Duncan. The Alexander Hamilton Aaron Burr duel. I told you the Blue Angels are here. <laughs> One moment. Ruined. <laughs> Ruined. Yep. I don't know. It's fucking rad. We had a president. Sh- I mean, we had a pres- uh, vice president. Yeah. No, no, no. Or was he just. He was. He shot a guy. Hilarious. In a duel. We've had two <laughs> VPs, if he was a VP, I can't remember, shoot people. He was a P, I think. William Harris says, "What one William Henry Harrison says. <laughs> William Harris says, what one thing do you want to most see in a game that you feel no developer has figured out or addressed yet? I told that. <laughs> that is legitimately yeah, an F-16 are, fighter jet. Jets or whatever. are basically uh, flying over to the office right now. It's, it's yeah. Fleet Week. We're good. Um, we've replaced the that? sirens on the Ruination cast with jet fighters. <laughs> it's the new, we're up in the ante for the Ruination cast. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Yeah. The thing that I want to see most is someone figuring out how to do a truly systemic, systemically driven game that is not combat oriented, but still deals with a human existing like the Sims in a non supernatural world. Like, I get you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Next, you're walking around living in a place, (laughs) being a human being, and you don't have to do violence. Um, Dan O'Donnell says, Schizophrenic camera and first-person games. I can't be the only one bothered from the Switch to first-to-third-person and first-person games. Oh, oh, I see what he's saying. It really breaks me out of the experience. I'm thinking along the lines of Deus Ex Human Revolution and Skyrim here. Pick a, pick a perspective and deal with it. Um, Skyrim, don't you? Can't you choose? Or do they put in those things in those Skyrim? Those death that, cans? Yeah, I'm not. I don't. That kind of thing, I really do, highly dislike. Mm-hmm. Where where you can't choose, and suddenly the game decides this is an awesome looking animation. You need to see it. Let me pull you out so you can see a guy shiv a guy in the neck. I find that really mm-hmm. 
not good at I, all. A long time ago, um, Jake and I were noodling around in the tool. And Which is the Telltale game. The Telltale too. tool. And we were thinking about what it would be like to have conversations in third person, <laughs> but like engage the game in first person. And I don't know. Like We fucked around with that for a while, like just independently of nothing, um, independently of everything. And I don't know. I, I don't really have a fully formed opinion on this I yet, also really but I don't like it in games the way you're describing. I don't like it in Skyrim, and I don't like it in Deus Ex. If it's a game that's in, that is intended to be an unbroken, fully experiential, you're inside of a world like Skyrim, yeah, when, it, when the camera pops out, that's really frustrating to me. But if it's a first-person game that's deliberately really mission-based, I don't give a crap if one I... What do you mean by deliberately very mission-based? Um, Halo. Uh-huh. It doesn't bother me that, that... You mean when you jump into a vehicle and it pops out? Yeah, or like when you hit a narrative choke point because you, you've completed some kind of objective mm. and then the game pops into third person for a minute that doesn't I mean I guess it should bother me I dropped my phone instead of coming back but I don't think that Halo would be a stronger game if it maintained a first person camera throughout the campaign no and can't, well Halo is a game where I don't really care about the narrative at all so the well, when, when that's they, fair well it's true I mean yeah. like when they break out of the first person when you get into a vehicle that that that's good because it's actually good for what you're doing as a player. Right. Whereas, like, I mean, that's a case where it would actually the, the Halo vehicle control was a massive improvement over vehicle control. Right, but like, in <laughs> it's funny because in Half Life, if Half Life popped out of first person when I got into a car, I would love driving a car, and I can't abide vehicular control in Half Life no, Two. But, but it would ruin that game's feeling yeah. for me completely. Well, and and Valve has like put their flag in the ground right. with that stuff in a way that Bungie hasn't. Yeah. So yeah. Um, oh man. Jose Arroyo says when the next generation starts, all major console manufacturers will essentially have to rebuild their markets from scratch. PC gaming, on the other hand, will have a market in the 30 plus million, according to the latest statistic from Valve and Steam. Should major publishers continue to ignore PC gamers? That statistic's probably higher than that because that's only Steam. But in any case, um, no, I mean, they shouldn't. I don't think they are, they are continuing to ignore them, though. I mean, I think they, uh, I think more games are coming to PC than used to in terms of like major publisher stuff. Um, and I think it's pretty obvious that that's a, that's a meaningful market. Yep. Uh, Juka writes a friend of mine, also a thumbs listener and backer made an iOS platforming game called tiny Hawk. Maybe you could mention it if that's too advertising of a topic. Done. <laughs> avid cook myself. I'd be interested in each of your signature dishes. Oh, I can make a spice rubbed, pork chops that are probably my be- the best thing I do meat-wise. Yeah, uh-huh. They're like super thick and you like brine them for a couple of days. Um, Adam Perry Lang is a barbecue chef and he's got a good book out there and he, if you want to know how to cook meat and take a long time doing it and use a lot of ingredients, that's the dude you want to use. Cool. Yep. Jake has, Jake cooked once in 2003 <laughs> and then again in 2007 but it was on accident. I'll happily make a plate <laughs> of pasta for you if you want it by putting the noodles in water. Um... <laughs> Make a pro, pro, I can make easy, a mean pop pro Easy Mac <laughs> chef. <laughs> easy Mac is gross. I make a pretty good tomato sauce. I've never <laughs> bought a can or jar of tomato sauce in my life. Or like by that I mean pasta sauce. Um. Uh, Thij, uh This is probably a Nordic name that I'm terrible. Right. You have a budget of ten million dollars, two years, and all the staff you need. What kind of game would you make? What? I have a budget of how much? Ten million. Ten million dollars. Two years. Two years. <sighs> I mean, very similar to what you. I mean, I would make a non-violent single, like single-player, like something intracted narrative, but with like pick two systems that I thought we could deliver on. Um, yeah, probably a really person. Think of 
probably like The Walking Dead with better controls, um, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, um, with no zombies and a world of my own. Maybe probably a larger world, right? You've been talking about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say definitely less less instancy the way. Mm-hmm. Less vignette Yeah. That's probably also what I would do. So uh, if you have $10 million and you yeah, want us to make a video right, game, please, please write in at questions.idlethumbs.net. Biz. James Murray says, what, if anything, do you find uniquely interesting or exciting about gaming as a distinct medium? Must it necessarily be a systemic form of interaction? For example, I think due to the simplicity of modeling and convincing 3D space, all the games I've found most exciting in recent years have had exploration as a fairly central theme, be it open or in many cases a directed and ultimately linear experience. What other forms of storytelling and expression lend themselves well to gaming or could do in the future? I think exploration, I agree. I think we agree, Yeah, is a big thing for sure. Like that's what we've been talking a lot. Like Sean and, Sean and I, like, or Sean, you and I have been talking a lot about that stuff recently. Uh, just that, that sense of like scale and, and, uh, like ability to allow the player to kind of draw from the world itself and all that stuff. It's really good. It's Biden doing push-ups with some little girls. <laughs> <laughs> is that Sorry. on the thing right now? Yeah, of course. Well, what you probably mean is, uh, here, let me just, uh, hit some buttons. There we go. There we go. That's what the world needs. Um, yeah. What are we talking about? Games? I don't know if you had an answer to that or if you want to move on. What are we interesting and excited about games as a distinct medium? Games are video games. Good point. Chris writes. Since, oh, Chris. Oh, this is, oh hi, Chris. What'd you say? Well, he says, since my main non-video game passion is food, what are your favorites? Do you like to cook? Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, cool. I make a spice rub pork chop. Oh, okay. <laughs> so Eric Vallone says, talk about roller derby. Ever been to about? Should EA do an annual roller derby game? Um, uh, no, I have some friends who are really into ro- roller derby down in L.A., but um, I, it's hard for me because it's uh, – I don't like – I don't know. Those girls hurt each other, man. <laughs> but uh, I think that would be a really hard game to make. That would be a fucking hard game to make, to make it feel – It would probably be a really arcadey experience. But just that many like skeletons who are also roller skating all who can all hit yeah, each other. Crazy. To like be good, bumper cars to be good, that would be so hard. Yeah. If the bumper cars had tentacles, Chris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Arms and stuff. You know, oh, like, I see. Yeah. yeah. Tentacle bumper cars. You could have said if they have arms. Or tentacles. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly you've never been to roller derby. True, true. <laughs> uh, Edmund Tran says, I'm interested to hear the Idle Thumbs origin story. How did all the individual casters come to meet or be introduced to one another? Uh, initial impressions of each other that changed over time or didn't? And maybe the events that led up to the birth of the first Idle Thumbs podcast, if you have time. Uh... So we've talked about this quite a few times, the beginning of it at least. Idle Thumbs We was... should talk exclusively though how we met, because I don't really know how you guys met. Let's start there. Chris that's I something met, we can all share. Chris and I met on the forums for adventuregamers.com yeah. <laughs> because Chris and I were both regular. This was in like 2001. Yeah, something early, early 2000s. Um, <laughs> and it was when When's me, the first time you met in real life? Uh, we 2002. Went, we, saw we saw the triplets, triplets of, Belleville. of Belleville. Yep. Um, when that played in the You guys went on a date? You guys wanted to do a movie? No, we, saw, we both wanted to see a movie and we had no other friends who knew what it was. But you guys were living in the same... We were in the Jake Bay Area. Was in, Jake was in Santa Cruz, and I was in Berkeley. And it was only playing, I think, in Berkeley. And Jake drove yeah, up. Yeah, and I drove up, and we saw a movie. Oh, that's Aww. really sweet. The um, first time I met you was in a movie. Up. Which one? Up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We all watched Animated car- movies. We all watched cartoons <laughs> together. Aww. Um, yeah. But yeah, we... It, I saw... We saw The Incredibles together as well. Oh, we're yeah. getting a flyover. Yeah. Excuse me, you paid for this flyover. Your Kickstarter dollars at work. But yeah, it was. 
me and Spaff and Merrick Bronstring, who all did adventure game sites together, had met at an E3. Like, we covered a couple E3s in a row for these, like, super adventure game focused fan sites and said, we're tired of adventure games. Let's start another site. And Chris, Chris's name was like the first name on the list other than the three of us to work on that site before it launched or before anything happened, I think, because you were editing at Adventure Gamers. But um, the reason the podcast started is because Chris and Nick did a Shack News podcast for a while called The Shackcast. That sort of faded away. And I think I heard you guys on The Shackcast and was jealous of the fact that you guys did a <laughs> podcast. So I said to Chris, hey, do you ever, would you ever do a podcast? And you said, I think Nick Brecken would be a great third seat he just moved to san francisco and that's the like that's the only story behind that yeah um and we started doing it having no idea what it was going to be about or how to do it yeah and we still don't and we still don't hey that's why there's no segments and i'll find what are you you loading up there over there that's too late now it's going to be apropos oh it's too late um sean i worked with and we got along well and i think sean you just hung out with us a a bit for a while there and i saw i started i Knew about Idle Thumbs because I saw Dave Eggers well, you, wearing first Idle Thumbs. Idle Thumbs shirt. experience was on a GDC cast. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I remember I came on after doing that talk. That was Phaedrus. That was the birth of Phaedrus. Gosh, when Will Wright did that Phaedrus talk. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it was just, we all just kind of knew each other through work or through the internet. Actually, Steve showed up because we knew about Steve because Steve submitted articles to the editorial site. Oh, just yeah. Out of, in, out of the blue, Steve read some stuff that we had written and, and seemed like. He, we, Steve we, was an, a reader of Idle Thumbs, the original site. Yeah, and he and submitted stuff for publication. And In fact, I still have the email that Steve sent. Oh, man. Where he was like, I think you guys are cool, and I would like to write for your website. Um, yep. This was all before any of us were actually in the industry, like yeah. for real. Um, so we've all known each other since before. Well, since. I, I haven't known Sean that long, but like um, me and, and Jake and Nick and Steve have all basically known each other since before any of us actually worked real industry jobs. Yeah, we all just did this as – because we liked writing about games, yeah. slash, for and, some reason, liked going to industry events and right. covering them. And Nick Brecken, I hired at Shack News when I was editor God, there, but alive. but we knew Nick Hilarious. before that because Nick had also submitted articles to Idle Thumbs, yep. like the print site yeah, back in the day. Yep. Uh, yep, so that's how we all know each other. So, Kevin, so Idle Thumbs actually is the reason like a lot of us kind of know each other the way we do. Idle Thumbs, yeah, we all know each other through Idle Thumbs from the internet. It's pretty weird. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Karcher says, no questions, just keep up the good work. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Andrew Weber, Andrew Lloyd Weber, composer, um, says, How widely traveled are you all? What countries have you been and what countries have been your favorite to visit? Um, as a kid I went traveling with my family a bit, but my favorite country that is not the United States is probably the UK. Me too. Probably England. Yep, same here. Um And if I were to live anywhere outside of the United States, I would live in London for sure. Yeah. In fact, if I were to live anywhere outside well, of see, San here. Francisco or New York, say, I, would I would say probably the United States, followed by England, followed by Australia, followed by uh, <laughs> let's, what's our viewership Zealand, charts? Like yeah, China. New Zealand. Uh, just roll down the list of where like our listeners come Germany, from. Germany, probably. <laughs> yeah. Germany, France, Canada. Uh, yeah. um, anywhere where there's a high Thumb. readership. <laughs> yeah. Thumb Thumb really right. territory. All of my favorites. I, I like them all the same. Tell your friends. Yeah. Uh, I was born in Ireland. I don't know if people know that. So my family's all from there. I like it there a lot. Uh, I worked in China for seven months. I liked Shanghai a lot. Been to Rome. Someone, like someone asks. Oh, Rome's great. I've been to Italy a number of times. Rome, is, Rome. I would probably live in Rome. I'm of I Italian. Would probably live in Rome. Italian descent. And I would just, yeah, I would become a weird person, but I would live in Rome for sure. <laughs> also, I would really like to go back to China for like a projected period of time, but that's probably never going to happen again. Someone asked uh, if we like England because it, they speak English there, and in my case, I mean that helps. That's a reason I could live there without needing to worry about anything. But uh, 
specifically, I love London in particular, yeah. and that's because I love cities. I love dense, urban, big cities. Um, so we I love, I love New York as well. No, I would, I would <laughs> love to. Um, shit so I love New York as well for that reason. And like London is, I like places where you can walk, have public transportation and where there are lots of things in close proximity. Yeah. Like, I just like that feeling. It, it, I like being in the middle of, it like, It is human kind of a cheat, though, shit. in that they do speak English, and I have <laughs> friends who live in London, which makes it an easily accessible place right. for me that to help, go. That helps, like, too, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah. Um, Sean lived, yeah, someone asked if Sean lived in Shanghai, and you did, because you worked, uh, Disney sent you out there for a while. Yeah, I was there for, like, half a year. It was awesome. It was formative. It was fucking great. Yeah. Um, okay. Brian Lewis says, Other Scrolls Online, dumb idea or really dumb idea? We'll see, I guess. Who's to say? Uh, I don't know. I don't so know. much about that game is just yeah, about being alone. I don't to really me. think I know anything about that game, so to be honest. Yeah. Oh, you mean about Elder Scrolls itself? Yeah, so yeah, much yeah, about yeah, those games. Sure. Is just That'll be weird. Oh, man. Alone. Intense question coming up. Death Rodent uh, says, Whatevs. Cool. Jintor Thanks, Death says, Rodent. You're the best. The established slash traditional form of gaming journalism and its value in the current media landscape. Um, there's probably more of it than there needs to be. Which, more games journalism? Yeah, which probably has the aggregate effect of lessening the amount of time anyone spends in any individual example of it because there is... Do you mean there's more outlets or there's more there are people just within a single outlet cover more stuff than they No, I mean there's more, out, there's more outlets. Like, I, you sorry, talk ahead. about this a lot and I think that it's just because you're exposed to games journalism because if you read... The like modern film entertainment landscape online and in print that's also way over covered as well. I mean, well, I'm not saying other things aren't. Yeah, there's there's, yeah, I don't know. I think I will accept the nickname Wu Tang Vanaman from the chat. <laughs> it's in the chat right now. I'll accept that. Yeah, carry I, on. Sorry. I mean, I think enthusiast press in general might just have way more of it than there needs to be. I don't agree with that at all because uh-huh. I think the point. Like one of the things that I think is great about the fact that the internet exists is that anyone can do that, and I think, I guess maybe if you're a PR person, it has it, you, you feel the weight of that more. But as a reader, I think you can you have infinite ability to select the thing that you like. Like also just through things like Twitter and Facebook and all that other shit, things that your friends refer you to. Like I, the fact that all that stuff exists doesn't mean you have to read it, but it does give a lot more people an opportunity to have a voice and to rise up and become. Uh, a voice that is worth hearing. Like I, right. I, I don't it, like. I, I would not wish that we went back to the era of print only, where you had the where the, your avenues for success are tiny. Like people no, like the, people like Duncan Fife or like Jen Frank. I don't think would be able to exist doing writing interesting things if we didn't have the ability for them to start tiny weird blogs that no one knows about. Sure. Although then someone like Duncan Fife gets kind of burned out because no one's ever going to pay him to do what he does. Because there's like the problem. The problem with this system now is that it ends up constricting opportunity in other weird ways, where there are so many people trying to do it and so many people willing to do it for almost no money that you end up just devaluing it. Not, maybe you individually aren't going to go read all those sites, but the people actually paying contractors are aware that there's a bajillion people out there. That's so they true. have the comp. There's so much supply and so little demand that the people doing the demand, i.e., the people on payroll can afford to just basically pay people nothing. So the people who actually do end up trying to make a living at it have to overwork themselves to the max to try and get enough contracts with a very meager dollar per word um, total coming in. Like it just ends That's up fair. really messing with the ecosystem, I think. 
But as you say, it's what the internet is. So I mean, like, it's just kind of the reality. Like, I don't know if you can do anything about that. Right. Um. Anyway. Uh. Hmm. Josh Papaf says, "You know that part in Ghostbusters where Dan Aykroyd <laughs> got a BJ from a ghost? What's up with that? Was there like an actual ghost giving him a BJ, or was he just dreaming about it? That part seemed weird to me." <laughs> I think I think it's fair to confirm that he likes the girls, and that's what that scene was meant to yeah. establish. Yeah. I only sorry, that's not what that scene is meant to establish. But you have to. It's a little mystery. It's a little sort of. If you see that scene and wonder what's going on, and then you hear the theme at the end, and it says he likes the girls, you can at least yeah. assume. Well, Bustin makes him feel good. Wasn't there? There was a ghost floating over him, but then the ghost turned invisible when his pants came off. Mm. I want to say one thing about Ghostbusters for a second, Please which do. is stupid. But um, the reason that I think. Or a thing that I like about blah, 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 blah. it's one tiny scene and one tiny moment in Ghostbusters, <coughs> but it's my favorite thing in that movie. Which is there's this little scene with the candy bar where he, he it's Bill Murray, I think, gives uh, <coughs> what Egon your actor's name I can't goddamn remember. He hands him the the candy bar and then he takes it away and says, "You you've earned it." And then he you remember that scene? God, it's oh I'm uh, sorry. There's a moment in <laughs> Ghostbusters where. Uh, the two characters are just having a stupid little riff between themselves, and then they just cut to a shot of Dan Aykroyd just like quietly enjoying the conversation to himself. And it's my favorite stupid thing in the entire world because it's a moment that would never be in a modern version of that movie. And it also really encapsulates this is such a stupid thing to talk about. Someone said Ghostbusters, and I thought about it recently. Sorry. Go on. It really encapsulates correctly the feeling of being an introverted person who's hanging out with extroverted friends who you enjoy being with, but you aren't participating in the conversation. It's sorry. Mm. It's just that one shot of Dan Aykroyd smiling is my favorite thing in the world because it was a directorial choice and an acting choice <coughs> about a thing that's never mentioned. But like Ghostbusters 2 doesn't have any of that shit. A modern wacky movie would never have that. It's good. That's why Ghostbusters is good. That's all. I brought you full screen for that. <laughs> oh, that, thanks. that point there. You brought me full screen? Yeah, look, you're right there. Screen. <coughs> oh, right. Harold Ramis. Thank you. God, Christ. Um, where are we? Ghostbusters BJs. Please discuss how cool HTTP colon slash slash... saying these folks' names. Oh, Mpika. <coughs> hey. Says... That please back discuss- image was from Mpika. Oh, good. Please discuss how cool HTTP colon slash slash gdne.ws is and how much you love it and that everyone else should love it. Also, some more about wizards. Wizards. But no, actually, what is it? It's... So, Mpika does have like a... It's like a, oh, yeah, this it's is a cool. news aggregator that is actually cool that I look at. So, it's... Do G- people still use that? I've been looking at it. Okay. It's like less updated. I don't... I'm not good at contributing to those things, so I'm the worst community member for that stuff ever. But mm. you guys aren't. It's so. it's GD News with a dot, dot yeah. in between, or like before the WS. It's like a... It's, it's modeled after Hacker News, which is a startup <laughs> news aggregator, which is basically just... If you imagine one subreddit without any of the rest of Reddit, that's basically what it is. But for game development related news, it is a good site. Well, you know what? <laughs> Hilarious is we're connected to the computer. We, keep going. we can load it up. Um, Dmitry Ivanov says, terrible games you love that everyone else hates. I don't know, because I don't think of things that I love as terrible usually. But I do uh, things that are like acquired. Yeah. Like this is just something I'm really into. Uh, I feel like I have a lot of those. The soundproofing looks like a baffled Goatsy. Everyone sees Goatsy's well, everywhere. Someone else said it looks like the old EA logo, which I can see. Yeah, that. that's that. Who sees Goatsy's everywhere? I mean, seriously, <laughs> that's not Jake, a, is, that's, Jake is amidst the Goatsy. That's not a thing that. that people 
experience. Um, <laughs> Deadly Premonition is a decent example of that, I guess, maybe. Based on the IGN review, God Hand, except I know a lot of people love that game. I love that game. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that that game deserved the low review that it got. Like, I don't think yeah. it's a terrible game. That's no. the thing, right? Like, I, you know. A game, that, a game that, let's take the word terrible off because you're fixating on that. A game that you love that everyone else hates. Well, Far Cry 2. 2 is an example of that. A lot <laughs> yeah. of people hate that Next, game. Next, okay. Uh, <laughs> Patrick Happel asks, what's the best beer you've had? Oh, Jesus. Oh, the a best. Good, a like good the one. single best. Like the best around. Pliny the Elder is amazing. Mm, that is good. It's that's really, a good really one. Let's se- that's settled. Next. <laughs> um, you. You're on the We move. gotta go. Um, where are you going? Through. To, to the other, like, bajillion questions? Yeah. That's where we're going. Um, yeah, we're, we're like a third of the way through. Crazy. Uh, Nunami asks, with mobile and handheld gaming getting more and more advanced, there seems to be a lot of remakes or re-releases of games that used to be console or PC games. Why are games that used to that we used to spend hours in front of TV playing now being played on a 3DS or iPhone? Is it just fun on the go? Uh, is it just nostalgia, or has our appetite for games changed? I think there's just a there's just a market for it. I think I don't think it has to do with people are buying them and, it, this, and the hardware can run them. It also and it makes financial sense to bring those things over. I think Square is making a bunch of money on their iOS ports. They're like fifteen bucks for well, like it's also Chrono Trigger on the iOS. That's a wow. That's yeah, a it's lot. expensive. It's fourteen ninety nine <laughs> um, to get. Like, yeah, it's they're weird. also. It's just possible because they're they're games that are at, those games were made originally to be played at low resolution, yeah. and these are even that if I mean a kind of a modern saying. smartphone actually has a high, much higher resolution than those games, but mm-hmm. the screen's very small, so it's effectively still you want less stuff on the screen. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that's I think a big part of it probably is that people associate those devices with less outrageous experiences and that includes a game that was released in like 1993 probably and i don't know if this is what he's or she is discussing but handheld uh and mobile stuff the the other sort of crossover direction is people play a lot of games that are similar to a book like i think uh there's a lot of really simple narrative games that have found a home on mobile that used to be a weirdly pc only thing Mm mm-hmm like simple adventure games or like even just interactive novel type stuff. Um, like seeing the last express being like part of the iOS makes a ton of sense. Interactive fiction you mean like text adventures? No, I mean like, I mean like it makes sense to me that there are games that are meant to be played in a contemplative, very slow paced way, like a broken uh-huh. sword game or, or something even like the last express where it's just all about narrative, like people sitting in bed, watching a TV show or reading a book on their iPad. It makes sense that mm, an adventure game, sure that was like a game that was pop it had a heyday in 90s pc culture right. is now back yeah. uh, as a as a as a thing just because it's in sense. bed instead of in front of a chair but it's still that solitary uh very contemplative experience yeah games oh my god we're, there's a long ass question coming up here but is no it? we're not there yet <coughs> Some comic book recommendations. Oh, man. That's from Michael Hartog. Michael Hartog says, some comic book recommendations. Please see an hour ago. But I'll just, if maybe he joined in the middle, we'll quickly say Preacher, Transmetropolitan, From Hell. Uh, what else? Did we, what? And then you said some of the stuff from... Um, uh, Chester, from Chester, Brown, Chester, Chester Brown is great. Yeah, like, yeah uh, that is good. Um, God, who else? Is I haven't really read his stuff, but a guy who we worked with at um, on The Walking Dead, who's actually on the Skybound Kirkman side, a guy named Cena Grace, has a new comic book out hmm. that I haven't read yet. So I'm not recommending it, but check it out. That guy could. That guy is new. So check Char- it out. Charles Burns is really good. Yeah. Oh, Garfield, <laughs> classic. Oh man. All right, Brian Belitas says video game golf. I have no opinion on this. I've heard that. People, oh, you do. 
Do you not remember in Pismo Beach? Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, what is that game? Stickman Golf. Stickman Stick Golf. Idle Thumbs. Stickman Ultra Golf or something. <laughs> I think Giant Bomb just did a stream where they played Sid Meier's Sim Golf, and Sim Meier was involved in the stream, and that oh, seems crazy. worth paying attention to. Oh, wow. Um, also, play Zany Golf on your Amiga or Apple IIGS. Um, Circadian Wolf says, dash, dash. Which I, Good point. Yep. Um, which is good because Game Dreamer says a full paragraph. Are we going to read this whole thing? It's a long paragraph too. Well, uh, yeah, it's your day, Chris. Twenty bucks. Let me see. Let's see <laughs> if we can. Paragraph. God damn it. Let's see if we can dynamically read the paragraph. <laughs> it reads the paragraph whenever it's told. <laughs> Two games were released recently that were both a third entry in their respective series and were each developed by a different developer than the original two preceding titles. Max Payne 3, developed by Rockstar Games this time. Okay, I'm going to start paraphrasing this. I'm sorry. Max Payne 3 by Rockstar and said Remedy. Diablo 3 by Blizzard, but not Blizzard North. Uh, when talking to people who picked up both games, I learned at least 85% of them had never played Max Payne, Max Payne 2, Diablo, or Diablo 2. This makes me feel old. I'm only 25, so I'll get shit for that. It sounds to me that not one of those people will ever experience the original title without their view of them being skewed by the recent games. How do you feel about this? Does it upset you, or are you just content to be grateful they were able to play them when they... Or that you were able to originally play them when they came out and happy you experienced them. I've been thinking about this a lot lately and it ties into a number of issues. The flip side is that Deus Ex Human Revolution was a fantastic game that may inspire a new generation of gamers to play the original Deus Ex, a game that I think should be played by everyone. I'll end this here. It's getting long. Oh, you didn't read the most <laughs> important part of that. No, email. I didn't. What is it? Uh, <clears throat> I'll, we'll close out the question with his, with his, with his important follow-up. Okay. Um, I'm going to go to the bathroom, but I will say it doesn't bum me out probably as much as it bums you guys out. I'm actually not bothered by it personally, but that's because, like, I, I sort of subscribe to the later half of his point, which is there, like, I wish people would go back and play old games. People are not predisposed to, but things like Deus Ex 3, I think are awesome because that game, while it's made by a different team, has has enough of a foundation in Deus Ex that it could make someone actually curious to go back and look at the older stuff, which I I don't know if that happens all the time, but... Yeah, know. I think it probably happens rarely on balance. Um, if it was happening to most people, then we'd hear about sure. Deus Ex 1 suddenly like, selling a bajillion copies right now. Uh, but I but I think that's... It actually seems more likely in games than other mediums that that will happen. Maybe that's not true. I don't think that's true. I think if a movie's coming out, you know, oh, there's a sequel to a thing. This I can go see the one that's only that's two hours long, and I can just go watch it on Netflix or whatever in an evening. That's true. Game sequels seem closer to me to filmic remakes, though. And I don't think that if someone watches a reboot of some ancient, like, of a movie license that's 20 years old. Like, I think people seeing The Thing, maybe it's the same. People who saw the current The Thing, if for some reason, assuming that that was good, which I don't particularly, I haven't heard that it was, I didn't see it. What do you think the percent of people who go and watch John Carpenter's The Thing is? Well, the, the percentage of people who play Deus Ex 3 on Steam and then go buy Deus Ex 1. I don't know. It's probably about, about the about same. About the same? Yeah. yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't really bother me just because it's just – I know that's how people buy things. Like, I mean it's how people are. I mean what I hope is that there is a subset of gamers who are interested in that thing. Like we were kind of – I don't think this made it on the podcast. But we had a discussion a few weeks ago about kind of the idea of a video game canon and people playing games that that are prior to their like – own era where they're directly marketed to like as a demographic and i think it's pretty i think it's obvious that most people are never in games or movies or anything going to go back and play a bunch of old things that were made yep. before they were playing those things but what what i hope is the case is that there is a certain subset of people, well, people who, who do, just who get do really do into that. it right yeah I, and that seems to exist i don't know i mean 
it'll be interesting to see what happens with that long term, but mm-hmm. it, it's not a thing that doesn't happen. Um, oh, also, it's worth pointing out that Game Dreamer closes out his remarks with a thing that has not happened yet, but is important to mention on the Ruination cast. Shitty Wizard, Horsebag, Scoops, Horn, Baboo, Bird Noise, Bloom, Games, Jeff, Gold, Phaedrus, Hole, and Nick Brecken playing a saxophone. Good. We uh, got that taken care of. That's Yep, that's out of the way. Thank you. Christopher Goodnow says... You guys do well enough on your own. You don't need me putting my two cents in. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Good enough. Um, also, mm. thanks for putting in your two cents as well as the rest of your Kickstarter donations. Um, <laughs> the $199.98. Jason yeah. Backer says Homer. Chris? Homer. Um, I'm not I'm not super up on my classics, really, to be honest. Uh, I never really studied that stuff. I like I read Greek myths when I was a kid. But Reese Dooley I says... I was talking about Homer Simpson. That's fine. We all did. Chris didn't. Really? No, I actually didn't. But I, thought, I thought Simpson. we were going to talk about both. We're talking about the, the slang term for a home run in baseball. Um, <laughs> Reese Dooley says, what's the ideal price point for a lap dance, both from a stripper and a consumer perspective? This is the question that when it came in, we said, oh, God, the Ruination cast is going to be weird. Because we thought we were going to just get right. this kind of stuff forever. I would say whatever the market can bear. <clears throat> well, <laughs> I mean, I think that's I think, true for asking a question about a price, right? About right. anything. Yeah. I think you have to refer to just straight up... Uh, basic economic principles. There are some that. multiple point graphs involved in this. Yeah. But um, Craig Ostrin asks, why do you prefer writing video games as two words? Because it's two words. Yeah. I'm against just making things one word for no reason. I mm-hmm. actually... I think they refresh the chat. Like motion pictures is huh? not one word. I think it's yeah. Mo- yeah. I, I think um, I'm a fan for sure of instead of making up a new term for something... <laughs> having the content of what it is define what it is, yeah. I guess. Yep. Like, I'm really glad that the Beatles didn't change their name um, and also didn't declare that they were not making rock music over the course of their existence. Like, right. that's... Uh, also, you have games and you have video games. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It seems to make sense yeah. to me. Video games is two words. Uh, deal with it. <laughs> uh, words. Deal with it is three words. <laughs> Unless it's in a GIF form, in which case it's a compound word. Mohammed al writes, awesome... Awesome dead video games franchises? I don't know what that means. Uh, he wants to talk about video game franchises, uh, Star Control. Oh, that are dead now. Oh, Star Control. Yeah, that's a good one. Good job. Um, other ones? De- oh, other... Uh, uh, Super Black Bass? X-Wing? Um, dead video game franchises? Yeah. Daniel Byrne says, What do you think are the most over and underused game mechanics or tropes? Well, the ones that are overused are most of the ones that are used. <laughs> like, uh, you know, fantasy, sci-fi, ancient evil shit, killing a guy. Those seem pretty overused I really me. like um, third-person, really tactile world traversal, and I feel like that is underused in interesting ways and overused in things like Assassin's Creed, where it's mostly used for just getting it from place to place. Like, games where actually interacting with the... F- physical structure of the space by way of a controller is something that I really, really like, but I don't, there's not a lot of games that use it in a way that I really find interesting. So that's, I don't know if that's over and underused, but that's a thing mm-hmm. that I like. That's all I'm going to say. But someone else can say something that's real. Over, underused. Games. Tropes. Underused, uh, I think, uh, hyper-specific historical moments. Hmm. I think you could do something like also see Assassin's Creed, yeah. but like hyper specific. I would say as opposed to broadly specific, <clears throat> yeah, like yeah, Assassin's yeah. Creed is. 
Right. I hope the stream is still going. The chat's not loading. The stream's going, but the chat... Twitch is just its own... Anybody I know is watching this and it's not working well, text me. <laughs> <laughs> Please do not text him unless that's actually the case. Yeah. God, Twitch. Anyway. Uh, what's next? Um, but no, what I was going to say, sorry, really quick, is that I think you could look at, like, what would... Like, movies do it all the time, but, like, what would it be like to be... Um, on Iwo Jima the day after the flag went up, you know, that sort of mm, yeah, thing, yeah. like that 24 hours. Of, like, what is it like? That's such, <clears throat> I think that's such an interesting thing that games could do. Right. It's sort of like, let's get all the information we have to recreate this moment in time that we should let somebody else experience. And I don't think games do that very well. They could though. Be yeah, awesome. that'd be interesting. Um, Peter says, no question. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Peter. Daniel uh, Rakala says, anything you feel like discussing at the point in time you get to this or Dota 2? playing a lot of dota 2 <laughs> dota 2 has been my like my come down from crunching on the on writing some of the long dead stuff uh-huh and uh it's good for me i think in that respect that i can just it's like my brain just goes in a jar while i play it's nice i kind of like it we're struggling to bring the chat back but so we've lost the chat so it's cool um Shane uh, Rubin says, The PC, the last gaming platform not to get diluted with needless features that reduce the focus of core games a la Connect, Move, Touchpads, etc.? Question mark? Um, can you repeat the question? <laughs> he says, The PC, ellipses. The question basically the last, is it, yeah, is it right, the last gaming right, platform right. to not get diluted with needless oh. features that reduce the focus well, of core games a la Connect, is, Move? The thing is, it has all those things. There's just no gateholder company that can demand them be used in a game. Yep. That's the thing that's valuable about the PC. Where I mean, right. people still make all kinds of ridiculous peripherals for the PC. They're there if you want to use them. Mm-hmm. But no one's ever going to force you to or I, suggest heavily that you should. I think that that's also only looking at one PC, the focus of core games. Uh, that's true in that core games exist on the PC, but that just, you only... PC, it's easier. It's just easier to see only the things you want to see on a PC. Yeah, that's what I mean, basically. Yeah, but like other, I would imagine most gaming time on the PC platform is probably Farmville. Oh yeah, I don't think that's what he's talking about. Though. I know, but just well, yeah, okay, yeah. I think I don't know. Yeah, it's true. PC games. It kind of makes it kind of makes it sound like a very specific, like like entrenched type of person when you're like oh is this the last sort of place that hasn't but been screwed up it, it that always is, kind of is weird to me it's true that with a pc you put most things are played with a mouse keyboard and a gamepad well to me but, the, the be the valuable thing is that, yeah there's there's farmville there's like you know god not god of war there's um uh like call of duty is what i was thinking of like there, there's everything right those are like the extremes right there's yep. everything in between um but there i i think the to me the valuable thing is there is no central PC gatekeeper that is determining which of those is important. Right. That, that's the difference between yeah, yeah, yeah. that and a console. All of is the options someone, are available to you, but they're not. Yeah, there's no. There's, there's no, no one that's prioritized push one or the other. Yeah. Uh, Nicholas Diggers says, "Which Umberto Echo novel is best best suited for a video game spinoff?" None. Uh, none of them. Although, if I Prog actually Cemetery? had to pick one. No, if I had to pick one, I would say The Name of the Rose because it's essentially a murder mystery. Okay. And I would I say Pro- I thought Prog Cemetery was. I haven't read it. No, it's not. It's oh, not. Okay. Uh, yeah, I won't. I think it would be hard to do any of those. But uh, if you had to do one, it would be that. I think. Oh, also, there's a board game 
of the name of the road. Yeah. Oh, man, you, didn't I you try to get Umberto Echo to yes. sign it? And I brought, so Umberto Echo gave a talk, uh, in Cambridge when I lived there. And, um, it was great. And that guy's great. And I just like seeing or reading him talk and it's good. Um, but also I brought my copy of the Prague Cemetery, which had just been released. And I also brought a copy of the name of the rose, the board game. Cause I thought that was hilarious. That's so good. And I got to the front of the line and he signed my book and then I handed him this and he was like very confused when he saw it. It has his name on it too. It's like <laughs> Echo. Echoes. And he was, it, it doesn't say echoes. It says just Umberto Echo, the name of the rose. Oh, man. Like it's, they must've just licensed the name of the book. Yeah. And, and he was like, I cannot sign this. And I was like, Oh, like, just put your name. No, 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 I cannot assign this. It is not mine. <laughs> and I, and like, he was really nice. He wasn't like a butt about it, but like, he was smiling and like, but, but he, I liked that he was unwilling. Yeah. Like, I kind of appreciated that, that he's like, I, I didn't have anything to do with this. I don't know what this is. Sorry. <laughs> it's so good. There's a game of that of all things yeah. for that to be. A it's game actually about. a really fun game. I like it a lot. Oh, I mean, we, play we should it? play it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ricky, I wonder if it's worth what? bringing board games into the stream. We could, we we could try it more time. Yeah. Let us know if you think it's a bad idea. Ricky says Jake's pronunciation of Remo. Oh, as opposed to Remo? Oh, the, Jake's is more correct, but I it's, I say Remo at this point because everyone yeah. in the world does, and I, my brain has been It's adjusted. probably actually somewhere between, though, right? Cause yeah, it's, I mean, it's Remo, Remo would be yeah. what it is, but, yeah. like, yeah, J- the way Jake says it is closer to the reality. Um... The way Jake says it is closer to the reality, says Chris <laughs> once translated out of the original Italian. <laughs> um, I used to say it. I used to say it more like that, actually. I've ch- over the last few years. Because everyone says Chris Remo? Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I've just, it's weird. It's my Sorry for accurately ch- pronouncing your name. No, it's fine. Um, <laughs> why am I a douche? I am in the middle of that gutsy. <laughs> Look at this. Just, uh, one wants. Random Null says demon slash dark oh, souls. Yeah, here, let me, which... What? Where does that go? Which which hand is the? Oh no, Jake's putting on the gold ring for Goatsy for... maximum Goatsy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh no! What? All right. What's on the internet? Uh oh, Demon Dark Souls. I love I love Demon Souls. I haven't played Dark Souls very much yet. I need to find some time to just sit down and play. Yeah, it. the internet wants us to play. We have game. it here in the office on the yeah. computer, but I just haven't done it yet. Um, <laughs> I crashed the stream by starting to play it in the window. <laughs> also, we didn't have we didn't have um, uh, batteries for our controller for a while, so that that mm. also stymied me we originally. But we have them now. Yeah. We have so many batteries now. Why a Remo? Why a Remo? Sorry, I'm reading the chat. Oh, <laughs> uh, oh, those games are great though. They're really really yeah. good. I mean, the uh, we've I think we have actually talked about this on the cast by now. But there's something about the sedate nature of the, you know what's funny actually those games remind me of how um uh tokyo jungle looks in the in like mm-hmm. in that weird video like, specifically like japanese playstation game looking aesthetic we've talked about this aesthetic we have talked yeah. about it yeah where it's very kind of muted and weird and like slightly unreal but not in the same way that that a traditional it's action game is it's it's a weird thing and i feel like it just came it just kind of comes out of those people, it's a, developers who made assets for lower fidelity systems, and I think that it's just to a certain degree. Yeah. Like, I feel like. But you know what else they share that's weird? Like, a specific font that is like a serif. I wonder if that's font. just a localization thing. I think it might be. But the. Actually, no, it's not, because even Final Fantasy games often have that. I font. feel like Raven's PC games for a while were kind of the Western equivalent of this, mm. where you could tell that it's a studio who made a ton of assets for Quake 1, 2, and 3, and then when the art started getting better and better, 
there was a lot of a, a lot of Western developers did this for a while, where just everything was still really hyper sculpted in the way that it was painted and drawn. Like all the textures still had like human skin with really painted in, caved in shadows and folds and cloth and stuff. Even though the games also had bump and normal map on them and stuff. Like, yeah. Oh, right. Where your art yeah. pipeline and your style, just your house style, comes out of we're developing for a system where this aesthetic is what reads well, but now suddenly we're developing for a higher fidelity system. But we're still doing all the weird stuff where, like in Japanese games. You'll paint all the shine into your metal, but then at the same time, it's still shiny. <laughs> right. It's a really weird. Yeah. It's weird. Um, anyway, games. Tarja says, "Whatever you feel like discussing." I feel like discussing a bunch more questions. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Mm. Uh, what do you want to eat after this? Food. Oh uh, yeah, burrito. Um, oh, I've heard you do this great spice rub on a on a meat. <laughs> Twenty four hours to Brian, though. Uh, well, it'll take us that long to finish the <laughs> the ruination cast. I'll be right back. I have to go to the market. Um, Eric Moser says, "Did you guys play BioForge on the PC? I can't remember if it came up, but it seems like a game that might have flipped one of you." I have never played. Bioforge. I never played BioForge. Is that a stra- real time strategy game? I will say, um, for what it's worth, trying to I definitely. Link. I feel like I've I heard try of to that. pursue a lot of game recommendations and. If you at reply me on Twitter with "Hey, I think you should check this out," I probably will. I'm just, it's so we'll take, I, I appreciate yeah. that generally, guys. We'll like, take that's a look how at I found, That's how I found Space Engine and uh, Tokyo Jungle. Yep. And Tokyo Jungle. Uh, Kyle St <clears throat> says "Endless Space" from Amplitude Studios. Did anyone here play Endless Space? Oh, Endless Space. Endless Space. Uh, yeah. I have played it a bit. It's a. Um, I hope I'm thinking of the right game. It's a 4x space game where you. I mean, it's a 4x space game, so you have planets that you control and you send spaceships around to colonize yeah. other planets and you have battles and stuff. Um, it seems really cool. Um, I, the thing about games like that is they seem so many of them seem to be similar to one another with like, you have to learn a bunch of interface differences and a bunch of just weird things depending on how the developer made it. But the core of the game ends up feeling very similar, mm-hmm. you know, like that. I don't know. I, I didn't, I feel like I didn't play enough, the game didn't hook me enough to play enough of it to get past all of the service level di- differences to understand why the core of the game was different from every other 4X space game I've ever played. Which is not to say it isn't. Um, but I, I, for whatever reason, it didn't grab me enough to like figure out why. Uh, so I'm sorry about that. But it, it seemed cool. I mean, it was fun. Like you, you know, send your little spaceships around, you manufacture things. I did like that you could, um, I liked the way that the resource system works where you can build little, uh, like improvements on planets that, are suited towards like the desert planet or like a jungle planet or whatever. And they end up producing things based on that. And like, I don't know, there's a little bit of character there that I enjoyed. Sorry. That was the first time I've seen the actual circle wipe transition when watching. Oh, video. <laughs> oh it's good. <laughs> it's strong. <laughs> no, it was a good choice. Uh, uh, let's see. Lachlan Cooper says, could you describe the last time a game surprised you, whether in the mechanics story or random occurrence? Daisy for me, probably. Yeah. That oh game surprised the shit out of me. Yeah. <laughs> Even having heard a bunch about it, it was surprising to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that game was unspoiled. It was, double, oh, it was the doubly last surprising. Time, though, was Tokyo going... Jungle. The last game that really surprised me was Tokyo uh-huh. Jungle. Like, you keep finding, like, it just, the rabbit hole, geez, that, I've just, said that three times today, but it's just what? Every time you, what? Like, <laughs> yeah. Pet medicine? Galoshes? Uh, what? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I need to play that game. Uh, so, Scott Erm says, were you disappointed at how unwizardly the Diablo 3 wizard was? Also say Puffins. Puffins. Man, I, I have to admit I was. <laughs> I really was. Yep. The guy looked like a like an anime from a Korean MMO or something. Like Really? Yeah, I was not I was not into that wizard. 
It just how is this Spectro Blade? I don't know. I guess it was fine. Like I was not excited by. It. I didn't want to keep playing the wizard. Like it was just so not a classical wizard. It just bummed me out. That's like the that's the slug line of your Diablo three review that you write for the defunct review site that we have. That is, I didn't want to keep playing the wizard. <laughs> <laughs> and like that doesn't mean necessarily that I that I think just a game in that style couldn't look cool. But Diablo is so much about explicitly kind of European Gothic, uh, like architecture and and vibe and like it just it felt very I could be wrong about this but it felt very much like wow these games are like Blizzard games are getting huge in Korea and China like maybe we should maybe we should target those audiences a little bit and like I could be wrong about that but that's kind of what it felt like and it, it just seemed like I don't know it didn't it didn't all seem of a piece to me it seemed very scattershot in that way so uh, Emergent Empire says could somebody describe the rules of the theoretical Idle Thumbs board game? I would love to make a board game. No, no, no. the Idle Thumbs board game is, I imagine, a board game I know. licensed from us. Yeah, but made by us. Yeah. About us. Yeah. Uh, Idle well, Thumbs. I think there would be some, board I think we can do- by Idle Thumbs for Idle Thumbs only. I think there would be some. Fans. There are no, some core mechanics that I think that would exist. I think there would be. I think the sort of like wheel mechanic that Imperial Twenty Thirty has of like cycling oh, yeah. levels. Yeah, we have to play Imperial Twenty. Yeah, that would be an interesting one to put. To do on a stream. Right. Because so many crazy, like, dynamics occur in terms yeah. of people screwing over other people and, like, we do people coming back from nothing. On exploit. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Mm. Yes. That'd be uh, awesome. The and Al- this table would be great for that. Yeah. yeah. The Althum's board game. I think it would definitely have turn cycling. And I think, <laughs> but I don't know what any of the themes would be. You Laughing at your own stuff is, too much. That's the thing, as I was going to say, it's easy to attract it in. The bullshit, but I think yeah. we'd have to spin it off, and it'd have to be some sort of like. Well, you could get mired. You could get mired into horrible emergent discussion about emergent mechanics that you lose eighteen turns now. I yeah. mean, it would be really easy to make the like the game of life version of this, right? right Where it's just yeah. like skip forward, go back, like ba do ba do ba do. Did you play the Penny Arcade board game with me? Was that you? Uh, or the deck building? Yeah, game? I didn't really get it. I was really bummed out by that. It game. was like Penny Arcade versus Evil, but it was just. A bunch of people playing a bunch of cards. Someone, like there was no someone proposes Idle Handler as so. If we use Wine Handler as the template for the Idle Thumbs <laughs> board game, I don't quite know what that would be, but that seems like where we should where we should Doug start. Your meme out, cash. Doug, Doug points out Wiz War, which is a game that we still have somehow not acquired. Yeah, I don't know how that's possible. But there's a game called Wiz War, which obviously we should have. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, so, a Jumanji game in which every time they mention a game, you have to play a round of that game. <laughs> God, the Idle, the Idle Thumbs board game is a weird meta game that then spawns a week of you just playing a bunch of stuff. That would be really helpful for yeah, me. That was Vimes Tom who suggested that. That was yeah. good. Um, Kembot81 says, Games where you have made others cry or incredibly angry. For example, in sixth grade, I made my friend cry because he couldn't beat me at Street Fighter 2. Mm. And a friend of mine left after we all kept repeating stealing his coins and stars in Mario Party 2. <laughs> That's, I got Brett and Ryan Guidry's older brother, who is like 19 and we were 15, to to break an N64 controller in half playing Goldeneye. Wow. Break it. Because he half. thought he was going to beat you as a dumb kid. Who, yeah, and spiked he, it into the ground. Yeah. One of my favorite stories, this is not, so this is neither me nor did anyone cry, but it's just a story I like and it's the only time I can think of bringing it up. So <laughs> I have my friend Tyler, who's one of my oldest, best, closest friends, and um, and he, his name is... Tyler, but he goes by the online handle Crazy Leon with a K, 
And the reason, the reason that that is his username, I wondered this for years and I finally asked him. And he's like, oh, do you remember that game Crazy Ivan for the PC and PS1 that came out in like 1995 yeah. or something? Yeah, you remember that game? I only played the demo of that game, but I, I didn't play it. It was like a mech game that you'd go, it was like Russian mech stuff and you'd go around right. in a big mech called Crazy Ivan. And Tyler was playing that, like, I guess split screen or however it worked on whatever system it was on, PS1, I think. With some friends. Is it Crazy Ivan with a K? Yeah, it's Crazy Ivan with a K. And uh, and they all had to choose. <laughs> They're like, all right, we all got to choose our names for our guys. And they all chose whatever names. And then Tyler chose Crazy Ivan. And they're like, you idiot. You can't choose Crazy Ivan. That's the name of the game. You're an idiot. And Tyler's like, oh, okay, I guess not. And they're like, make up a different name. So he's like, uh. And he just looked at one of the other guys in the room, and his name was Leon. And so he just changed it to Crazy Leon, and that's just been his. What name is this? Crazy Ivan. I thought it was a Crazy Ivan playthrough. No, th- well, this is a cutscene from Crazy Ivan. That Sean, <laughs> oh, Crazy Sean Ivan has FMV sequences. YouTube right now. So this is weird because this is not going to come through to the MP3 version. No. <laughs> so people are not going to hear anything right now. No. Yeah. Oh, is this all cutscene? Yeah, it's bad. There we it's go. pretty bad. Yeah. It's just a mech game. It's just a mech There's game. There's nothing remarkable about it. Um, <laughs> I don't have yeah. any stories about people. Crying. That's it. Oh, yeah. Uh, Vorlanesque says tribes ascend. True, they do. <laughs> I haven't played that, unfortunately. No. Although the original Were you guys tribes into tribes? Cool. I was so into tribes. Yeah, yeah, I was never a tribes player. Oh, man. Nick was into it, too. Um, I don't think we're getting buzzed this time, but there is. I played Lemmings 2 The Tribe. <laughs> um. <laughs> oh, someone also asked, said, we sound really tired. We should do a coffee run. I sound like this because I, I have a cough right now for some reason. So I'm I'm valiantly trying to suppress my cough as much as I can. But yeah. the the other side effect of this is I sound raspy and probably tired and lame. So I'm sorry about that. You should Could, probably close that. In, is it actually sending sound out to the? Don't worry. No. no. The YouTube video is probably sending PC audio to the stream. Yeah, I muted it. Be? Oh, you muted. Yeah, it's uh, almost like I know what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> is that it's a mouse feel? That's not on. Oh, yeah. Um. um well, what's our? Can you give uh, tired excuses for us as well? I'm tired. Oh, these guys are tired. I'm. I'm not that tired. I'm feeling good. That's okay. true. Um, Wrath of Zim says, "Hey, thumbs. This is a question mainly for Chris. Chris. Yes, Jake. I are guess you Wrath of Zim? Are you disappointed that Pikmin Three will not have an online multiplayer or co-op, or do you think that the game would be a lot less fun without the other players in the same room? Um, I think it is less fun if I other play in the same room, but also it would have been nice if they had multi online multiplayer, but also. This means I don't need to worry about buying that game. Yep. <laughs> so it's fine. What I wish is that someone would somehow make Pikmin 2 multiplayer yes, available right. for an internet stream. A thing we do still want to do <laughs> and, that, and that we've started to try and figure out is how to um, do a Saturday stream that is us playing emulated Pikmin 2 on the Office PC, yeah. which would be awesome. And we could play it Some would call that the dream stream. Yes. That it is clearly. What? Would you not call it that, Sean? I don't think I have any. I mean, I know at this stage. we already played the Super Black Bass stream, which is your dream stream. No, I, I feel good about. We can move on. Yeah. Someone says Sean looks the most tired. It's because I have my hood up. <laughs> Solved. Yeah, I mean, that's why. <laughs> there, done. Okay. Um, Brian Crumrich asked a question I will be not able to answer, which is discuss the underrated greatness of the Atari Jaguar, please. Some would say that the Never Atari ja- uh, Jaguar's greatness is underrated. Corey Bloor says, 
when I oh, did you, I never played any of the Jaguar. No, because it, it was like you, well, you never had consoles, but it was also like nine hundred bucks, wasn't it? Wasn't it just? Oh, like, was it really? It was super like six hundred. It was really expensive. Jaguar had a lot of bits. Five hundred ninety nine U.S. dollars. I'm sure there were good things about the Jaguar, but none of us played it because none of our parents would yeah. buy us a Jaguar. Um, it's probably underrated, though. Does the chat say that it's underrated? Yeah, people are saying, why don't we just use the Dolphin emulator? Yeah, that's exactly what yeah, we're doing. Yeah, I'm playing with my clothes because I can't figure emulator. if I'm hot or yeah. cold. I kind of oscillate in between temperatures. It's been very <clears throat> difficult for me. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Weird. Um, <coughs> sorry, a question from my mom is coming up. Oh, really? But we're first. <laughs> Corey Bloor says, when I listen to the podcast, I feel almost like I'm hanging out with a bunch of friends, but you guys don't even know me. It's weird how that connection goes only one way. I agree entirely, but from both sides of that, because I, like just listening to other podcasts or meeting, even just meeting a game designer who you've read interviews with over like the entire course of your life, and then seeing them in person, it's not. It's so awkward for me when I first do. That. I, I've gotten better at it just yeah. because I end up going to GDC all the time and I end up meeting people through my job. But it's turned into such a weird dork because the because just like you want to suddenly start talking to people about about things that you've experienced that they've created or even weirder in in modern world a thing that they posted to twitter a little while ago or whatever but like mm-hmm. yeah um it also used to weird me out when i would go to pax and an idle thumbs listener would recognize me from my photo on like moby games <laughs> and come up to me but i've also gotten a lot better about that yeah i think so it used to make me a complete weirdo i'm sorry to anyone who's ever we're definitely at our <laughs> i feel like because we're like we're definitely at our worst at those shows which is the which is bad that's where all that's where all that's you guys where, are that's where anyone who actually so it's really yeah. terrible like i would love to just bump into a reader in on the streets of san francisco and i'm having a good day and be like hey like, like yeah. That happened to me a bunch of times earlier this year. It has not happened to me in a while. But, like, I had a weird string in the first few months of 2012 of, like, a bunch of people come up come up to me in the streets and being like, are you Chris from Idle Thumbs? It was very weird. Someone in chat, uh, Murdoch M, says, I met Jacob Hex once. It was weird. I didn't mention Idle Thumbs. <laughs> um, uh, what do we got next? Susan Rodkin. What does she have to say? I, my mom asks the question that a mom would ask, which is good. Um, my mom asks, what will you be talking about as the newest innovation in gaming in five years? <laughs> mom, I have, I have no idea. Mm. What will be and what would we hope to be? Uh, a few years ago, probably I prob- the, the PS3 because the year of the PS3 is 2015. And I think that'll last. I think the shock of that will last a few years. We'll be, we'll be following out the... <laughs> I have yeah. What, I want to actually give a good answer to this because it's my mom. Your mom. The answer is I have no idea what to say about that because a couple of years ago, I would have been fixated on the fact that everyone's making a bunch of really goofy controllers and peripherals for everything, and that will just ex- extrapolate out until everyone barfs from like that was our old idle thumbs thing was talking about the future of the dark future of gaming is that you have like heart sensors on all of your fingers while you're strapped to two Tony Hawk controllers with like three DJ hero controllers. Uh, a terrible future of games. Yeah. That felt like five years ago. Yeah. That was like, that was, where we that were. was where Activision and EA were, they were all about that in like 2008. And then that, that peaked when idle thumbs was dead. Actually the Tony Hawk controller, uh, seems like that was the, they hit the, the, the mountaintop of shame of that weird, of that, that, that branch died off around then. But, like, right now, I have no idea. Yeah. Like, everyone likes to proclaim what the future of games is or what the death of things are like. 
Zynga is just eating itself alive right now, whereas a year or so ago, people would have said, that's going to take over everything that's ever going to happen. Yeah. So it's no, I really, agree. I don't know. Really Mom, really I don't know. Hard. I'm sorry. It's really, really tough. Uh, Luke Jones Sexton says, sorry, boys, I got nothing. It's okay, Luke Jones Sexton. You have a cool name. You have a cool name. <laughs> Fucking cool name. Speaking of that, B.W. Dietrich says, uh, <laughs> sorry, speaking of names. I would like to know about the various Idle Thumbs listening habits. What music do the Thumbs like, respectively? I love detail. Also, bonus extra question. Do any of the Thumbs care for philosophy in their spare time? Sean? <laughs> philosophy? <laughs> uh, you know what? I, reading Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance like a year ago got me into a place where I'm ready to go bonkers with philosophy, but it'll have to be a time when I'm ready to do that. Uh, but I thought the book was like, that book was a really uh, awesome primer for like here's some shit you should think about and here's some shit that philo- like philosophy um doctors think about doctorates that's what i meant to say but uh i listen to i've been listening to a lot of rihanna and Nicki minaj that's true yeah we <laughs> yeah. you've talked about this i'm on this weird those two pop kick and i can't explain it i gotta jump back a couple questions because uh door selfin in the chat says i met nick at e3 it was great we started by talking about jake's tweets <laughs> so that's the worst thing that i've read now that's tremendous yeah that's fine um yeah yeah i don't know why but normally i listen to uh bands i really like like or i like blitz and trapper a lot i like them a lot um i like uh a lot of stuff that's probably today at hardly strictly bluegrass i like a lot of that stuff Chris, you want to go? Um, I've not been listening to as much music now as I used to, which is a real shame. Um, because I all my time, I feel like, is already occupied, which sucks. But uh, I guess my probably my favorite currently performing bands are uh, Dr. Dog and The Flaming Lips. Oh, I love Dr. Dog. Yeah. I've been a big fan of both of them for, like, basically, I, I don't know, 10 years-ish? Um, Dr. Dog I've been listening to pretty much since they existed, and then Flaming Lips since i guess the soft bulletin which is probably when a lot of people started listening to them a lot of the music that i listen to is stuff that sean or chris suggest to me so um what's the last good recommended we threw at you i don't remember there's that album that you keep you like trampled by turtles i like trampled by Tur- i like a lot of bluegrassy stuff and you like andrew bird and i like andrew bird yeah that's fair andrew bird is cool and i'll Dr. give you the new, i'll give you the new Nicki minaj uh, you'll hate it <laughs> <laughs> you don't know that you don't know what i hate oh We'll see. He, he I'll do it though. Assume, yeah. Educationally, uh, Corey Kreitz. <laughs> Sorry, my favorite album is Fifty Cent's "Get Rich or Die Trying." Hilarious. Sean Denham, twenty twelve. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Sometimes I do go down like these like very specific cultural alleyways. Oh man! Just because I'm really <laughs> curious about them, and then I'll find myself lingering there for yeah. far too long. And then I just have to cop to it. Uh huh. That's kind of what happened with uh, Nicki Minaj in particular. I was in a coffee shop last night reading, and there was a guy to my right on a laptop, and then another guy to his right on a laptop, and the guy just to my right was watching like eight hundred videos that were like news reports on that 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 Korean pop star Psy yeah. who released that song Gangnam Style with that crazy music video that's been like right. just a complete phenomenon. Twenty twelve Macarena, yeah, uh, YouTube hits. And it was hilarious hearing the guys, these guys talk about it and having no frame of reference for anything, including even what South Korea is as a country. Like, they, they, was, they were just like, yeah, I guess this guy just like put a crazy video on, you, on YouTube and like, 
now it's he's just some dude who like nobody ever heard of before and then he put this thing and now like 75 million people have seen it and some guy was like wow that's crazy I'm totally trying to get into the music industry that's really inspirational I should just put a thing up on YouTube and maybe that'll happen to me what? where's this guy from oh it's Korea which one is he from North Korea like, oh. how would you even think that that's a possibility no he's not like it was crazy just hearing these guys keep going on and just I like it, no... the narrative of somebody in their apartment in North Korea putting uh, I know. a YouTube music video I know, becoming right. a sensation yeah exactly this is like a like Okay, so a guy in like the most repressive, like locked off country in the world puts a crazy video of himself prancing around like a horse onto the internet, and then it becomes the biggest thing ever. And now this guy also, is the like, world's biggest. The production value on Gangnam Style is yeah. that's probably yeah. some guy thought that was just video. some guy making it like on his own with a camcorder or something. He's like, I don't know. I guess it's he put effort into it clearly, but like, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's a thing. Hopefully that was. Good. That said, what? there is that North Korean all accordion performance of Take On Me. That's that's true. So that's worth yeah. looking at on YouTube. Yeah. Um, um, uh, Corey Kreitz says Mass Effect 3. I don't think either any of us have played that. I hear there was some controversy over the ending of Mass Effect 3. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think we've we've talked about in the cast. <laughs> yeah, we talked about it as as ignorant jerks. We're all we sort of like <laughs> opposed to the philosophically opposed to changing the ending. I, yeah. I don't speak for everyone. At least I am. I would change it. Pat- I don't know anything. About, I don't know anything about that content. I, I can't. Patrick uh, Kirkner says Jagged Alliance two. Did any of us play Jagged Alliance two? I played. I can't even remember if I played one or two. I played Jagged Alliance a majillion years ago. I mean, it's cool. You know what got me to play Jagged Alliance was um, the three moves ahead discussion of Jagged Alliance. Oh yeah, those guys had such revelry for that it? game that uh, it's oh, God. It's tough though because they're, they they mean reverence. Reverence. That's what I meant. They have such reverence for that game that uh, it's hard. I was like, okay, man, I'm going to love this. I'm going to love this. Yeah. It was just like, uh, it's too much for me. <laughs> it, right, was, right, right. it was just, I wasn't yeah. there at that moment in time. And yeah, it was like, well, I kind of like watching you guys play XCOM, to be honest. Mm. Like, it felt like I was like, oh, man. Like, it made me actually just pissed that I didn't have that game in my library when I was sure, yeah. that age when it came out. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I don't know, I have that feeling about a lot of games. Games were like that in a lot of ways, where if you weren't kind of if you didn't grow up with a, with a certain thing, it's actually much harder to play them because you have to learn not just how to appreciate a game, but how to actually just play it at all. Yeah. Yep. And like, that's not a thing you have to do with most things. Like you don't need to, you mean, everyone learns how to read or hopefully everyone learns how to read at a young enough age. And then from that point, it's like, you know, understanding how to like appreciate reading. It's not past a certain age. You don't need to actually learn how to read new words really. Um, or movies, how to like watch a movie newly, but with games, you, you have there's the appreciation side of it, but then there's also just I physically can't do this. Like this is hard for me to physically do. That's a weird thing about games, and it's super genre specific. It's not games in general. It's like this one strain of games that oh I happen to play that as a kid, so it's second nature for me. I've never played this before, but I've played a million other games, and this is still really hard for me because I just don't know how to do it. Yep. So that's a weird thing. <clears throat> Henry Croft says. Can't think of one, so I'm just going to give an EA Presents. Thomas Hardy's The Slayer of Caster Bridge. <laughs> good. All right, good. EA Presents. I miss those. Yeah, I do too. James McLaughlin says, I can't even think of a decent one to ask. That's okay, James. Dylan Cruz says, 
Moving several times and starting a family has made me realize how cumbersome games, books, and records are, for that matter, can be. I still hold on to them, though imagining my children will someday want to share my nostalgia. Now that I have kids, though, I'm starting to wonder if it's just been an excuse not to let go. For some reason, games don't feel as timeless as books or music. So what do you do with your old systems and games? Do you ever give, sell or give away games to free up space, or do you just keep adding to the pile? I've always given away old systems. Always. I don't know why. I got rid of almost yeah. all my game stuff when I moved back to San Francisco. Yeah, I used to have a huge just collection of game boxes, and I kept the, like, it's down to probably eight or so that are really actually yeah. interesting or meaningful to me just as a person, but my, my hard copy games library is gone. I, actually, that's not true. All of my console games I still have, even though I don't, like, I have a billion GameCube games still because that was the console that I bought the most games for probably since I, since being a kid, and I still yeah. have all of them. Yeah. And I should remove them. I remember when I was I was a kid, and um, I can't remember what system I had. I think I might have had, like, a PlayStation or an N64. And uh, my dad, uh, there was a there was um, some a family in our extended family who um, was just, like, very like, poor, like this really the sort of like lower, like a uh, lower class um, family in our fan in our extended family. And my dad gave them, I think my place, my, no, 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 my NES with just a shitload of games that I had. And I was so pissed at him. I remember. And it was like such a snotty thing to be pissed about. And my dad just got, got pissed at me and said, look, this is why I did it. And he just like shamed me. Yeah. <laughs> I remember being like so shamed when I was, yeah. however old I was, and I think that, like, it happened at such an age that, like, now when I have stuff like that, like, my Wii is a good example. I'm just like, just give it to somebody. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I think that's, I don't know. I guess it's a good, that's a good thing that's happened. So, but I'm also, I shed detritus a lot. <laughs> like, I'm always giving away my stuff. Like, books, if I've read it and somebody's like, oh, I'd love to read them, like, just take it. Have it, yep. Yeah. If it's a hardcover that I want to keep for a long time, I have a few of those. Like, my copy of um, um, To Kill a Mockingbird, I'm never going to give away. But uh, mostly it's like, yeah, just take it if people want. Yeah. Uh, Jason Oresti says, sports, do you play any? If not, why? Yeah, I play – I mean, I grew up playing lots of sports. Yeah, I, grew up, football, I grew up playing sports, golf. but I don't anymore. Uh, I here. played corporate softball at Disney a lot. Um, I play softball with Tully sometimes. Um, Adam and I – well, it's mostly baseball stuff now, I guess. Uh, what else? Like to run? Oh, I'm into running, I guess now, which is a weird thing. Yeah, my wife sport. got me into running. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it is. Um, yeah. If not, why? I don't know. I'm slovenly at this point. <laughs> David Sean says, "My favorite games: Full Spectrum Warrior or X-Wing slash Tie Fighter. You you pick. Your pick, he says. What's your favorite games? Your, your pick. My favorite games." I'm I'm always terrible about these questions when it comes yeah. not just to games but anything. I'm just I'm favorite not movie, favorite book. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think yeah. the easiest answer or the the way that, that I like I don't know what my favorite games are at this point, but the things that made me aware of and interested in games when I was a lot younger were probably Monkey Island Two, LeChuck's mm. Revenge, and Super Mario Brothers Three. Those were the first two things that I played that made me actually think about the thought that went into constructing them and they sort of stuck with and informed a lot of my interests in games over a long time. But like, <laughs> those are probably not like if I had to make a top of the list games in my life, I don't know if those would, where those would chart at this point, but those are definitely the two first times that I went, oh, interesting. This is, you know, yeah. games can be more than X or Y or the, you know, just 
that was for me for sure. Those two things uh, for me for me those were, um, and I, I think I've mentioned this before, but for me those were uh, SimCity and Civilization One, uh, which is interesting because for the decade following those games, like for much of the '90s, I was playing stuff that I mean I was still playing Civilization and SimCity, but like a lot of what I became even more invested in were like LucasArts adventure games mm-hmm. and uh, like real time strategy games and stuff like that. It's um, it's, it's funny with. Civ, with Civ and SimCity, I played both those like when they came out, and I was excited by them. But they were games that I was still really sort of blind to what they were doing. I just mm. was sort of going, "Oh, I love SimCity. I love building a city, or I love being a civilization." But I never. It took me a really long time before I thought about what they were actually doing as games. Whereas with, for some reason, with a platformer and an adventure game, I thought about I thought about that stuff a ton. Well, it makes sense. The things they're doing is like. The thing that a platformer or adventure game is doing is localized to an individual character. Yeah. So like you can get your mind around that, yep. especially as a kid. Like kids watch a cartoon that's yep. about a character going on doing things. Like I, that's probably the same for me. I mean, I, um, I, I, pl- I did play a ton of, especially Civ One. I played a bajillion hours of Civ One, but like I don't know if I necessarily knew why right. it was impressive. But I, yep. I did like it a lot. You know, yep. I mean, I played a ton of it. Um, but yeah, as you say, I probably didn't fully have a perspective on yeah. that until until later. And maybe that's probably why I ended up playing a bunch of the uh, adventure game stuff is because, you know, it did, it was a lot more directly like, here's your guy doing things and, you know, I think I probably grabbed onto that. That, oh man, I'm going to, do you want to, do you have an answer to this? No, we can wait. Okay, I, I was going to divert for half a second because it reminded me of a thing which is I did a lot of my gaming as a kid on a Mac and I was into ruining my parents' computer really actively so I had, I had, uh, a piece of Apple software on there called ResEdit, which was the uh, Apple system resource editor. And that, like my copy of Monkey Island 2, you, you couldn't get into the art because it was hidden in binary data, but I could you could pull all the sound samples out, you could pull all the UI elements mm. out. And that was also a really a reason that I think a lot of... that I don't know where I'm going. Fuck, I had a thing that I was going <laughs> to say. Delete it now. It's, it's interesting if you're a pc gamer versus a console gamer that you as a kid if you're curious about how that stuff is made you actually had the power to tear open that stuff and look around even right. just with the development tools that the manufacturer of the hardware gives you like i think that's um i mean apple II. people like about that on apple II all the time is that you don't have a disc in there there's a, a basic compiler pops up but it's weird to think about i had sorry i hadn't thought about my young gaming life as a Mac gamer was really often tearing games apart, swapping all the art and music assets out, dubbing my own stupid voice into it, and like that aspect of it was a huge part of of that. Anyway, what am I talking about? Games, games, games. I wonder if there's a hard drive somewhere. James Seabock says I've got my <laughs> Apple IIgs in the oh, attic, man. and that if I if you plug that thing in, it's the most ruined computer you've ever seen. Uh. The trash can is a scanned. I, like Apple IIgs icons can be any fucking size, which was weird. <laughs> so there's like a scan of Yoshi out of the Super Mario World manual that I converted into an icon that takes up like two thirds of the monitor that you dump files into, and then it plays a sound effect of the warp drive from Star Trek: The Next Generation whenever you open or close any window. Ooh, you would, my parents were so mad at me. It's garbage. Anyway, um, these are there's some weird topics coming up. James Seabox says favorite space games, older older new, along with any great stories about said space game. Star Control 2 or Privateer better be mentioned. Hell yeah, Star Control 2. My, the best space games for me that I that stuck with me the most are probably, yeah, Star Control 2 and uh, TIE Fighter. Um, yeah, I love that. Those were, those were easily among my favorite games through all of the 90s, by which I, like, I mean, they're still among my favorite games, but when I say in the 90s, I mean, in other words, I 
continued playing them for hours and hours and hours all throughout that decade, basically. It's funny. I loved it's like, those games. Like, <clears throat> I thought... I played TIE Fighter and X-Wing versus TIE Fighter, which I thought were fun and awesome. But, like, as games that, like, just walloped me, actually playing that stupid Neptune's Pride, Neptune's Pride oh, Neptune's with everybody, Pride, yeah. like, just... Wait, so you never played TIE Fighter? I think I Because that one was, have. like, head and shoulders above the other two. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, TIE Fighter was the one. I feel like I've played it. Neptune's um, Pride was Neptune's a crazy Pride game. Awesome. That game, like, yeah. we were talking about that game last night, actually. Oh, cool. Like, it, uh, we, had a fr- we went to a friend's birthday oh, party. I totally played it. We played a, we yeah. played a couple work games. They were life destructive, and I feel like like that. I still carry that experience around with me a lot, and I think about the fun of that game in this in its systems and how that can influence whatever is to come. I think about the game a lot, and also um, Space Engine, which is just basically you fly around mm-hmm. like you Maya camera around the universe, literally the universe, <laughs> yeah. and uh, that game can again just wallop you over the head with your where you live where you are inside of that universe yeah uh alistair craig says in chris ramos mall jam game unbearable you use the likeness of friend and longtime thumbs devotee john papal for the character oh josh papal for the character of max ides is this casting uh canonical and if so does this license him to use the name (laughs) for future publicity photos and fan film appearances thank you for keeping the dream alive um so yeah, uh, one the game the I did soundtracks for several games at Molly Jam, but the one that I actually worked on the most in like multiple capacities was Unbearable or How They Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bear, and that was a crazy game where you have three there are three perspectives. There's a top down third person perspective. There's a first person perspective where you are the bear and you go around hugging other people. Then there's a second person perspective showing the bear himself. So that this is not our game. Uh, so you, so you can, uh, see, um, the bear's status and health and stuff like that. Um, and one of the things that I did was solicit people's headshots on Twitter so that we could name, we could, all the characters in the games were actual, were people from the internet mm-hmm. and we used their heads as little icons in the game. And then at the end of the game, we had like an RIP screen or they lived screen showing right. whether that character's alive or dead. And I wrote a little alive or dead state for each one of those characters. And I put Max Ides in there attached to this guy, I guess, Josh Papau, because just because he was bald and looked like he might be a Max Ides looking guy. So there was no thought put to that other than a Thumbs fan might see a Max Ides name and think that's funny. Yep. And this guy <laughs> might look like that. So I'm not sure if that's, uh, if that's, it's probably not canonical. It's probably not canonical. Um, Kevin Yachney said he says Steam sales affecting the industry, especially with indie games. Um, he spelled indie with a Y, so I can only assume he's talking about Indiana Jones and his desktop adventures, which I don't think is currently on Steam. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, or um, uh, NASCAR games. Or I mean, uh, uh, Formula oh, One. Oh, F one. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think he means Steam sale events or like Steam sales figures generally? I imagine he means Steam sale events because that's usually what people say when they say uh-huh. Steam sales. But yeah, I don't know. I don't think it's affecting the industry broadly very much. Like, I don't think anyone's going to like change what game they're making because there might be a Steam sale. I think, right. I think what it does do though, mainly for independent developers, is allow them to rely a little bit more on catalog sales and not always only be living or dying based on the sales of the most recent thing they released at full price. Right. I think that's what's really important about it. 
Zach says, please talk about Trine 2 or something generally Trine related. You should probably play the Trine song from Idle Thumbs on your guitar right now. <laughs> I don't remember what it is. Oh, it's you saying Trine, 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 Trine. Yeah. That's basically what it is. <laughs> the guitar is on We used. should play Trine 2. Trine 2 is cool. I did yeah. play it. Um, yeah, I've played, I played, I played it, the first Trine. And I liked it. Um, I think I actually took notes on it on my phone. Let me dig those out. Um, but uh, like months ago when I played it. It was really cool. I think I played it before we got the cast started up again, so I didn't um, mention it again. And also, it was Trine 1 we talked about a lot because it was a really unique thing and it was a crazy concept for a crazy game. Um, But then Trine 2 was was essentially more of that, which is totally fine. Um, But I didn't – I guess I didn't take notes on it. Um, It didn't uh, (laughs) – sorry. It didn't – Ruined. I can't remember things about it offhand that stuck in my brain as really discussion worthy because it was essentially trying, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, yeah, but it was cool. If it you like trying, you right. can play Doesn't, Did Trine 1 have co-op? Yeah. 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 It did. Okay. Yeah. There was a wizard I in it as well. It. I only played it single player. Mm-hmm. Trine yeah. 1. Uh, yeah. Anyway, trying games. Any chance. Oh, Stupay asks any chance of hearing some build theory for either starcraft 2 or diablo 3 preferably for starcraft but if you haven't got a lot to say i'm sure you can find things to talk about when it comes to playstyle in diablo 3 maybe there are just so many possibilities and options in starcraft 2 and even as someone who only plays it super casually it's really fascinating to hear how each individual chooses to approach the game want to talk about starcraft 2 for a sec chris just like what's your style like 18 months ago i could have talked a lot about this because i was playing it with nick brecken like every day we were watching pro matches all the time, so I had lots of thoughts about that. I have no idea what the current metagame is like in StarCraft II. Um, I only really ever play Protoss, and like basically only ever have played Protoss ever since StarCraft One. Mm-hmm. So that's my style is playing Protoss. Do you, are you like super? <laughs> oh, like, so you, do you rec- find so you recommend Protoss? <laughs> Nick and I would. Nick and I. Um, also, the other weird thing is. Especially in StarCraft 2. In StarCraft 1, I played a lot of 1v1 in Brood War. But in StarCraft 2, like 90% of what I played was 2v2 with Nick. So those strategies are probably not even applicable to a 1v1 thing. But Nick and I would – we tried to perfect a lot of early game rushes because – That's what I was going to ask about. Yeah. So we would often – I can't even remember specific builds. But like, you know, we we would really narrow it down to like, all right, when you've got exactly this many workers on your minerals and like when you have this much supply, okay. you're going to start building, you can open up your gateway and then you're going to start building zealots and this and that. Like I can't remember any of the specifics anymore because that's, that stuff is so uh, precise that right. it's no point in me saying it unless I can be really yeah. confident about it. That's kind of, I mean, spin off. Jeez, yeah. We can probably keep going. What was the longest door open and close in the history he did it on of purpose. Do- he should have okay. ignored God, him. I was trying to ignore him. Yep. <laughs> While Jake is gone, we should have a contest for who, who replaces Jake on the podcast permanently. From the, uh, oh, that's the a good idea. Yeah. If you think you should replace Jake permanently, please don't write the questions at idlethumbs.net. Write him. Because we already have too many emails. Yes. Please write Jake at idlethumbs.net and say why you want his job, his free job that he's not actually paid to do. What do we got? Except in love. Um. do. So, uh, Abilio Carvalho says, The Portuguese First Republic and how its chaos inevitably led to the dictatorship and parallels to the current economic turmoil in Europe. Um, I would say how the chaos in the Portuguese First Republic, 
I think it inevitably led to the well, dictatorship. Well, you first of all think, think about Portugal some, as a country. Well, I think there's some, Sean, I think there's some parallels there to the current economic turmoil. Oh, Europe. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Undeniably. Mm-hmm. Undeniably. Mm-hmm. I mean, just think of the turmoil in Portugal oh, at the ah, time. And the chaos. The chaos and the turmoil. Yeah. And just think of the chaos and the turmoil now economically. Just think about that, how it inevitably led to the dictatorship. Just, I mean, think about that. Think Absolutely. about that. While you're thinking about that, think of the current economic turmoil in Europe, and I think some parallels will draw themselves. I completely agree. Yeah. Who was that? Uh, that was Abilio Carvalho. Abilio, thank you very much. Yeah. Really insightful. Mm-hmm. And I Tim, hope I hope our analysis was co- was cogent. Yeah. Tim Crook says, "What are everybody's thoughts on video games lying or tricking the player, whether through narrative or tricky game mechanics?" E.g. the end of Bioshock when you discover who Atlas is, or the end of Shadow of the Colossus when you discover what you were doing. And in the end of Super Mario Bros. 2 where the mushrooms kill you rather than make you grow. Or Metal Gear Solid where you have to switch controller points to defeat Psycho Mantis. As a player, I think the unspoken bond of trust between player and designer seems strange. Why does assume that what you're being told or experiencing is based on truth or can be trusted? I'd love to see this explored more in games or hear of any games that do this. Uh, Epic Mickey thoughts, Epic Mickey bonus points for discussing this without spoiling any games you mentioned. This is something that I think is starting to run its course a little bit. Um, uh, Spec Ops did a very, very similar thing. And I, it's funny, actually. I was talking about this exact thing with JP last night, like this precise topic. And I think we both kind of are of the opinion that it's – oh, I did that. <laughs> it's because this is what is on video and it's weird. Also – um, and, uh, and, um, it's a thing that when, when the point you're making is expressly reliant on kind of subverting an understood, uh, relationship between player and designer, like that's a, that's a cool thing to do. Bioshock did that. As the guy says, like it was a really cool moment in Bioshock, but it's also something that I feel like it's hard to do too many times without, okay, it's been done. Like someone did that. Great. Um, like you're essentially making a point about games more than you are making a point about other things. Like there are implicit points there about human nature and about kind of doing what one is told and so on and so on. But principally more than anything else, it's about just how video games work. And that's, that's not, there's nothing wrong with that, but I feel like it's only a very limited, it's a very, very limited thing of what you could be making points about. And I feel like often when game designers decide to like make a subversive point or, or, you know, say something crazy. Often, the, they just end up making a point about video games or right, something right, right. crazy about video games. It'd be like at the end of, of a movie if the last scene it showed the audience sitting there watching it, having right. wasted the past two hours right. of their life. Yeah, yeah. You know. And it's like that's yeah. you can't do that too many times before you get it. Like I get it. Right. Sure. It's a movie. It's a video game. You got that being me. said, like mechanical subversion of expectation, I think is great. Like you mentioned the mushrooms in the end of Super Mario Two. Like. Good point. Like, I think that stuff is great. It's like, oh, wait, now it's everything. Okay, throw out everything I've learned. That is now the challenge. Like, I think that stuff is fantastic. But I think this stuff you're talking about is sort of the, like, the gotcha ending that is, that again, is a comment more on video games than anything else. And I completely agree with that. But I do think um, Chuck Jordan actually wrote a really great piece about um, establishing player expectation through theme and mechanic and then going on to subvert it in calculated ways to produce, and like, a good game. And I thought that was a, like a really great piece that he wrote. That was probably like two two years ago on his. Spectre what was like? What was an blog. example that he gave? It's a good question. Okay, it's a really good question. Do you remember liking the article? Okay, that's yeah, the article is fantastic. But um, and I think that's I think good design does it all the way through. But uh, like what have I become 
that sort of I am the monster sort of thing, I think is uh, that is yeah a little tired. Uh, Jean Robertdo says, compare and contrast working for Gama Sutra versus Irrational <coughs> versus Duke Marin versus Double Fine versus Telltale versus Indie and reasons for the changes. Well, <laughs> I mean, you've talked a little bit about Irrational versus Gama Sutra and stuff mm-hmm. like that already on this. Um, yeah, versus Double Fine, yeah. I went to Telltale because uh, I felt... I liked the fact that the teams were small, the games came out fast, and uh, they live and died sort of by the creative that was inside them, like uh, as opposed to being at a big publisher where I didn't feel like I get my thumbprints on anything. And I think that's important. I think for, you know, I think you can, if you were to start and grow a studio with just sort of philosophically understanding how important it is for people to be able to put the thumbprints of their, of their work into the game, then I think if you can do that sustainably, you've made something really special. So, you know, I don't really know what that means oh, for jumping around the industry, but that's... I mean, that's a big reason I'm a double fine now. Yeah. I, just, I like the smaller scale of everything from the company to the projects. That's really nice. I've only ever worked in the games industry at Telltale or unpaid writing weird stuff on my own, so I don't really have any points of comparison. But, hey, hi, guys. Um. Okay, Brian... Gardner says, Warrior of Rome 2 for the Sega Genesis. <laughs> Amazing split-screen strategy game ahead of its time. Anybody play it? I didn't. I didn't. I didn't own a Genesis. I didn't have, we were Nintendo boys, and yep. you had no console. All right. Warrior of Rome 2, though, maybe. We'll find maybe ourselves. Maybe Saturday stream. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dominic Harmon says, What did you think of Dear Esther, and do you see it opening the door to a new type of interactive fiction? I hope so. I mean, I you know I think Dear Esther is a door opening, in my opinion. It's not because I think it was financially successful, how well it did right when it hit Steam. Um... So yes, I think. But what did I think about the game? I I found I found it really interesting, but lacking as a full experience. I wish that I just wanted more. And I think be more dynamic. Yeah, I think Dear Esther's success is more door opening than what Dear Esther did mechanically. Because I, I, I think if you're if you've been <clears throat> playing interactive fiction and first person stuff, and all, like Dear Esther was a it, Dear Esther in and of itself does things that a lot of other things did but it the way that it was constructed obviously hit really well with people and its success is great because hopefully it means more people are interested in things like Dear Esther the thing that does that I do have like insane respect for is just the how the production value of what they they choose to choose to bite off Mm -hmm. for an indie team just in what that world yeah, looks just, and feels like that's this thing when I think about making an indie game we're like how the fuck do you get that yeah for that you can tell like, that they specifically said here are the things Dear Esther is going to tackle and here are the things that we're not going to even touch and they're just inherently they're just talented yeah. people they're yep. just talented like uh, guys and girls I just felt the need to say guys and girls because I was say guys and then I threw in girls <laughs> and I felt sub- subconscious so now I've now said that good I'm gonna stop Alex Ashby <laughs> says for <laughs> Idle Thumbs I'm Alex Ashby thanks Alex oh no Alex Ashby says <laughs> That would be weird if he said that. He says, I work alone from home and have to use uh, tricks to keep myself motivated and productive. My most surprising realization was that listening to music lowered the quality of work rather than increased it. What are your tips for getting stuff done and pushing through the periods when you feel like shit or that what you're doing is worthless? Ooh. So you you caught me at a good time. I I don't... (laughs) (laughs) I've been writing a lot, like, for Telltale um, nonstop for... A little bit now on a tight schedule and I think it's all really bad uh, I don't know what tricks I have I know there are hours of the day 
that I write better. It's just biologic or something. Yeah. Biological, excuse me. And there, so I try to make sure that I'm high energy, well fed, have no other, nothing else going on in those windows. And it's like five hours yeah. a day. And that's kind of know your process. I think that was the thing that college actually taught me the best when it's just like, do all this work. We don't give a care if it's bad, Like just do it. It's going to be bad because you're in college. You're, you're 19, but do this or we're kicking you out. It's just made you figure out your process, figure out what makes you actually work. Yeah. Also for me, I've found that I don't really like working from home at all. I like, um, one thing that's been really interesting is having the idle thumbs office because when I'm like working from home or I, I actually am just working from the idle thumbs office mm-hmm. and it allows my brain to trick itself into thinking, I'm in an actual office environment. Um, right. So I, I like working at, in an office, like most of the time, you know, like, I mean, I, I go to work every day at Double Fine and I love being in that. I love working out of that right. office and being surrounded by cool people. Um, and I'm not very good at just working from, like I, when I worked at Chat News, I worked from home and I had to like, you know, it got bad because I got to the point where I was just working all the time because I forgot to separate work from home. Yeah. Um, and so it's nice, even if I'm not working in like my full-time office office, real job, Having a place like the Idle Thumbs office where I can just come mm-hmm. and be at a desk in front of a computer in a room that obviously is an office. Uh, I like that. It's mm-hmm. a cool thing to have access to. We're kind of lucky in that respect. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm really good at working from home. Like I have mm-hmm. a whole – that's where I'm actually most productive. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And then I find a cutoff and that time is it. Yeah. Like, that's good. That's like, a good skill to have. Yeah. I mean it's – Yeah. Uh, Nicholas Hansen says, "Gog seems to be get plenty, getting plenty of games from the publishers these days. Do you think the publishers' motivation is more engaging interest in old IP than any small profits they might make?" It's certainly, I mean, they're looking to make money. It's probably not more what they're. It's probably right, but it's it's an added. It's a va- I think it's a value cases. add to think, going through the paces. I think a also, lot of it is just. Ahead. Well, I think Gog is big enough at this point that they can go to publishers and say. For minimal effort, you can get money out of these old games. Like I think GOG just must, at this point, after years of existence, have the sales data that they can say, "You guys blew us off a cu- blew us off a couple years ago, but now we have we can show you." Publisher yeah. X did this minuscule amount of work and like whatever wrapped their games in DOSBox, and now they just have this long term slow burn cash that's coming in. It's like your bottom line will look better for nothing. And also, I suspect that when a publisher is considering bringing back an old game series. Um, they probably are doing so much market research and weird like P&L crap to figure out if that's the case that they're probably not relying on something like GOG, which is a really specific audience that already does yep. like old games. So I think what's actually more likely, weirdly, if a publisher is going to bring an old game back, what they'll probably do is hold off putting it on GOG until they can tie it into their marketing plan for the new game. And then like six months before the game comes out, be like, get excited about this franchise, right? Because right. you're going to get a new one in six months. Like that, that I think is a thing that probably that's not surprising, or that wouldn't be surprising. Yeah. Peter Tomat says, "What was your first album, or alter, or alternately favorite theatrical experience?" Oh, oh man, for me, I I'm sure I ha- I, I think I had like Raffi albums when I was a little kid, but I think the first album I can remember actually getting and listening to a lot was Abbey Road by the Beatles. Uh, which was I thought was like the craziest, like the craziest thing when I was a kid. I had it on cassette tape actually, uh, and I thought it was rad. And I still think the Beatles are rad, and I still think that album is rad. The first album that I think that I actually owned as my own thing was probably an album of music from Ren and Stimpy. <laughs> yeah, I, I joked about Simpsons. Simpsons sing the blues. Really, that was my first cassette tape. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. 
I could probably sing all those songs if I heard like one note of them right now. Also, though, I saw um, like big London theater once mm. with my uncle, like yeah. probably like four, three years ago. He's, um, we, so the guy was working in a recording studio on I tell on Walton Gromit actually, and the guy who was the engineer there goes, "Oh, at night I've been working on Avenue Q. You want to go? I have tickets." And um, my uncle called me and said, "Oh, I got his theater tickets. We're gonna go see Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat." And I went, "Oh God!" <laughs> like I was like, "Okay," I was like, "I can't yeah. take these Avenue Q tickets. I gotta go see this." Yeah. And I was blown away, like oh, yeah. absolutely, like floored by how, like, just the energy and just the, like just performance right in your face of and how big and bombastic it was. Blown away. So probably theater's my, fucking rad. <laughs> isn't theater, but probably my favorite. One of my favorite live performances that occurred in a concert setting was probably um, Jake. You were there for this. Was the uh, the world premiere of uh, Doctor Atomic by John Adams at the San Francisco? Oh, that Opera. was awesome. That was amazing. John Adams is an awesome composer who does he he writes contemporary concert music and uh, he wrote an opera called Doctor. He he wrote um, Nixon in China or and um, the uh, oh, what is the other one about the um, Cliff Hoffer? Oh, I can't remember. I don't remember the name of it. Yeah, but you know what I'm talking about. And yep. um, and he wrote an opera about five years ago called uh, Doctor Atomic about Oppenheimer and the development of the atomic bomb. Oh yeah, I've and this. it was an amazing opera, and it premiered in San Francisco because presumably because John Adams lives in Berkeley. Um, and it was an amazing, an amazing live experience. I thought it was really incredible. Yep. And it told me I need to go see more opera at the San Francisco Opera. I wonder if my favorite theatrical experience they were actually act- he was actually asking about theater or if he was asking about. No, I mean, I, that's why yeah. I said this isn't really theater, but it's yeah. like but I mean, it occurs in a... My brain first went to film screening in a theatrical experience versus oh, a home viewing, but whatever. Oh, let's oh, let's oh. move on. I thought he meant like the theater. Either way, we answered it. Mark Bell asks, Sean, hey Mark, <laughs> how do you feel about nudity in video games? It was actually addressed to all of us, but I thought that oh, was okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Do you believe nudity is inherently juvenile, or do you feel it has yet to be implemented in a mature fashion or criticized maturely in the media? I think nudity in video B. games is the same as nudity in any other media. It just hasn't if, been if it's, I don't think it's quite the same. Why? You can Nudity can be because used for gratuitous purposes or for actual relevant because purposes. Because I don't think anyone has made a real-time looking human in a real-time video game that isn't going to make you be distracted by how absurd it looks. No, but I think you could, if you had the right, you chose the right art style and you chose... I think you can have nudity in the animated medium, yeah. in an illustration. That, oh, totally. Like, I think we could have nudity yeah, in the... I, I think the art style we've chosen for The Walking Dead could have nudity. And it would not be... It wouldn't be like, oh, weird. It would just look... I think it would be tough. Like a I don't know, person. maybe. Uh, I know exactly. We would be good. I think... <laughs> We're not going to do it. I think it spoiler, depends on what you're using nudity yeah. for because an actual... An actual nude human being that you're photographing is is I think means a different thing than an illustration or other one step removed uh, representation. And it, once you go there, I, sure. I guess I mean I guess I'm thinking of 3D games specifically. So yeah, I guess 2D games, but also wouldn't, just wouldn't have that issue necessarily. There's what can or can't nudity mean in the interactive medium versus what historically have games done when representing a 3D character. Sure. I don't saying it like for all of time this is the case. I'm just saying I guess I just mean I don't think it's the same right now. I think it would be sure. really really challenging to present a polygonal nude character in a game that isn't a little bit absurd looking or silly like or distracting in some really? way. Oh, I disagree. I totally disagree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. I can imagine it. Yeah. I can imagine. But I, I, I understand with the, I understand right with the baggage of video game visuals where you're coming from, but yeah. I can imagine it. 
like I remember even playing Mafia Two, and there was an early cutscene with a you know woman that's supposed to be very alluring in a in a bar, and like even that, I mean, she wasn't yeah. naked; she was clothed, but like. The camera slow panning up that, and it was I was the only thing my brain could think of well, was oh video game polygons that's, that's oh when, this is ridiculous when a really stylized or limited looking video game tries to ape something else and it just becomes fully representative like that Mafia Two cutscene they're like we can't hit what reality is but we're using all the exact tropes that reality uses but yeah. then it just completely falls apart that's different than I think something which uses the notion of and and even visual representations of nudity but in a way that embraces whatever style it's trying to use. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think Mafia 2 they're trying to make you respond to that character <laughs> the same way you would to an actual photograph of right. a woman or of or of the exact movie that's seen in a movie yeah. that's the same. But yeah. I think um I don't know. I think nudity in games and in an interactive medium can be used in ways that aren't just literally you have a visceral reaction to seeing an attractive woman. Yeah, I agree. That, would, yeah. that could mean a lot. And, oh, for sure. And I think that that right. can be done in a way that doesn't hang up, get you hung up on the visuals, but I think that only will happen if you're making a game that deliberately does something with its art to embrace the fact, or to avoid the uncanny valley. Because I think nudity, like, yeah. Yeah, I think human forms in Human form in 3D yeah. is insane. And then, yeah, just a naked person. Yeah. I, don't know. I mean, like, the to your, to your point, I guess, I don't think this is a great use of nudity, but... Um, in The Witcher, they Super had those like they had those <laughs> the cards of the of like ladies that you would like your character would like right. rep- represent women with these playing cards basically that you collect and like that's an absurd thing. But to your point, it did work purely on the visual side because they were just illustrations right. as opposed to modeled characters. Yeah. Uh, you want to talk? You want to keep reading? I could talk about that nudity question for a while, actually, <laughs> but I'm not going to. Obviously, well, what do you have? Are there other points? Can you condense? Yeah, it? I think nudity means a lot and can be used. Like <clears throat> the idea of like, imagine you were playing Bastion of all games, like great, like very, very like stylized old school 16-bit art style, and you found like a refugee from the before times huddled in like a like a burned out house who didn't have any clothes on, who is just like just the most just the most vulnerable sad figure you could ever imagine and simply just like come back here and give her like she'll come be in the area or he will come be in the area once you've just sort of like gotten them a piece of clothing to wear or Mm -hmm. like a robe or something like but just a sad lost naked person like that would mean so much and it'd be using nudity and i could totally imagine it in that game even though that game doesn't really isn't that intense but a version of bastion that even push that, that push mm-hmm. the thematics that intensely could easily feature that. And I think be used pretty powerfully. Yeah. It'd, It'd be inter- I mean, that's, me. that could definitely be really interesting. You'd, you'd want to consider it super heavily because one of the things that a game like that does is essentially like you can just play through that game and everything is just get reward for hitting guy. And like, you know, once you start using people in really horrible situations as like unlock thing by beating level, Character now clothed, right? Like you can get into a little, a, like a slightly weird area there. That for sure. I that, mean, it all has to make thematic and mechanical yeah, sense. Yeah. But I do think you can employ it um, in a way that is very, like, as a human being, that could happen. You know, like, like, you know, right? But the it totally could. You just have to communicate. the th- The thing that's tough about it is that you're still making a game about a character who is indefatigable, who is never phased, who is just 
literally right, right. No, no, rolling it has to roll through the whole out. world it and just like be, just it can't just be slapped in there. Yeah, that's the game has to be able to to yeah. right, and that's the challenge. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the thing that I think makes it really really hard. Like if you started with that's something that this game is going to be able to support, and then mm-hmm. roll your systems all the way out beyond that. Like if you went to if you went to a Modern Warfare developer and said they're going to go into this house in Fallujah, and there's going to be <coughs> like and like a bloody naked kid in there and like ro- that's the, something that's going to be in the game thematically roll that out both ways into your into your just the story you're telling and the mechanics that you're presenting good luck like yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what i mean like that well, would never Spec happen Ops tried to do a bit of that you know, with, it did, with yeah, a yeah, certain yeah. scene yeah 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 it did anyway i'm glad we've been talking about spec ops for what it's worth but i i really am glad that that game is tried for it i know it's we talk about its successes or not but yeah um, far are we? <laughs> Chase Bacot says, I sometimes hear people say community managers are the future of video game press. I don't really agree with this. I'm a former game journalist turned designer, which maybe influences my thoughts. But where do you stand on the power of influence of community managers moving forward? Does it make sense to have more information in the hands of community managers because they know their audience? Or do they fill a void that needs to be filled at a time when so many studios are looking for ways to keep their audience engaged? A similar topic if need be, I love DayZ, but is it wrong that I want this in big budget form? Would anyone ever take a chance and make a big budget version of this mod? I think answer your second question first. It sounds like that's exactly what someone's Game Rocket Hall to wants do. to do. Well, and someone's making a thing called WarZ, which right. apparently is like trying to be that. But yeah, I don't know too much about WarZ. Uh, I, don't, I, haven't, I don't know. Much I haven't about interviewed either. that guy, and I didn't. Oh, I really? haven't okay, read yeah. the, the piece on it. Yeah. Just someone at work told me about it the other yeah. day. I don't know anything about but it. But I know that like Dean Hall and those guys like. Their entire thing is why we want this to stand, be a standalone, like quality. So, product. is it going to be a standalone game that is still based on the same tech, or are they starting over with a brand new everything? Because that would be know. crazy. That I think Arma option. Three is deep in development, though. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know anything about what they're doing. I like when people ask questions about community managers, yeah. given that I started at Telltale as a community manager. You are Double Fine's community manager. Nick Brecken is a community manager at Bethesda. Our web moderator, David Eggers, is a Two K Games community manager. Idle Thumbs co-founder James Spafford is Media Molecules community manager. So we have no bias in, discu- <laughs> in the discussion of community managers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Someone in chat says the standalone game is still based on the Arma engine, which oh, that's what I would have thought. That yeah, is, that's so, what yeah. makes sense. Um, I feel like I've actually never heard someone say community managers are the future of video game press, and if that is actually what people say, I would have to fully disagree. Yeah, me too, for but sure. I, but I do think that there is value in a community manager position because an actual full-time like gaming public relations person's job or a gaming marketing person's job is to always act through other agents and not directly to the customers, but with... Separate from oh god, separate from things like customer support. Where, but with the internet, that is stupid. Like that, there, there is total value in in all those things. Like in having straight up PR that talks to press, that handles media events. There's a ton of value in having marketing shit, which I know is a weird thing to be saying. I'm sorry. I guess I shouldn't be plugging how awesome marketing is. <laughs> I think th- I think there's more than zero value in those things, especially for larger projects. But the same way that I don't think like crowdsourcing is the be all end all of how something should work, I don't think community management would re- would replace traditional things. It feels no, like it's just not. another need came up because of the way the internet works, and it's a really awesome need, which is we need someone who can directly <coughs> be the bi directional voice, yeah, between the studio and the and the people who are playing it. And, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, it's good. Yep. Um, does it make sense to have more information in the hands of community is, managers moving forward? Oh, 
I guess. I don't know. I, I personally really like it when community managers know everything and can say everything. Like the, I think the less encumbered by traditional PR your community manager is, the better your situation is going to be. And the more open communication you have with your community, the better off you're going to be. That said, that doesn't mean... I don't, this is such a this is a complicated weird thing to talk about. I feel like I don't know. I, it's very different to different kinds of companies too. Yeah, what a community manager is. Yeah, totally means different stuff. Like different if places. You, if you're an MMO developer, a community manager is like just in the thick of yep. what's going on in the community in a way that is just impossible if you just make single player games, for example, um, because the nature of what your community is is very different. Because a community can be just a bunch of fans, or it can be the people actively playing your thing inside a world right now and that's what it is in an yep. mmo like um that was the total opposite of what it was when i was at irrational for example when it was just we have a single player game that's coming out in the future yep. so like our community is entirely made up of people who have played an irrational game in the past or plan to in the future yep. but there's no group of people who's actively doing any of that also stuff right i now. think publisher side community managers versus developer side right, community managers very is very different like if you are at a AAA publisher, I think a lot of your job, aside from, like the one common denominator across all community managers, seems to be forums. But aside from that, like you could be doing events planning, you could be designing what's in the special edition of your game, um, or on the developer side, you could be like doing stuff closer to what you do at Double Fine or what I did at Telltale, which is just work to get the face of your company more, get you know, help the, the fans and the player audience actually use your company's website to hang out with the dev dev, dev team basically or like build portions of the site up that you think are lacking that someone who likes your company would think is cool community management is weird yep that's a lot of things it's 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 a tough thing to blanket discuss because there isn't a definition of what it actually is andy yingst says do you have any plans or ideas for new casts to go on your network chris you said you miss interviews why not start idle interviews or it seems like a board game podcast might be a good fit with idle thumbs and three moves ahead uh, right now, I think between Idle Thumbs and the bookcast, we are feeling really full. Full. Yeah. Um, we've talked about doing a lot of other things. We've talked about the notion of like an interview podcast has been a thing that we've talked about in the past. Um, or just uh, also the notion of a board game podcast has come up. Like a lot of different things have come up, but right now we're just we're focused on trying to get the stuff that we are doing stable enough that it doesn't destroy our lives all the time. I think, yeah. in, in all honesty, so um, yeah, I think we're gonna we're gonna in terms of in terms of expanding it to bring in other people that aren't us making podcasts. Like that's what we did with Three Moves Ahead, obviously. Yeah, and that's a thing that we might potentially do in the future, but we haven't been like scouting yeah. for them or anything right now. Right now, as you can probably tell by it seeming like nothing's been happening, we're trying to get all the moving parts that we put into place after the Kickstarter up and working on their own cleanly enough that <clears throat> yeah. we feel like we can go the next to whatever we want to do next, but. Getting all this stuff done and getting the infrastructure for the site up, running two podcasts, helping three moves ahead get off their feet. It's actually it it's it's kicked our asses way more than we thought it would. I think so. Yeah, for sure. um, we'll see what's up next. Yep. Uh, Gareth Cleve says top five things wrong with video game journalism. You skipped Puzzle Pirates. Oh, I'm sorry. Dieter Shirley says Puzzle Pirates. I'm not even joking. It's the one MMO that is truly skill based. Is there a wider, wider audience for more skill based MMOs? Why is it the only arguably hardcore MMO? Why is the only arguably hardcore MMO kid-themed? How did that happen? I think Puzzle Pirates is themed the way it is because it's an early 2000s casual game, which all look like goofy cartoons. Yeah. But 
I played it. I played Puzzle Pirates for a few hours one time. I didn't really get into it, but it seemed fine. David Eggers, who's our like former moderator and a longtime Idle Thumbs contributor, played the hell out of Puzzle Pirates, and oh, yeah? I think he actually like it was his final paper in school was on that. Wow, um, crazy! And I don't know if it's online anywhere or not, but if you look up David Eggers Puzzle Pirates, you might find um, hmm. you might find it right up. He, but he he's had a lot of actually fascinating things to say about the Puzzle Pirates community in that game. Um, I think one of the challenges to making like really skill based MMOs, at least in mechanical sense, is that MMOs by design have to be things that are infinitely repeatable. And the easiest way, or like the mo- one of the most effective ways we've seen to do that is through churn, and that you have to just go through in your game, like grind. Uh, or, I mean, we've seen that perfected even more, perfected, I mean, depending on how you look at it, in like Facebook games, where that stuff is tied to like explicit timers and things that just drag out the amount of time it takes you to do things because they need you to play this game for an extremely long period of time in total Mm -hmm. um, so that you can keep like generating ad revenue or subscription revenue or in-game purchases or whatever their model is. Like they need you playing this game for a long, 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 long time. Cool. Uh, All right. Now Gareth Cleave says top five things wrong with video game journalism. I don't really want. I don't really want to talk. Yeah, about this. I don't know. Um, there are probably some things wrong with video game journalism. I think there should be long, more long form, explorative discover like journalism that is that dis- you discover something about the industry. The reason that there aren't more of those is would be a disgusting conversation, though. I think. Yeah, yeah, of course. But, but I wish there was more of that. Yeah. I'm just trying to give us a simple answer so he feels like he, it was it yeah. was addressed. Yeah. But like, go read yeah. Nick Brecken's pieces about Nick Brecken's pieces online. Yeah. And I also think Tom Bissell's done some great work for mm-hmm. Grantland. Tom Bissell's great. Yeah. Um, when Grantland covers games, I actually think they're pretty good. I like it. I agree. Uh, Kettle Jorgensen says Matt versus glossy monitors. I hate glossy monitors. I love matte monitors. I guess I'm a matte guy. I yeah. am super sensitive. Like to glare on a screen. It Mm -hmm. just drives me bonkers. I can't stand it. Yeah. Yeah, Matt. I like my iPad a lot, and that's a thing that that drives me crazy about it, is how how much Mm -hmm. glare it always picks up everywhere. I like the color that comes off of glossy monitors more, but I don't like using them. I I agree. (laughs) The color color looks great, but it drives me crazy during actual use. Matt versus glossy monitors. Yeah. Uh, Badger Commander, hi, Badger, says... um, if you've played, if you've played them, Way of the Samurai or Dragon's Dogma, I know Gainer has played Way of the Samurai three. Uh, I don't think any I of us have played, played those. those. I'm sorry. I know. I think Steve Steve liked Steve liked Way of the Samurai. I yeah. think. Yeah. James Dean Hickman says, "How clever my Idle Forums username, Lalelululls, is." And Far Cry two. All right, you made a pun based on Metal Gear Solid. I guess right. That's Metal Gear Solid. Oh, I don't know. Cool. Uh, you were all talking about how you played a million hours of Metal Gear Solid. I wasn't talking uh, about no, that. Sean was. Oh. Is that, what is the kind Lale of Lulu Lale or whatever was the name of the crazy organization in Metal Gear Solid? It? Wasn't it? Yes, probably. Who? We love Metal Gear. Look, we're really good now. <laughs> but what I really want to talk about is uh, Far, Far Cry 2. <laughs> it's a good video game. It's a good, if you guys have heard oh, of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We should play that one for the online cast. It's good. On the stream? Yeah, that too. <laughs> this played on the cast. Just have it done. <laughs> uh, hmm. Austin Pettyjohn says, discuss the hero's journey as it relates to narrative and games. Boy, do I sure wish it related to fewer narratives and games. I was just That's what say I have that, to like, say. Oh, 
It feels like everybody's like, okay, we're making a video game, and then off comes the Joseph Campbell. Oh, you got to bust out that hero's journey, that three-act structure. Yeah. One of the things that bothers me is that things like three-act structure and the hero's journey, they are descriptive. They are descriptive, not prescriptive. They were not identified as the only way it's possible for stories to be. They were identified as these are common templates for stories. Yep. Like, it drives me crazy when people act as if that's what a story has to be, or you just have to, like, that's what a good story is. Yeah. I just don't think that's true at all. I not think you can look at the history of literature and see that that's just not that's not the case. Uh, David A. Eby says mm-hmm. abuse of Deus Ex Machina in video games. There's a lot of it. <laughs> there is. I tend to not pay attention anymore to it because a lot of it just comes in weird cutscenes and stuff that I don't really care about. Yep. Uh, it's abused. You want to add, go to the next one? It's abused uh, because uh, telling good stories is really hard. It is hard. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> it's. It's not abuse because people are stupid. No, <laughs> it's because you find yourself in a horrible hole and then you say, well, how much of a hand wave is it going to be if this happens? Yeah. And sometimes it's a big one. Andy says, how many A's are the best number of A's for the word wizard? My personal preference is 11. One, one, whoa, 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 Oh, I see. With he's just no. saying. Oh, man. He said he, he. Big Bird, Goldblum, Ford Force 4, Baboo. Man, Ford Force 4, not commonly called out. No, there is a good Snugglebum remix of that, though. There is, yeah. Um, I like just writing with one, and then you can just imply how crazy you want to yeah. get about it. You can hold on to it for as long as you yeah. want. Yeah. Yep, that a, just, that a expands to fit. Fall Our into that A. is hosted on Libsyn, which is a subsidiary of Wizard it's Media. True, yeah. With two A's, right? With two, no, two Z's. Oh, two Z's. Wizard. Wizard Media yeah. hosts our podcast, so that's cool. Um, how excited are you guys for Torchlight 2? Uh, oh we, well, we talked. We ended up talking. We about talked this about last that. Week, yeah, yeah. So. Gosh, sorry, sorry guys. We sent this in a while ago. <laughs> uh, sorry, Omaga. We got to read these. Notes. Oh yeah, Omaga. Sorry. Uh, Richard Marginson or Marginson says, "Knock, knock. A sexy wizard at the back door. Ring, ring. Jeff Goldblum at the front door. Who do you invite inside?" Oh, Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, Jeff, Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. The wizard can. can I am very the, tired. The wizard can let himself in if he needs just, to. He's yeah, a the, fucking yeah, wizard. Yeah, he's not a vampire. Come on, he's a sexy yeah. wizard. Yeah, I like the, if the sexy wizard. Probably was meant to imply a lady wizard, but I will think. Well, she can let herself in. Wouldn't it, she just be any a witch? Se- no, a, a sexy wizard? wizard. Therefore, it is wizard. It's a dude, a sexy wizard man. Jeff Goldblum. What if? What if there's only one door in this house? <laughs> oh God! <laughs> just saying. Oh, Jeff Goldblum, the, the call is coming from inside the house. I'm Goldblum saying, is calling you from inside I'm the house. I'm saying Jeff Goldblum might be the sexy wizard, is what I'm trying to oh. say here. <laughs> what if the front door and the back door are one and the same? It's your, it's, uh, yeah. Um, Wait, my house is positioned sideways. He actually backed the Kickstarter again at that, so like at the very end, be like, P.S., there's only, yeah, there's one there's, entrance. There's only house. one entrance. Twitter chillers. <gasps> Twist. <laughs> Stephen Lung says, your favorite books as games. The name of the rose as the board game. The name of the rose. <laughs> Has there ever been? Uh, I'm trying to even think of literary video games. Or no, what? Pick your favorite book, and it could be a game. Oh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy: The Text Adventure by Douglas Adams. Uh, the Divine Comedy, uh, Dante's oh, Inferno right. by Electronic Arts. Right. Yeah, that's, that's by Visceral the Great games. Gatling Gunsby. Also, oh, the um, Great Gatling Gunsby. Gatling Gunsby. That's a great um, uh, Gatling the Gun. The Stalker games are based. On a book, the roadside picnic, no, also which the also wizard, Stalker, uh, the wizard, <laughs> the Witcher film by Tatarsky was also based on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and I have not yeah. read that book. Yet. Yeah, aren't the Witcher games based on books? They're yeah, they based are. on some fantasy, I, some fantasy they world. Are. They're based on a Polish fantasy author. But um, the Great Gatling Gunsby is my favorite adaptation. Probably, I think so too. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like most of the books that I like would not really make any sense as video games. Like I'm not really sure. At least not with the way people make video games right now. I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you have to make it. But like, mm, I don't know. I was thinking a lot about um, 
about you're still um, talking about this. Well, no, I was thinking a lot. I was thinking recently about "Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close" by Foyer. Huh. And oh, also, you're thinking about its Sega Genesis adaptation? Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought that was great. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the Dreamcast sequel. You were thinking about how to reboot the franchise. Yeah, which is. Did you did you play the Dreamcast sequel? No, it was louder and closer. That's all it was called. <laughs> oh, <laughs> good. Um, we'll talk about it another time. I think, R- it, I think it, I know. RS asks, "How great is it to have Steve and Nick on the Ruination cast?" Oh, it's so good. I'm it's so, so good. glad they're here. Thanks, uh, Nick. We have oh, Jay at least. If not that, then no topic. Glad to have you guys podcasting again. Thanks. Um, Stu Golan says the classic Sega Master System platformer, Teddy Boy. I've never heard of that. Really? I had a Master System. You didn't have Teddy Boy, though. No. So, uh... It sounds lascivious. <laughs> Is it? Probably. Plus. Austin Fay says, Are games getting too complex and thereby less fun? Or am I just slowly becoming an old curmudgeon, always waxing nostalgic? Now, this is an interesting question, because this just says a lot about what games you used to play. Because if you grew up playing, like, crazy 80s PC games, yeah, there's people who then ask, games are way less complex Are games getting too simple now. and thereby less fun? Asks a, a ton of people, yeah. Yeah, yeah. right. Like, it's, yeah. that's, I think that, that question, there's no direct answer to. I think it's... Yeah. When I played the classic PC game Terminator, I wish that I just felt like I was the Terminator running around blowing up guys, <laughs> but instead I have to do all this weird shit. Well, my, my favorite <laughs> example of that is TIE Fighter, because that's, yeah. there are still a million Star Wars games now, and TIE Fighter was a game where you had, like, an entire keyboard at your disposal to, like, reroute shields and adjust throttle and do all this shit, and it was still considered arcadey compared to like a real flight right. simulator. Um, but like if you grew up playing those games, it didn't seem overwhelming at all. Like right. playing TIE Fighter as kids, I don't think any of us had like, or Jake and I, I don't think that felt like a crazy over complex experience. So I think, I think it just goes down to like what your background is. Kind yeah. Of and, and, yeah. Cause I mean, you could go from the other side, which is exactly. when I played on the Atari and the Super Nintendo, I had one button and a controller. Right. And then I had a D pad and two buttons, but now whatever. Yeah. You know, exactly. you have to yeah. do all this crazy shit. Right. Um, Hmm. 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 Games. Uh, David Huang says, I can't think of anything intelligent. Oh, so, so Puffins. Puffins. That's true. I Puffins. think David Huang uh, was at the meetup. Oh, cool. In Seattle. And, and he said Puffins there. And I think he might work in a nuclear reactor. Sweet. Hopefully yeah. he's I think he is that guy. Yeah. No, I'm I serious. Like, I think he works in a nuclear I just hope reactor. It's the same guy. Yes, it is David Huang. I'm almost positive. Uh, hi, David. Uh, Thomas Busquet says, to you, what are the storytelling or authorial tools truly unique to video games versus what movies, novels, poems, songwriting, or participatory theater offer? Do you think it's likely we'll witness a game of mainstream creators uh, who can only express their ideas with these? How big a part of the play aspect of gaming could it become? I hope this makes sense. I think we've talked about this in a few different questions so far, but I think definitely the exploratory aspect Mm -hmm. is hugely important. I think games are less likely to see a wave of like individual creators who make their mark that way in the same way as like you know the french new wave or or just like novels which are only written by one person ever um because they are so collaborative and iterative and team-based um but it would be interesting to see more individual people who've grown up playing games and are like have experienced a wide variety of media and want to try to express things in games that are maybe different from the traditional expressions in games I think you that's that is a good answer. Also, I think that it is confirmed through the chat that David Huang works at a reactor and says hi Sean. Oh good. <laughs> hi there. Uh, super nice guy. Yep. David Huang. Uh 
Alec McCowan says, I'd like to hear your thoughts on game design outside of video games. Sean has mentioned the TV show Survivor as an example of compelling game design, and I agree with him. Do you guys have examples of good game design in non-video and computer forms? Oh, and thanks for being a thing again. You're welcome. Happy to be a thing. No, we like being a thing. The thing. Hmm. I mean, there's tons of good game design in board games. Like yeah. you said, non-video yeah. and computer non-video. forms. I mean, yeah. there's a bajillion good examples. How was the game design in Jujun? It wasn't really a game. It was like a scavenger hunt, but it oh, was okay. cool. Yeah. Yeah. That was like a, this was a crazy like yeah, in in world kind of I guess it's a thing that you would call an ARG even though it's not really like it's just it was a mystery that these people did it was called Jejun or the Jejun Institute that was spread out across the city of San Francisco it, that was actually a, a really awesome experience like I did the first <laughs> couple legs of it with Chris and Steve but the way that that thing started is you went to a floor of an office building in the financial district and there was a person at the front desk with like a Jejun logo behind them or some insane thing and you they put you in a small room where you watched a video like an indoctrination video into this cult uh and then the, you had a questionnaire that you they asked you to return but i think you were you were supposed to keep it and everyone obviously did because on the back were a bunch of weird clues and questions that sent you wandering around chinatown in the financial district solving really simple puzzles or just finding yeah, hidden objects really in the cool. world but it expanded out into this increasingly wild thing until there were weird events out on like angel island or somewhere like that i don't remember where that all that was but um, mechanically, that game was really simple. It was more just about the exploration and yeah. discovery of all these things in a real space. And it was, was a cool really way cool. to make you traverse your own city in a way yeah. that you wouldn't yeah. during the day to day. It was cool. We did something like that for our housemate for his birthday, actually. Oh, yeah. yeah. Ace Ginger's Dangerous Day. Yeah, we got to get that up on the site yeah. somewhere. It'd be awesome. Oh, man. Actually, Idle Thumbs listeners would probably get a small kick out of it just because our housemate, uh, Adam, received a, a <laughs> call on a telephone, on a cell phone taped to the inside of its toilet seat from Phaedrus from Idle Thumbs because the only oh, yeah. thing Adam's uh, Adam has, doesn't really listen to Idle Thumbs much but he thought Phaedrus was hilarious for some reason so yeah, our friend Jared who does sound as in, sound and music design uh, put himself through a voice modulator to sound like the Phaedrus voice but like procedurally like the actual movie kidnapper go to the thing and we ran that through Google Voice yeah, so, call, so yeah. we sent Adam all over the city uh, getting directions from Phaedrus who to Jared's credit, awesomely played Phaedrus as the weird, awkward guy that he is on Idle Thumbs, where he would say, like, hang up, no, you hang up, uh, don't, call me if you have, don't, uh, like, <laughs> Phaedrus, call me, don't call don't me, don't call me, yeah, you yeah, hang up, that was, was awesome, nice, the game design in that was exquisite, I would say, I for would a say exquisite, yeah, 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 we also recorded all the calls, too, which is yeah. awesome, <laughs> someone points out in chat that Solaris was also a book, which I didn't actually really know, I've, I've seen Tartovsky's Solaris, and it's an awesome movie, but <laughs> I didn't, I've never read the book, but someone says it's good. So you should watch that or read it or whatever. <sighs> um, I'm the only one not wearing the idle thumb shirt. I should put this yeah, on. Yeah, you're messing you it all up. Oh, Ryan Gary says, I'm going to go open the door because I'm starting to melt, which means that the audio is going to get weird. I'm sorry, but it's getting, it's getting gross. Ryan, Miller's, uh, Ryan Gary says, Paul Miller leaves the internet. Uh, are you guys aware of this? No. What is this? this is interesting. Oh, yeah. This, this is, is an awesome. This yeah. is the guy who says, no internet in my life for a year. Yeah. Yeah. This is the guy for that website, The Verge, who he's a tech writer, but he decided uh, for a year he's not going to use the internet at all. Uh, he, like, at all. He got rid of his smartphone. He doesn't have internet on his computer, at work, at home, or anything. Um, he's just completely offline. And he's, but he's still filing columns. I actually haven't read this in a few months, but I, I had never heard of this until when 
we were getting these surveys in the first time, I saw this question and I'm like, I don't know what this oh, is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I went home and, and read a bunch of the guys' articles and they're really fascinating. It's just, it's a crazy reminder of how completely full of internet our lives are in like every respect now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't read, I haven't, is he like doing, is he keeping up with it like, like journalistic, like every, like a journal or like, how is he keeping up with that? He files articles and then they publish them, but he can't yeah. read the comments or anything because he can't right. read the internet, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't read any of them, but I know what he's doing. <laughs> it's a cool thing. You should check it out. Um, <coughs> how's your cough doing? Not My cough is not doing great. It, I go through bouts of cough. Um, is the Jeremiah Jekic asks, is there one real-life scenario or setting that hasn't been yet explored in video games or that you personally have yet to experience in video games that you would like to see explored in the interactive medium of video games? What would it be? Yeah, I mean, I was kind of getting to that earlier. I, I'll repeat what I said, but I think being able to recreate specific moments in time and place and let players explore them and experience a story and sort of feel what it's like to be another person um, that's with mechanics that's focused on the types of things that a person would be able to do in that space and the types of things that a person would want to do in that space. Not necessarily nonviolent, but I would imagine nonviolent or at least potentially nonviolent, I think would be really great. Thanks, Jeremiah. Cool. <clears throat> uh, Justin Whalen asks, if offered to you right now, would you drink a glass of eggnog? Yeah, I love eggnog. Sure. I'm down on that nog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Drink a nog. Yeah. Fractal Sandwich says, don't worry about it. You're off the hook. Thanks, Fractal Sandwich. I'm David so hungry. Says, I am too. David says, what are your experiences with pen and paper gaming? Oh, man. I, I was into it in little. high school. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I, I have almost no experience. Oh, really? Um, we, I had a group of friends who was into the White Wolf stuff in high school. Uh-huh. And I had a friend whose name is Thomas Elsom, who I'm name dropping because he was really great at um, writing really, really elaborate stories for us and keeping the game really fluid and dynamic and i think his uh those are some gaming experiences that i think about still so thanks thomas you're the man are we being too quiet or something because people are talking about the audio in the well, chat because oh because we opened the window oh we can close the door then the yeah, yeah. it's just got really goddamn hot in here um we're on the move though yeah also sorry that we don't have a direct line in hooked up for this we will do it for any future office cast that we do we just didn't have time to get all the system set up correctly because we record onto a different computer that we stream off of it it uh it goes weird also we'll just try to speak up diablo 3 yeah, chris <laughs> dylan proctor says diablo 3 yeah that's it oh uh man we've talked so much about diablo 3 already I don't it's know the what third entry in the diablo series oh um it's by blizzard entertainment preceded by diablo 2 lord of destruction yes released i think in 2002 in turn preceded by diablo 2 released in 2001 I think. Or maybe it's 2000 and 2001 and not whatever. Uh, it's a video. Game. Username Coffee with an uh, asks, Coffee, do you drink it? What type? How many sugars? Does it keep you alive? Do you need it to live? I drink so much coffee. I've become a coffee guy. I don't drink very much coffee. Uh, I generally drink espresso. I really like iced coffee a lot. I probably drink 90% of my iced espresso, uh, espresso I never, as iced. I never drink iced coffee. Uh, yeah, it like it's that cold sort of like caffeine jolt that like mm-hmm. wakes me up and gets me going. <coughs> I use an AeroPress and we have lots of great <laughs> coffee in San Francisco from blue bottle to sight glass. That's all awesome. And we're really lucky. I drink, I drink 
two cups of black coffee pretty much every day uh, at work. I just use the coffee machine at work. <laughs> yeah. I do really like a good cappuccino. Um, uh, that is that is probably my favorite uh, coffee drink. Um, but I I love just straight black coffee with nothing in it. Like I I love the taste of coffee. In fact, I feel like I enjoy the taste of coffee much much more than the actual caffeine part of it. Like I don't know if the caffeine at this point. I've probably had so much coffee in my life that I really don't feel like I can feel the caffeine anymore, which doesn't mean it isn't affecting me, but I don't perceive it at all. Yeah. Um, I, I drank, I just love the taste. I drank so much caffeinated soda in college, like multiple cans a day of it. Mm. I think we've talked about this before, but it got to the point where it flipped and I would often drink a can of caffeinated soda before going to sleep or I could not sleep. Wow. Yeah. Bad. I don't don't do that ever. I don't drink coffee at night, but yeah. uh, yeah, I I love the taste of coffee so much. It's ridiculous. It's like a hot cup of coffee that I like hold in a mug in my hand. This is one of my favorite, just small. Mm-hmm. Have you been to Sight Glass experiences yet? in life down there in Soma? Sight Glass? Have you been there yet? Mm-mm. It's good. You should check it out. Where is it? It's at Sixth and Folsom. Cool. Seventh and Folsom, maybe. Yeah, that's near, relatively near my house. Yeah, 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 it's close. <clears throat> uh, the top one, I think, is the longer one. As we're on, Jake. Mm. I think it's about The Walking Dead. It is about The Walking Dead. Actually, I think it's about adventure games. Oh, it starts off with Walking Dead. Um, a username I don't know how to pr- pronounce, but it's P-Trap or Trap says, I just finished playing episode one of The Walking Dead and really had a blast doing so. Amazing job, Sean and Mr. Cage. Thank you. Um, I'm David Cage, if anyone was wondering. Um, I wasn't. Oh, <laughs> it's clear. <laughs> I'm completely new to adventure games, really, but wanted to know about the limited dialogue options. I personally found it's it... time to dialogue options. Oh, the... Wow, what? I don't know how to read. I wanted to know about the timed dialogue options. I personally found it great that you chose to have the player, even though he was playing a role that probably can't directly relate to, respond instinctively rather than weighing the options. Was that a hard choice to make? Was there an internal debate, or was it something you knew you wanted from the start? Time dialogue was probably when Sean started talking about this game. It was the first thing on the list really timer timers were actually sort of the foundation of the design of that game and a lot of them got paired out of the game over time so the time dialogue is one of the only ones left but it yeah. was the most important one i think yeah it was uh from the beginning time dialogue i think it's uh, you know it's not broadly applicable to every story uh, in every genre i don't think but i think it, it works for the walking dead just you're always under Time is always eroding away in a zombie universe, so it just always it felt it made a lot of sense to me. Yeah, but uh, it's fun to write for too. Except having to write for silence because you have to. If the player doesn't if you, time for there to be time dialogue, there has to be player made no choice. Right. So you have to write for silence. That gets really, really, really hard. <laughs> yeah, and Lee is a weirdo if you if you don't yeah. say anything. I'm sure there are other games which use that system. I, yeah. I in um, fact frequently don't say anything. That's often my response. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you know other games that do that force yeah. an, uh, an obvious timer on stuff? All the um, all the Infinity, I mean, all the David Cage stuff, actually. Oh yeah, that's true. I yeah. guess God, I just didn't play also all a, the U stuff. Also, those uh, weird, all the games that I made, those weird like semi-interactive dialogue moments in, Mass, in the Mass Effect games right. do that. Um, I just Lost don't Express ever, does that. I don't remember seeing an actual UI pop up on screen in a lot of those things, but maybe they do. Maybe it's invisible. I think to it's me. just press a button or don't. I forget how okay. it works. Oh, you have multiple choices. I forget how it works. Anyway. I like, you can pick silence in a lot of the Skyrim stuff, but it's not timed. Yeah, I like the notion of a game telling you that you have to just decide and that you can't, that the game isn't waiting for you. It's a, Oh, someone says Alpha Protocol as well. Alpha Protocol, yeah, that's the one that I always yeah, see cited as similar to ours, and um, I'm glad that people are doing that a lot. Uh, games. Ooh. 
Alan Alan Hinchcliffe says should investment level say two and a half thousand dollars plus video game Kickstarter backers see a revenue share on successful post release sales. No. no, absolutely not. The no. SEC would have something to say about that. Also, I, there's a site that's trying to do that right now. Actually, yeah, I think it's bad. I think it's a bad idea as well. Yeah, I don't personally <laughs> care whether it's a good or bad idea, but I don't think it's appropriate for what Kickstarter is doing. I think if someone wants to make a collective investor group thing. That's fine, but it's a to- it's a totally oh. separate model than Kickstarter. It means a completely different thing than what Kickstarter. Well, means. someone is someone has a website that where you do that now. Yeah, and I, I how are they even? How? It, well, you can't. What's funny is you can't. The site is called like Gamebitious or something, and like you can't actually invest in it if you're from the United States because of SEC regulations. Right. Yeah. Um, so you have to be European, I guess. Our buddy Oscar, is a lawyer, didn't know what Kickstarter was, and we did when we put up the Kickstarter and called us, called me the day after the Kickstarter and said, you have, whatever you're doing, you're going to, holy shit. Like he, <laughs> he just thought we were going to go all end up in court. Right. Or in front of an SEC panel. <laughs> but yeah. I, yeah I, he didn't really understand how it, it works. It just seems philosophically like if you're expecting a financial return on your investment, don't use Kickstarter because that's right. not what it's for. It's yeah. literally the reason, the reason they say donation, uh, backing, and the reason they have rewards and all that stuff is because pledge. it's pledge. It's very specifically not an investor platform. So it's yeah. it's you knowing you're just giving this money to someone to hopefully make a thing. You have no financial stake in it. And if you see it as that, I would encourage you to not back a Kickstarter project because you'll just well, be disappointed. It's not allowed at all. I, I mean, I mean, if you're a person who's like, I gave you eight hundred million dollars, why? Oh, aren't I see you, what you're saying. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's like, yeah. It, it, yeah, that's not what you're in it for. Yeah, it seems this like this is the same as like donating sorry. to PBS or something yeah. and getting. It's just a much more formalized, like complex version like of NPR that. Where, drive or yeah, something. and they'll send yeah. you like yeah, a little like, trinket I, in the I'm mail. I'm sure if you that's give if you give PBS a boatload of money, you can probably tell them what you think about what they're doing. But you're not going to get you're not going to get a financial return on PBS, right? And it gets foggy because Kickstarters are usually for actual commercial endeavors, whereas PBS is a non a deliberately non commercial thing. But it. Yeah, I don't know. You ha- if you can't see the model scaling up and remaining the same in its intent, then the best thing you can do is not use Kickstarter, I think. Yeah. Like, you know, it's a thing that makes a lot more sense when it's I'm a fan of this musician but they can't afford the studio time, give them money, but then if it's I'm a fan of this game developer and they raise millions of dollars, it you have to think about it as the exact same thing. Otherwise, you should just become an investor. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's weird. Kickstarter is weird. <laughs> there are plenty of developers out there who will take your money. <laughs> yeah, you can find people to invest yeah. in. Uh, Josh Mould says, uh, there have been a number of board games finding their way onto digital devices, such as Carcassonne and Ticket to Ride. I enjoy playing the same game in either its digital or analog form, although I prefer the social element to playing the boxed version. Oh, I think he means I prefer the social element to in, playing, in the- playing the boxed version. Yeah. yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on the growing market of digital and iOS board and card games? I played so much Settlers of Catan on Xbox Live. I did too with my friend Tyler. Who yeah, I mentioned way with my ex girlfriend. Her like, and I would play. We played it all the all time. The time. Yeah, her and yeah, I would play all the time. Yeah, yeah. And we played constantly. Uh, I pro- we had our own little stupid hours? like civilization style jokes where like certain AI yeah. opponents were yeah. like, like Alexander was always a dick. That yeah. would always like that was always our thing. Yeah, this dumb shit. Exact like same shit. Exact yeah. same. So I think. Yeah. But I mean, that's you. It's kind of the best of both worlds, then, right? Because you're getting the social thing where you're sitting there, what you would get from playing the board game, because you're playing it, the single player version with a friend. 
but um, the setup and just sort of the speed of the game and sort of the fact yeah. that you're Although, making rap, you know, that's always that stuff is really nice if, if you're playing if a lot given, of it. Sure, if you're playing a lot of it, it makes it really efficient and good, especially mm-hmm. with a friend. Yeah. Although, if given the option, like I would still rather play the board version. Oh yeah, JP yeah. And I went to this cool thing the other night at a taqueria in the mission where it's just bring board games on and people will set them up and play and like you just this is like a taqueria big taqueria full of people playing board games at tables and you sit down and you can learn a new game or like play a game you've played with other people and it was a really really cool that's thing awesome. like that's the kind of thing that is still essentially remains unique to can that we go to, to that, that experience. <laughs> that sounds like it's not tacos there's no, good there's board no admission like you just go no i mean just let yeah. us know yeah <clears throat> yeah it's really cool um <coughs> sorry are we on josh uh, Mackey's yep. question he asks what are some of your favorite bad games and what about them make you forgive them enough to still enjoy them man i have so much trouble with this question me too you know what game i played all the way through twice what super mario rpg on this but that game is great yeah there's so many people who swear by that game and that's not a best yeah. i i don't think who maybe no, no, no. it doesn't hold up bad and bad and scare quotes is a thing that it's tough because it's totally subjective. I'm sure there are people at the time and now who will who could provide an incredible defense of Super Mario RPG from either side, from just a right. million it different probably, angles. It doesn't even need to be defended. I think. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. I mean, I, there's probably there's probably a SNES era Square fan who is like Mario RPG is an abomination, but there's <laughs> you know, uh, but. Uh, I, yeah, we get asked this yeah. question a lot actually, and I never know how to answer it. I mean, I I played way more Phoenix Wright games than I should have just mm. on autopilot. But like, what made me forgive them enough to enjoy them? Nothing. I enjoyed the first game, so I just kept churning through a bunch of uh, interactive. It was the dramas. opposite for me. I liked the first game, and then I just couldn't. Yeah, but I like, just got really tired of it. It real just fast. it became like a I'm gonna go to sleep, so I'll play 20 sure. minutes of just whatever the next Phoenix Wright case is. But like, I knew at the time, like this isn't sure. It's not doing anything new or interesting. Yeah, it's not doing like, anything yeah, yeah, for yeah. me other than like, oh, right. haha, I found a clue. Like, right. I'm asleep now. You know, like that's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I, yeah. I also don't know if I'd say those games are bad either. They're just like they're games that I, I felt like I'd gotten everything out of it in the first one, but I just kept playing. Yeah. Um. Uh, How Tran says, "What if there were an RPG, Japanese or Western, that actually let you manage or control every playable character, assuming cast of seven plus during combat, rather than limiting the player to three or four character parties?" I would explode and not play that game. I also bet that someone has made that as a very small title. Totally not for me. I'd be interested in seeing it. I mean, I liked, uh, I really enjoyed like Dragon Age, the first one. Why are you saying that would not be for you when you're a person who loves things like Full Spectrum Warrior? Mm, Because the thing I like about Full Spectrum Warrior is is similar to what I liked about playing the XCOM demo, um, which is sort of the problem solving aspect. Like the idea of the man the, the management aspect of an RPG is just tough for me. Like I like my favorite. I hate the go to your base like the barrack stuff and like oh upgrade this. XCOM is full of that stuff. I know, but when you're actually in the scenarios and you just get to, over to those guys and these is what these guys can do best and this is how you like that's the that's why I play that game. <clears throat> it's the same reason I, like I play. That's why I like Flotilla. That's why I like Full Spectrum Warrior. Just I have these guys. How do I? solve this this 3d puzzle mm-hmm. that's why i play those games so it'll be interesting to see what you think of that in xcom when you're playing you know like yeah. after a few hours i'll be curious yeah that, i mean i'm more like, already, that, that i saw you playing the demo and it seemed like you were getting into it's it seemed like you were enjoying it for similar reasons to full spectrum warrior to me but i don't really know 
Yeah, but none of that had to do with the fact that I was upgrading my guys in Full Spectrum Warrior. What I love in FTL is the guys just get better based on what they're doing. (laughs) Right. I love that. Yeah, that's my favorite thing. Well, this this I still think it'd be an interesting thing for someone to try. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 for sure. I'm just saying. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. I just meant that. Stephen Cole says, planned video game trilogy is good or bad. Why? Bad. I don't care. I don't like it. Planned video game trilogies in practice often means three humongous, epic, multi-whatever multi things, but I, I don't know. I think it, if somebody planned an, a video game trilogy that was three three-hour games... That'd be interesting. Yeah. Could be really cool. I mean, I feel the same way about it with, with games as I do with movies and books and everything else, which is just... I like when someone has a story to tell and they tell it. I don't yeah. like when someone's like... All right, for this we're going to have a trilogy that's going to come out over the next five years, yeah, and like it's I think, gonna be this and that. I'm I think like, I don't like that the stuff. form of three discrete chunks, which are meant to be consumed as a whole work, has merit as an idea, but the execution of it is almost always, you know, yeah. to be. I, and part of I think why part of I think my distaste comes from the fact that it just seems to be assumed at this point. Like sure. I've seen interviews where it's like, so this is going to be a trilogy, right? And it's like, what? <laughs> Who knows? Like, I don't know. Why would you assume that? Yeah. Like, you shouldn't just assume everything's supposed to have a million sequels all the time or, like, always two sequels because then you end up rebooting it later anyway. Like, it's just the whole thing is just Triptych of me. Paintings says, uh, <laughs> yeah. Says Ban Chan in the chat. Yeah. What if there's a video game Triptych? That'd be sweet. What if you're playing Triptych, the physics based Tetris <laughs> game? Um, that game's awesome. God, I totally forgot. I think it was we were live streaming this for a good while there. Oh, yeah. We're live streaming. I was, like, out for, like, 30 minutes. <laughs> Wow. Hi, guys. What's next? Uh, uh, what's next is a full Domo screen gold says, Oh, okay. Um, cake versus pie. A pie um, guy. Way more pie. Yeah, I'm a sure. pie guy. Yeah, 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 question yeah. about that. Yeah. Also, I think there is good cake out there. Oh, no, there is. But I think the amount of pie, that, like, it's just a safer bet. If they're yeah. like cake or pie, you want also, the pie. Mm-hmm. The Definitely. ceiling isn't as no high on pie. Pie as a container contains many savory pies as well, which I don't yeah, think is savory right. pies are not great. a big thing I love savory pies. in the cake world. Oh, let's get yeah. savory pies after Savory this. cakes? What That's my pet are name there for good you. Savory pie? <laughs> there's, a, there's a savory pie place like on Mission Street near the Metreon, but I don't know if, I don't know how good it is. There was an amazing Australian meat pie place in like off-Broadway on the Red Line in Boston um, that I would go with my friend Sophie from Irrational, uh, who's Australian, and we would go there and like she would – like being they're not really a thing like meat pies are not a thing in this country like we have chicken pot pies and stuff but like <clears throat> in australia no no, the no meat yeah. pie is like a big deal yeah yeah yeah. it's like a national cuisine and uh this guy <laughs> sam from <laughs> this guy sam from australia opened this uh this pie shop in boston called ko pies and it's just full-on australian meat pies and like <clears throat> i've talked to multiple australians who've eaten there and they say it's like legit Good Australian meat pies. This is, a, this is a lot of talk on cake versus pie. I'm, I'm just, pretty pleased. I was really into this these meat pies, and like, in fact, actually, the guy Sam will ship, like, the store is local, and like, they just make everything there. But like, the they will ship frozen pies anywhere in the country if you want them. So we should just order like, a case of Australian meat pies from Ko Pies in Boston, and that might be sweet. That's all I got to say. I agree with you. So let's do it. Important question for you, Chris, from Gamecata. Uh, Whoa. Uh, I just pointed at the screen and I looked oh, up. Oh, Game Cotter says, Remo, did you ever have a cannoli from Mike's Pastry in the North End? <laughs> no. You know what's funny? I never actually made it to North, the North End very much. And that's because when I lived in Boston, I actually lived in Cambridge and I never really mm. went to Boston. Like we went to K.O. Pies occasionally because the red line was on the way back from work and we could just stop there 
But I, I spent almost no time in Boston proper. Go figure. Cool. What's next? Uh, Kevin, uh, Kevin Cardoza, is that what we're at? Yeah. No, Rob Jones. Huh? Rob Jones says, in light of the fact that what? there are... We no, just you, did cake you, versus you pies. You skipped... There's like cake versus pie shows up twice. We just answered Chris... Uh, oh my God, there's two cake versus <laughs> pie on the same page. Think of all that... Like sweet pie cast that you well, burned. Well, Will Johnson says, which is better, cake versus pie? See previous response to Christopher Domel. So now we can yes. – that's covered. So now Kevin Cardoza says, Bioware seems to be getting pushed by EA to make their games cheaper in a cheaper or faster way. I get the impression that Dirty Little Secret is their games get a lot of acclaim in the community but don't actually sell well. And partially in response to this, seem to have generated an online attitude that treats them as the worst developer in the world, with everything they do or announce being taken in the worst possible context. The Mass Effect 3 ending fiasco is just the latest in this. Do you think this company will ever get back to the reverence they used to have? Well, those two guys, the two heads of it just the two, quit. The two heads quit, which is interesting, but I, I don't feel qualified enough to answer this question. I don't follow Bioware or the fan yeah. reaction at all. I couldn't um, possibly. One thing I would never do is try and infer their motivations for any one choice or another. Like it's, that's I'm I'm personally not crazy about how the direction either the Mass Effect or Dragon Age series have gone so far. Like the first game in each of those series and I know not everyone agrees with this, but for me the first game in each of those series is the one that I like the most. Sure. But I don't know why that's the case. Like, I, I think, don't know. Yeah, it's <clears throat> it's um I don't know if that's a public people thing or we've talked a little bit on this cast about sort of the transition from working in games Coming to working in the game development from being outside, even if being outside means you're working in press or like you're really avidly follow all that stuff. One of the biggest sort of surprises to me is the complex reality of what actually happens when that sort of thing happens. Like Bioware fans have X, Y issue with it and people will just say it's because they're being pushed by EA. Right. Like – This is like sense of an ending level shit. This is like – Yeah. You just can never know. Well, like – yeah, I, man, there's stuff that I want to talk about that I can't actually talk about. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, that's fine. Um, but you're right, though. Like, the decisions yeah. get made for complicated reasons that pile on other decisions that were made a year ago that were never announced to the public in, in, public in the first place. And, like, right. th- this, decisions like that get made, like, for really it's, complicated it's reasons. It's also surprising the, how the, um, like, butterfly flapping its wings effect can yeah. cascade across. Like, Absolutely. Um, this is a story that I've never actually heard a straight answer on, but one of within sort of the adventure game and LucasArts fan communities, what happened to <laughs> Sam and Max Freelance Police is that was like LucasArts announced a sequel to Sam and Max Hit the Road, and everyone was super excited and canceled it in 2003. People said, like, oh, it's because of the marketing department. Oh, it's because of the budget. Oh, it's because of executive shift. It's because adventure games, blah, 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 blah. But one of the things that I had heard was LucasArts switched their international marketing group from an in-house group to an outside one that was that was paired up with uh, a different publisher internationally, and the sales numbers that they projected just was based on a slightly different model than the previous publisher did, which then said there were going to be 50% fewer sales in Europe, which then meant that the game was less appealing internally, but it was not creatively motivated. It was not a major corporate shift. It was one number in one spreadsheet in Europe came back different because a different person ran the numbers and I, I don't know if that's that's surely also not the reason, but like that's the type of shit that happens. Yeah, you just, could never just assume that based on anything, right? Yeah. And, but right. like, it's not just oh, X person hates Y X executive. Yeah, decides. it's like yeah, yeah. there's all these insane swirling things that show up in this conversation that makes you just want to bar forever. Yeah, um, and it's it's very weird. Aaron Brown says, "What's up with all this the podcast? Looks ruined to me." Says the chat. Did something uh, get is. ruined? Oh. 
That's true. Oh, right. Sorry. We're on that question right now. Aaron Brown says, what's up with all the ruining? I mean, Jesus, you guys should all be adults by now, so lay off it. That's true. We can't stop stop ruining. We can't stop ruining because we have a couple more pages of ruining left. We're getting close to the end of this ruining, though. Benjamin Liu says, oh, man, potential emergent gameplay in Tokyo Jungle. I mean, I I don't know how much emergence there is in that game. The thing is... A lot of it's sort of implied emergence, you know. I think uh, the best story I can... And I think we're also getting stuff out of the constraints of co-op. Co-op? Of cooperative co-op. play? Of cooperative oh, play. Co-op. Where you were trying to get back... Like, you were trying to get back on screen, accidentally kicked a rabbit. Seven rabbits then attacked us and chased right. us into a bush where we then stayed for six months of our lives. And I think that's the sort of stuff that when we were sitting there playing the game and having that story come out of the screen based on the systems that are at play, including the cooperative, the limits of the cooperative system, uh, that was really, really fun. And that was hilarious to me. And that game is rife with good stuff like that. I think people are actually poo-pooing it for um, on-screen like two-player mode. They don't think it's good. We think it's good. <laughs> it doesn't mean it's like polished and there definitely are things where you wish were better, but... We have a good time. It reminds me a lot of the way that Spelunky handles co-op, where there's just a passive second player, and you kind of have to make peace with that, and if you can get into that state, it's actually pretty enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah, Um, yeah. Even though it fucks everything up all the time, it makes you really pissed. Mm -hmm. Stephen Cobb says, Have you guys played any games lately that you thought represented a new or forgotten genre, and that you wanted to see other developers take on that same set of rules or mechanics? Uh, Well, I mean, I'm glad that I'm glad that XCOM is coming out. Like, I mean, that kind of thing, that specific take yeah. on turn-based strategy, I don't think has been yep. seen very often, at least not in a, like, noticeable way. I mean, right, like, people every once in a while try to make a very specific XCOM homage game, but um, so, someone like Firaxis is doing it, I think, is really cool. Uh, I mean, that's the thing about Forgotten is that that large, that essentially means forgotten by visible developers. Cause everyone all the time, like there's always little tiny things that individual people are just making on the internet because they think things are cool. And that's awesome. But it's hard to be aware of all that stuff all the time. Yep. Um, in terms of a new, new genre, uh, I don't, I don't know. This is the kind of question that I'm terrible at answering off the top of my I'm head. Like, my brain is so taxed I mean, on this stuff. You can yeah. you can fly super far off into space and say things like, "I really like JS Joust," right? Like, yeah. but that's like, it's such a separate thing that right. it just like yeah. it's it's out entirely out of the mm-hmm. the cycle of what a lot of you know. I think it goes outside of the framework of yeah, having a screen. Not, it's not really to a video the point game. that yeah, no it's just it's yeah. it's kind of draws. It has almost more in common with like a formalized game version of like. Star Wars lightsaber toy by Mattel or something. Right, it's right. just a really cool, more interesting, complex version of that. Like, it's like an awesome thing, yep. but you can't really directly compare it to, like, video games. I, sh- I mean, I hope there's more incredibly well-made and polished competitive games on the horizon. I'm there, really that so- seems to be a big thing right now. I'm, like really the- so- I'm so into Dota that, like, my well, other options are, like, League of Legends and Here's a New Earth, and it's just the same game. Right. Where I'm, and, you know, there's sort of, like, competitive shooters. You could also well, play there, StarCraft. You could play yeah. Counter-Strike. There know. have been, I'm not gonna there have been little offshoots of that, like Super MNC, like the Monday Night Combat. Hey, the Monday Night Combat. Right, like, right, right, up, like, that's right. a thing that is sort of influenced by Dota games, but it's a different kind yeah, yeah, of yeah. game. Like, I, there seem to, it seems like now that it's been demonstrated, there is a market for that stuff. and that. Oh, man, Nidhogg. 
Oh, Nidhogg is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's kind of like, you know, what was the game? The Pole Riders? Riders? Yeah. Oh, Pole Riders is amazing. Nidhogg and Pole Riders are really close relatives. Yeah, I think. it was sort of like really crisp by mechanics yeah. that have this sort of this really high upper limit, if no upper limit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, I can't believe I'm the person who's into that stuff at this stage of my life, but I am. <laughs> yeah. That's been a cool, that has been a cool thing to see. Also, um, just think the weird, like, refocus on kind of roguelike likes, you know, yeah. FTL and, oh, like rogue-like, like, like, and stuff like that, I think has been really cool. Yeah, it's awesome. Ben Gracie says, the Deus Ex Human, Resolution, uh, Human Revolution PC leak, did you guys follow it as gamers, journalists, developers? It felt like it was one of the more interesting stories last year. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I totally <laughs> didn't follow that at all. So the answer wow. is no, but... I don't send allowing us, people to if, talk uh, about it on their forums instead of trying to ignore it or threaten those who downloaded it. Like, that's cool. Um, but I totally didn't follow that story at all. If somebody wrote a nice overview of that in journalism, send us a I link. Mean, I think it is, it is really clear that I think Eidos was really confident in that game, which is really surprising and nice. Like, they had that up, I think it was at PAX East last year, where they were just, if you were a developer or exhibitor in some way, you or press, you could just go and play through what seemed like an unlocked build of the entire game months and months before it came out. Like, Eidos seemed to handle that game's existence really confidently, which is cool, but I didn't follow the leak story at all. Um, really quickly, to go back, someone, because Jake, I saw you post about this, and I'm equally excited about it. Someone said, uh, SimCity looks like it's going back to its roots with the new version. Oh my god, the new SimCity gameplay trailer yeah. crushed my face, because it, it's the... It's, it, oh, oh, did you watch that, or did you watch the commentary one? Oh yeah, the commentary one. It's okay, the, the yeah, game, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it was listed as the gameplay trailer, oh, but where, okay. like... It's doing a lot of the core stuff from SimCity and seems like they've boiled a lot of it down, but it throws out the grid system, which right. was looks super cool because your cities have the potential to form. Like, if you want to build a grid city, you can, but you can also just paint curved roads with the cursor, and then it looks is gorgeous. able to parcel out districts and zones next to roads. So, like, you'll end up with slightly oddly shaped commercial and residential things. You can go like that, and then it goes bup, 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 and gives you all of the... all yeah. of, like It builds the grids off of awesome. your infrastructure. There's it's also something good. really cool that JP pointed out about this game. I was, we were talking about it the other day. And they've adopted the design philosophy of like systems in the game that are being simulated should be represented in the game itself. Like in the visual... What's going on in the game, right? So you shouldn't just like add... they should As designers, like they shouldn't just be adding systems that just tick away in the background that have no actual like ramifications on mm-hmm. what you're seeing in the world. So like more traffic, there should be more actual cars on the road. Like more people, there should be more people there. That stuff shouldn't, this seems like it's that gone, stuff shouldn't just be abstracted away. And the fact like what that video implies is you can click on any individual human yeah. and it will show you their motivation uh, at the moment, like where they're going. But then each of those dots then can when you zoom out, turns into the collective flow of traffic or whatever. Right. Like, but what's so cool about that is that traditionally SimCity has abstracted a lot of that stuff, where it's like where it's just, there, your population is a number, but that's right. just represented and by then, like, like a vague amount. There is of, traffic back up here. You need infrastructure. Right. means a cycle of cars being blocked showed up on right. those roads like they would on Google Maps or something, yeah. whereas now you actually see a pileup of cars. It's and a, this, this, is, is, yeah. this is something that's fantastic because that's – like that's actually the, that's a different video, but the okay. whole um, yeah. eh, whatever it's SimCity. Oh no, this is it. But the the notion of basing your entire creative con- and design constraints, and I'm sure they're not 100 percent slavish to that, but like the notion of using that as a central design philosophy mm-hmm. seems amazing. Seems like an incredible example of taking the of doing things with your new game that you can do that take advantage of modern computing hardware's power 
and like the fact that you have a high resolution monitor so you can see you can put a lot of pixels on there mm-hmm. but is with totally in the spirit of what the old game did even if the old game didn't actually do that because it couldn't yep. yeah. like that's an amazing example of how to take something and keep the spirit of it true while totally changing it in a fairly meaningful way that's Holy an impressive shit. <laughs> So that guy just drew a curved road and Sean's brain fucking popped out. Yeah. That video is really cool. Um, what are we talking about? Oh, the, that was... So that's our answer to the Deus Ex Human Revolution is a PC leak. Um, wow, we're at the, on the last page. I know. Rob Jones says, in light of the fact that there are more important things in the world than video games... Do you ever have any regrets about pursuing a career in the video game industry? <laughs> if if you ever did have regrets, what made you oh, push them aside go. in order to continue being professionally involved with video games? Well, Sean. Oh, golly. What's Rob? Yep. <laughs> wow. Sean's having a moment. The burnout in video games is like... The average video game career, I think, is like... A it's little less than years. five years long, or it's like between. Oh, I thought it was always five. I was well, five's always it depends which. Point, well, so. I I don't know the average, but what I do know is that as someone who used to be who used to be in charge of the video game, the video game industry game developer salary survey, uh, when I worked for Gamma Street and Game Developer Magazine, right? Um, more than seventy five percent. Well, this was as of a couple of years ago. I don't know if it's changed since then, but at the time, more than seventy five percent of people in this industry burned out before they hit a decade in the industry, and so. To get by the time you get to more than fifty percent, I'm sure the number is much shorter than that. Uh, so I, maybe maybe it is only five years, as you say, Sean. But like that wouldn't surprise me at all. This no. industry burns people out like crazy, and it's really bad. If you consider, like, let's say you're a writer or you're a filmmaker or you or you're a musician, that is a vocation that you do for your life. Like right. you can spend an entire lifetime never fully mastering that craft because there's always more to master. And then you think that, oh, the vast majority of people in games leave before they've even been there 10 years. Like that, that's a slightly disturbing thing to consider. Um, because games clearly as a discipline offer room to grow. And like that, that might be one of the things that hurts the development of games is that so, is that there's this average like seven year churn of people starting, like starting fresh right out of college again. And then like there are so few people just institutionally throughout the industry. Who have spent an entire career in it? Yeah, it's it's a weird thing. I I've been really lucky in the past few years to work on things that either I'm working with people uh, that is really fulfilling, or I'm working on a game where I'm able to to make a thumbprint on it in a way that I think is that I am I'm fulfilled by. But if those two things were taken away, like I couldn't do it. There's just yeah. no way. And well, the- unfortunately, ninety-five percent of the business is that. I feel like I feel like a lot of it is people working really, really hard on teams that are probably mismanaged, and they don't even get their thumbprints onto the game. And I think that's a, that kills me. And yeah. uh, it's a. But at the same time, I think if you t- the majority of people I talk to in the game business, especially around our age are all there's always a party that's like i'm not going to do this forever oh yeah and honestly that's probably the thing that keeps you in the business because <laughs> you're like well maybe i won't do this forever but right now i'm you know we can't I have nothing to complain about like jake and i are making a game that we definitely like you there's know. a lot of us actually in the game that's yeah showing up on screen which is yeah cool. you know so i think 
that is oh a you huge mean like hit. how John Romero put his face into the boss of the game exactly like mm-hmm. how Doug is in the game mm-hmm. yeah. yeah exactly Doug's in the chat if Doug wasn't in the game be out yeah I'm I'm going back to school <laughs> yeah yeah I'm getting yeah. my masters well and I I definitely have. I'm definitely really glad to be at Double Fine now because it feels like a place that I could be for a really long time just because of the the nature of the company and the yeah. size of the projects. It just feels a lot more sane to me than, yeah. you know, some some parts of this industry. Somebody in chat actually pointed out, then Gaff shits on your game and those people are crushed. I don't read any of that shit. Yeah, that's a good idea. I don't too. read. I barely, I read one in every few reviews. Like, no, I don't read very many reviews. I don't. I read everything. I know. Yeah, Jake does. (laughs) I can't do it. I'm just trying to, you know. But also, like, at one point, you're, like, you're trying to, like, you're in, you have a career, like, trying to, like, grow and, you know, like, have a house and one day maybe and things like this. Like, you get, people get entrenched into that stuff, too, so. Well, it's also hard to do that in games for a lot of people. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Anyway. (laughs) Um, It's a really, it's a challenge. Good question. The next question is a a doozy. Go for it. Alex Waro asks... (laughs) What can change the nature of a man? <laughs> um, the nature is hard. I mean, nature is like we're really talking it's, about. It's also know. of a man. Also, not what can change the nature of man. I would. No, I, know, I would I say. Um, yeah. Either question is worth. There's a lot of different ways to tackle this question. There's philosophical. There's sort of anthropological. Yeah. There's um, well, biological. Would be of men, right? Or of like yeah, right, of, like of a, a man. Yeah, like of a, man. An individual man. This is a man like, well, the idea of nature as a construct is. You have to th- if that's the one thing you have to do is throw that away. Is say, okay, there is no such thing as nature. This is all nature. Like, what do you mean? Really want to go? Here? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I have long-standing yeah. sort of, and I'm going to butcher like Pabosh is in the forms. He's an anthropology major. Uh, I have long-standing conversations with my wife about this idea of nature. What is natural? Mm-hmm. Like the idea of what is natural is constructed by our the social system which we oh, live. Oh, sure. Well, that's definitely true, but I don't right. I don't think that's quite what he's asking. I think he means the nature of an individual person. Like Right, 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 right. Which I mean, at one point there isn't because mm. <laughs> I mean, different people do respond to things in different ways and like how, you know, like filter things through different lenses in their brain. Like can that once someone is kind of past the like I don't know, past like 18 years old or so. Mm-hmm. You know, like can that fundamentally Well, it depends change? on where you look. Like philosophically, like some people say that that's from moment 1 of first breath on that's not possible i would say uh, i would definitely disagree with alex should i'm just saying i'm not saying you're saying that yeah i think that try as you as you might alex it's really hard to change a man so you should probably give up and not waste your life you could do better (laughs) um i will say that one of the one of the reasons i've gotten that's that's a jake one are we but i do we we go to the next all right fine no you know that's you're going let's ruin this chris I just wanted to say, I think one of the reasons that I was really interested in doing the book podcast when Sean first suggested it is be what? Nothing. No, I'm still laughing. Sean sort of, <laughs> you can do better. Um, is that like getting back into literature in the last several years has really been very valuable for me to consider myself and the way I look at the world and how other people look at the world. And I think that, that through literature and things like literature, I think you can I don't know. I don't know if you can necessarily change your nature in like the most fundamental way, but I think you can broaden it, and I think you can help expand the way you you look at things in a way that can work towards that to some degree. I don't know. I think that's very valuable. I think it's a valuable thing for a person living in society to do. <laughs> We've got Kennedy up on the oh, oh great free mobile guys. Guys, I have an idea. Uh huh. 
Oh, we could create a free mobile app? Thinking about it. Don't click that banner ad. Okay. Don't click it. Uh, Matthew Floratus pronunciation. Let me read it. Just go. He says, sports games as RPGs. Why don't games like MLB The Show get recognized for what they really are? RPGs. I love this question. By and large, they are pigeonholed as sports sims. MLB The Show, for instance, has long been excellent in terms of design and lifelike presentation and capturing the emotion of the sport, and yet its reach is relatively small, despite the fact that the central part of the game is an in-depth career mode where you guide one player through a 15-year career, and it's not like baseball games are hard to play. All you have to do is press X to swing the bat. I feel like these games are dismissed as being for sports fans only... When, in fact, they often utilize and rip off the best parts of role-playing adventure games. I completely agree. And I think we are guilty of that and we'll try to do better. <laughs> I'm really interested in it. I would love to start a, an MLB The Show career. Uh, I think that'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I agree completely. It's funny uh, because there are many games you won't touch because of the theme. But you're not averse to a baseball game. because Because I like Because you're Sean Baseball Vanavan. I'm not I know. I just, it, but I mean, the answer to that is... I think sports games don't get are often not given a fair shake by core gamers for the same reason that you look at a game like Deus Ex and go, ugh, cyberpunk bullshit, and don't touch it. Yeah, but that's okay. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying in the discourse, one is heavily featured and one isn't heavily featured. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we should try to do better at that aspect of it. Does cheesecake made in zero-G taste better than terrestrial cheesecake? Sorry, I'm just reading things idea. from the chat. These are these are not sanctioned, ruined topics. Yeah, um, that was a freebie. Stephen Ferguson asks, "Just be awesome." Okay, oh, we'll try. Sorry, we didn't do it today, but we'll do it <clears throat> next time. Chris, you get to read this word from Tim Douglas. You get to read this name. Oh, this is, oh, this is <laughs> okay. This is that guy who everyone knows, but no one can pronounce his name, or at least I can't. Uh, Mahali uh, Chicksent Mahali's flow state like this is oh right right right, right. the the notion of being in a flow state and i can't say his name (laughs) um i'm less i'm i feel so bad for the people who are are sending who have sent us like actual like things that are like worth discussing and this they submitted to a thing called the ruination cast so i feel like i'm less i'm less into games being about that than i think i was probably five years ago i would say like i'm less into games being more about immersing you single single like whole mindedly into the flow of a particular thing like, like what's part, an example of that i mean like is that things um, like your life being ruined by medios forever or like what is the what is a flow i don't know yeah, the, that's, I don't probably, know that's probably an example of it where like you get so like yeah you get into tetris at such a level that you're like anticipate you're essentially like almost have a second right. sense or like sixth sense where you're just I'm like right engaging. that's where i am am right now with dota oh yeah, yeah. like i finally i had a big breakthrough this week and just sort oh, yeah. of, of getting the game yeah. like that's cool. Yeah. And like, I definitely think that's interesting. And like, I like having that experience from time to time. But part of the notion of flow state, as I understand it, is that you are less self reflect. It's less about like self reflection and like, and kind of considering things. Just the feedback more- cycle between your eyes to your hands to the game. Yeah. To your you get, eyes it's like a pure like, emotional state. Yeah. And like, that, that can be really cool. But I, I've started in the last several years, I've gotten more into games where they're kind of almost the opposite of that, where I'm just kind of reflecting and like, playing it at a slower pace and just kind of considering a thing. And like, I, I like to play a thing that's going to make me um, think about myself or about other concepts that are far afield and be less in than just that pure, that pure sense of flow. Um, chick sent me high is what the chat says. Ah, chick sent me high. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Boba Kira Fett says, Tribes Ascend, Far Cry 2 slash 3, Archon, Terraria, currently played games, in order of preference, otherwise have fun. Is he saying choose from these, or is he saying... Yeah, yeah, I think he's just, he's just a smorgasbord there. A smorgasbord? A smorgasbord. I haven't played any of these other than Far Cry 2 and Akron. Did you play Terraria, Jake? Akron. No. A lot of people at Telltale are really into Terraria, but I've only ever played Minecraft. Um, in, that, in that sort of school. When's Far Cry 3 come out? I don't know. I haven't really been paying attention to it. Watch chat. Give it two <laughs> seconds. Need like ten seconds, yeah. Bob. Bob. Ah, that's that's right, anyway, not yeah. a good idea. No. Okay. <laughs> it's probably already out. I don't think it's out. I know. Yeah. People would have sent us 800 messages. If it were December out. 4th. Someone says December 4th. Someone else says February. So we don't. we have no idea. It's a game. Uh, games. Uh, Jason Covert says... How often do you floss and do you lie to the dentist about it? Mm. I had a really good flossing regimen for a while, but I've fallen off. I my dentist can always tell. Same here. Yeah, I, I, I picks advice. I'm, no yeah, yeah, I'm back <laughs> into it know. lately. Yeah. I have like these little like little floss picks. And December fourth. Those, those are great. I actually have those them at my picks. desk, and oh, nice. I'm like a oh, fidgety a person in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, it's a good idea. I'm sitting there, I was like, <laughs> I got I got to do that. Yeah. Star Wars: The Old Republic. Oh, sorry. Vitas Varnas says Star Wars: The Old Republic. I was not into this game. I played a. I played the like the when it came out. I, that's I a game that I thought I was going to love, and I just really? it didn't. It, yeah, even, I, even as an MMO, because you're not an MMO. No. Guy. Oh, oh, sorry. This is the old Republic. This is not the. Uh, sorry, this is this not. Is not oh, you thought it was Knights of the Old Republic. I'm sorry. I. Um, I actually thought on paper that the old Republic was going to appeal to me more than it, it did, but I never even actually played it, which mm. is bad. But you know, Kotor. I thought I was going to be really into it, and I, it did not touch me. In I any was way. The, exact, the exact same thing for me with Kotor. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. into it. Um, yeah, the Old Republic. I played, I bought it, and I played the free month, which ended up being a few weeks, and I ended up not renewing it because it just ended up feeling like every other MMO to me. I also don't really like all the political shit that they put in Star Wars because I feel like it's just really bad political allegory. Like it's right. just clunky and bad. Like I have, another, nothing, I have nothing yeah, against I like agree. I have nothing against someone making sci-fi stuff with political stuff in it but from the sign that said no blood for aliens <laughs> but that's different that's like bioware as specifically i know i'm talking about star wars in general oh, i don't right. like that shit in the movies either oh yeah it's no, really that, bad but like there was always the game the, is full of that stuff yeah, uh, i think it's really dumb yeah and oh also what the game has a bunch of is like the opening cutscene immediately is like crazy commando like hardcore military shit, which I also think is ludicrous in the context of Star Wars. Right. Cause Star Wars is all about like old, hilarious, like colonial style, right? Like regiments of troops oh, that are totally yeah. ridiculous. And like suddenly now What's you've funny, got is like it, but they, black they, ops guy rolling into a thing. From and, a like, game perspective, they don't like, seem to give a fuck about any of that stuff anymore. Like no, if you look at the, the new Star Wars or like, 1313 like, or whatever. Well, 1313 though, it's like, I don't, I, that does not look like Han Solo exists in the Star Wars universe. He does in 1313. No, I mean, no, we're talking about like Mass Effect style commando guys. But that's not what 1313 is, is it? Those guys look, I don't know. I don't know. I, that doesn't bother me in the case of 1313 because I think that's supposed to be about a really specific location and a really specific subculture inside of the Star Wars universe. But why even call them? Because people love Star Wars. But like, yeah, fair, true. But I think Kotor or Tor, whatever, what, when you when you zoom back out to the scale of the older public, I think you have to adhere closer to what the big appeal of Star Wars is. But maybe for some people, it's the politics. I, mean, I don't even Yoda, know what the man. appeal is, but I just know what I think is cool about it, and I don't. When like, Star Wars Episode Two went on DVD, the commercial for it, uh, 
said the beginning of it said Yoda man and it had oh, yeah. footage of Yoda <laughs> fighting Count Dooku and then the, at the end of it it was the same video with the same treatment but the announcer said Yoda the man <laughs> I will okay, I'm, I'm talking Jake, more you pointed that out to me that one time and I've never been able to get past that in my brain Yoda man, Yoda man. anyway Yoda the man <laughs> what it's all about Yoda can we move on please yeah, yeah let's move on <laughs> what uh, are all the Yodas just like <clears throat> futzing around his little house Fucking good. Yeah, Yoda, oh. Yoda demand. That's what you're saying. No, oh, Yoda man. Nobody's murdering people. Uh, and he's just being old and weird. Hoodwinking Luke Skywalker. Hannes Muller says, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Crusader Kings 2 if any of you picked it up. Uh, if not, is it cheating to ask you about Deus Ex Human Revolution? Really enjoyed the write up on Goody.cx, especially Steve's tragic reading. Um, I don't think any of us have played Crusader Kings 2, no. unfortunately. I think Nick Brecken has, but. Uh, that guy I mean, sucks because he doesn't live in San Francisco. Fuck Nick. Um. We don't have any We've thoughts about Crusader Kings 2. Yeah. Deus Ex at this stage. I actually really wanted to play Crusader Kings 2 because they talked about it on Three Moves Ahead. I know. Yeah. And it sounded really, it really did. cool. And I, I hate myself for not having played it after that because I totally wanted to. I even downloaded it. Maybe I'll do that today. Anyway, uh, Deus Ex Human Revolution. We've kind of talked about it a bunch. I thought it yeah. was great. I yep. mean, I thought it was really, really good. Clinton Willis says, "Do you think in the future we'll be able to? Will we? Do you think in the future we will be able to play games to literally accomplish work, similar to Ender's Game? What type of work could you see accomplished via games? Some surgery, selling cars, traffic control, gamify your job. Um, I, I really don't like gamification no, at all. I don't either. I like there being a separation between work and play, and I do agree. Like, I think." some lessons from game design can be applied to the tools you use to do work, but I don't think that incentivizing it the same way that like that games incentivize progress is a, is a healthy thing. No, I agree. Yeah. I've never been a person who's been able I to think, incentivize I think, to do anything. I think a lot. <laughs> so it's really hard for me. It's, it just seems like alien. Through, it like, just feels to me like you're, you're deliberately lying to me. yourself. To, sort of, it's weird. Yeah. It's really weird. I don't know. My incentive. Yeah. My motivation comes from a weird place. Jobification. <laughs> Jobify your game. We need to jobify this game. Gamify our jobs. Kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Killify your face. <laughs> Zoloid says, army service. My next year will be sent in the Russian army, sadly. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, that's sadly. That- Is that, if, had he not said sadly, I'd have been like, oh, like, good Go luck. Good luck. Yeah. Uh, no, I... Uh, we talked to a guy at PAX who is uh, going on his first tour to Afghanistan like three weeks after being at PAX. And he's like, oh, man, I'm not going to get to play episode four. I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. So we ended up talking to that guy for, oh, gosh, a couple hours. Yep. I'm just a kid, you know, he's like 20. Yeah. Um, I think, I don't know, there was this, uh, there was an op-ed written in the New York Times. Did you read that one? That was basically like bring back the draft. But it was essentially like, oh, yeah. look, two year, like two years out of school – at 18, two years of service, either foreign or domestic. There's yeah. like the military. There's like... I actually kind of agree with that. I fucking do too. And I feel like it would have made me a better person. I agree entirely. I think also like for on a couple fronts. One, having a buffer... Like on this is not related to the specific... That specific thing. But having a buffer between high school and college, I think would have been really valuable for me and a lot of people I knew. Exactly. You just went to college because it's what you do. Yep. And I created like, that buffer for myself and spent a shitload of money fucking around in Los Angeles going yeah. to school. Yeah. Right. Right. See, exactly. Exactly. Like, yeah. That's, yeah. Um, and then on the other hand, yeah, just having some sense of what it actually means to have to dedicate your life for a couple of years to something that you don't directly choose, but that is important and that should be done. I think, 
I, you know, I, I think that would be valuable for a lot of people, probably mm-hmm. myself included. Um, That's right. I started looking at the chat for a second. Are you guys specifically saying? Are you specifically talking about forced military? Service? No, 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 no. no, no. What I was saying is, there's a really great. What? There was a really great. There was a really great New York Times op-ed that was basically saying there should be. You know, and there's a way to get out of it, but I think it's financial or it's a tax burden or something. Or, but the thing is, when you get also, there's do two years, you, the government gets either cheap labor, domestic, like you can put, you know, like infrastructure, it can be, you know, social services, it can be whatever. Uh, there's also, or you can go to the military, but after two years, there's like almost like a baby GI bill sort of thing or an ROTC thing where you yeah. get out and they, they, you know, college is cheaper and all this stuff. You have yeah. all these doors that are open great. to you. And I think, yeah, it should not, um, but that being said, be I want to address one thing, which is I have yeah. no fucking clue what Russia is like. So I have no, no, no idea what the Russian military is like. Nope. <laughs> so if you're in a country, the military is not cool. <laughs> uh, to qu- not, yeah. To quickly go back to the gamification thing. Someone in the chat says that's not the game. Of the, that's not the kind of gamification in Ender's game. I think he means, that the game itself is doing work, commanding troops in Ender's Game. So, like, like that protein folding game that does bio research. Well, it just depends entirely on what kind of job it is. Like, yep. if you're doing creative work, that would be a lot harder to achieve. Yep. Yeah, but I think that stuff's. You're neat. writing this story, but now it's for crazy aliens. Hmm. Will they like it? The aliens are played by your boss. Like that's you know, like I don't know, like <laughs> what? <laughs> what reframing? Yeah, right. Work it's just your work like, processor just has StarCraft UI graphics around the edges of it or something. What weird. Um, if a food pellet came out of a hole every time I wrote a scene. Right. Well, no, that's, well, that's gamification that's again, different. though. Right, it's right, different right, right, no. But I think that folding at home and that protein stuff, that they're it's basically really outsourcing cool. the brain power needed yeah. to solve these problems, that yeah. stuff's fucking Yeah, that's rad. so awesome, yeah. Uh, where are we? It looks like we're done scrolling. At least we're in the last page. We're still oh, on yeah. the last page. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, last Will page. Rogers says, why is UI design in video games so bad? Jake? Jake? <laughs> I why know. do you do such a bad job, Jake? Yeah. That's what we were implying. Clearly. I was going to say, it's not so much that your work is bad, is that it's insufferable. It's just, <laughs> ugh. Oh, sorry. What they meant to say is, why is video games apostrophe UI design so bad? That, <laughs> uh, that makes so much more um, sense. That is makes sense. I do what I can. Um, <laughs> he tries. That menu you made for Back to the Future was cool. You like that fly around of that DeLorean? Um, I think UI design in video games, the bad stuff can be, I don't, that's a big question because what can, what does it mean? I mean, the actual aesthetic graphic design of it can be bad just because someone doesn't care enough or because you don't have the right person doing the right job. Uh, UI design in video games can be really overbearing because your publisher or your designer or your producer or your team or your playtesters declare that you need a bunch of bullshit in there that in the actual experience of playing the game as a consumer is stupid. I mean, like, uh, also, I just don't think there's good standards for it. I think there's yeah. a lot of language to discuss a lot of game design at this point, and that language is growing, like the lexicon of and games game are design. so different. UI needs are so but, different. But, yeah, there's, there's no real formal way to discuss it, and also it is totally a per-title thing. But like, Also, you can triple your salary by doing UI, UX in, in a web startup, so yeah, also, it's hard to keep <laughs> good people. It's really yeah, hard that's to keep totally good people. True. That's true with a lot of things with games, actually. Yeah. Like a Especially, lot of parts yeah. of games, like things, not not all parts, obviously, but there are a bunch of things that are needed for games that are also needed for tech companies that will pay you so much more yep. and have such better working conditions. To uh, clarify, sorry, someone in chat said that was my UI in Back to the Future. I did the main menu fly around the car stuff, but most of that was done by a guy named Jim Ingram, who is awesome. He also did all the UI work on Bioshock 2 and Minerva's Den, and now I don't know where he is, but um, he was at Telltale for a I bit. I bet nobody knows. 
That's true. Maybe I bet he doesn't even know. Doesn't, why is he why driving? Why is he driving? How is he driving? <laughs> How is he driving? Uh, Brandon. <laughs> why am I driving with the phone number? Is why am I driving is a very different thing. Why am I driving? Ugh. Um, Brandon Numrich says Far Cry 3. I don't know enough about I Far Cry 3 I seriously have yet. nothing to say about I'll Far Cry 3. I'll play it, Steve, Steve Gaynor played through the Far Cry 3 demo at PAX and he came back really excited about the fact that packs of wolves and wild dogs will just appear and interfere with his game. I'm probably going to yeah. love that all, shit. All the stories yeah. that he told yeah, were about cool. like how he was scouting out a base and then wolves showed up and just ate a dude and dragged him away and he was like, okay, good, wolves. So right. there's probably more to the game than that, but like... Hopefully not. Steve wolves, also... <laughs> wolves exactly. in Far Cry 3 was like thing, Steve's right? uh, Bennett Foddy being obsessed with crying only where right. all Steve would tell me about was wolf encounters, but I'm right. sure other things happened. Hopefully, hopefully not. Steve also also, God bless him. Is, has a much stronger buffer against the sort of the sort of things that will just I'll throw the game in the garbage. Like well, Steve stuff, has those things too. They're just different things for him. Like some of the Steve, things I'm saying. I think the tr- of yeah. King being. That's what I'm saying. The things that things. I will yeah, throw yeah, yeah. stuff in. Right, like Steve yeah. is just like resi- they're not. He's resilient to them. But like, like a trench this, coat. <laughs> yes, like a trench coat and yeah. sweet Oakleys. Um, yeah. <laughs> like uh, the stuff that I saw in the trailer. That's all video, all pre-rendered stuff. Like. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. God. Yeah. Also, Steve just loves wolves. Is worth pointing. Yeah, Steve exactly. is, someone in, uh, is a Lou, wolf maniac. Yeah, he does. Lou just Derek and Chad says Steve wolves. just loves wolves. Steve, I think, has a ring that's a wolf. He's got uh, a many shirts. Probably which a contain wolves. Of a wolf, Probably like or his face is a wolf's face. He does have that that chin strap wolf beard. That's not what a wolf has. Maybe. Unless Steve, do, unless Steve is could. playing do as a wolf in a game with character customization. That's true. Um. <laughs> Steven Dengler says Dracogen.com and Megacynics.com. So Dracogen.com is you don't really do anything on that website, but it just it's like the homepage for Steven Dengler's like one man awesome investment angel investment firm, basically, yep. where like he invests in awesome things. Uh, and he didn't really invest and in Althumbs, but he no, was one of our he, backers. And I think Megacynics is a webcomic that he does. Yeah, web, that's interesting actually, because his webcomic Megacynics is like as I understand it, it's well, it's illustrated by his sister, but this is like a sister he met like later in his life that he had, that he didn't oh, really weird. know when you know way young. more about this than I do. Well, it was like on the about page. I okay, think, but, um, yeah. Anyway, Stephen Dengler's cool. We hung out with that guy recently. And he's yeah, pretty awesome, and just one of the coolest. That guy plays games the way we play games. By the way, that guy's right. like, oh, oh yeah, think of when you like think when I got like to the second map in Far Cry Two. You got to the second map in Far Cry Two. Good. Holy yeah. shit! This guy, <laughs> he's an awesome guy. Uh, uh, Neil Orr says our take on Skyrim as standalone and as part of the Elder Scrolls series. Um, I, I liked just... it more than the last few Elder Scrolls is. Uh, I liked I may, lo, largely because of the environment. I thought the kind of that's a silly reason, I guess. But I, I so loved hold just, on, we got to back up for yeah. No, someone we, said so. Dracogen invested in Idle Thumbs of the Prospect. No, he, just, no, 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 he, he backed us. He backed us. He backed us. Yeah, yeah. Thank you no, for we somebody have for no, pointing that up. We have no revenue models. So yeah, we, we have, have no investors. Invest we have the Kickstarter backers. There's nothing to invest in. Yeah, Idle Thumbs is worthless. Go home. For sweet investment opportunities, please biz at idlethumbs.net. <laughs> yeah, right. If you'd like to figure out how to, we could ever make money from this someday, biz at idlethumbs. If you're a sweet biz dev guy who likes <laughs> yeah. us a lot, send us free advice. But yep. I thought Skyrim was awesome. I played a ton of it. But then we actually said something. This is a really small point that I think uh, we would make on a regular podcast. Uh-huh. But we talked about the other night. The thing that's bananas 
about Skyrim is, or a game like that, is my story of that game was I showed up in the world, I escaped mm. from those yeah. the prisoners at the beginning, I went out into the world, got you know chewed up by animals and got stronger and became just sort of like a wandering person doing deeds here, doing deeds there, kind of going halfway down mission um, quest lines. Quest lines. And then I got to the Assassin's Brother. The Assassin's Brotherhood visited me in the middle of the night, and I got in deep and went all the way through that story. And by the time I was like the master assassin, and I had been all the way through the, um, that narrative, I was done with the game. And that's because, where that character story ends, right? It's because like it felt I'm, insane to me to be the master assassin and then go to the next build in the next town. They're like, "So you want to be a werewolf?" Right. I'm like, "I'm a master assassin." They should, like, yeah, <laughs> right. Well, you shouldn't have I've to start already, this other thing from, from right. square one. Uh, I don't know if you heard about all those fucking people I murdered in that city in the yeah, north. That was me. No one yeah. caught me. Yeah, I killed that's a queen like, on her wedding day. Yeah, what's up? No, I'm not going to start like, with your fucking team Okay, first thing we're going to need you to do. Werewolf club. Yeah. I, that's not what I'm yeah, going to yeah. do today. Yeah. Sorry, bro. Like, I, What if you do? Well, if you want to be a werewolf, first thing we need you to do, there's like 10 bears you got to kill. <laughs> right, exactly. It's like, oh my, do you know who I am? Because I do. Yeah, that shit drives me crazy. How about I just kill you right now? Yeah. No one's going to even notice and they're looking at us. Which you can do, actually. Yeah, yeah. I know, that's true. Which yeah. is the one, the one nice that's thing. True. That is nice. That is the, so, I mean, that is, yeah. It's time for you to pronounce a name, Chris. Tobjorn G. Dahl writes, a short postmodem of the Kickstarter project would be interesting. If it has to be something hilarious, farts slash farts. Oh man, farts! Oh, farts! Farts! farts. farts. Oh. You're so good at farting. Oh man, hold on. Oh, oh man, Sean's making farty noises with the chair. Farts! Oh, okay, it's so funny. It... Never mind. <laughs> no, it's actually just not. You're just gonna go all so the fun. way in to the fart talk. Uh... Um, so the Kickstarter thing has <clears> been <throat> way different than we thought it was going to be. Yeah, 100%. Um, well, real, like real quickly, the things that are, the things that were incredibly difficult were making the fucking video. We shot three of them or something like that. It yeah. took us forever. We did three separate shoots. Yeah, each, each shoot took so many hours. It yeah. officially broke us all in very different ways. Yeah. It was bad. I... It was really rugged. But it was also good for us to go through that sort of this creative crucible at crucible up front, I think. Yeah. Um, one thing we should do is we actually sent out early on, we kind of polled like 15 or 20 of you yeah. about what you thought we should do um, when it came to the tiers and what sort of stuff you guys were into. It's how the $50 t-shirt tier Oh, the Idle Thumbs Cabal. The Cabal. Right. And well, specifically what we did We want to say thank you to those yeah, guys thanks for sure. Thanks you guys fucking saved our asses. Um, specifically what we did was uh, we sent them the preview link to our Kickstarter project before we launched it, and we said, "Hey guys, we found these people from like the Al Thumbs Forum, from Shack News, from Neil Gap, from Something Awful, from Gamers with Jobs, uh, from um, Quarter to Three, maybe." Even. Yeah, like we found people. And some who, people just I think even we looked on Twitter a little bit. And stuff, yeah, so. right. Twitter as well. Yeah, we found some people from throughout various communities on the internet that we knew really like. Uh, oh, yeah, sorry. Doug also says, hey, hey, don't go crediting the internet with the fifty dollars tier, uh, yeah. Sean. Uh, <laughs> we did well. Doug, Doug uh, was the original proponent of the fifty dollars tier, and we were all like, "Please, fifty dollars tier!" And then all feedback. Yeah. So what we did is we 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 put all these people on uh, like a BCC email list and sent them a link to our to our Kickstarter before it was launched of the preview link of the Kickstarter, and basically said, "All right, guys, like, thanks for being a fan of Althums. You're awesome. Let's pretend this Kickstarter that we're sending you is live." Right this instant, how many dollars would you actually pledge right now for real 
Like, not which thing do you think is the coolest, like, how much would you actually pledge, and why. It's the equivalent of doing an iterative playtest exactly. for the Kickstarter campaign. Yeah. And I'm not sure how many other Kickstarters do that. I doubt. But I bet we no. and we didn't really think about it. In ter- and it was born entirely out of insecurity. Right. I think yeah. of us just going, we don't know what the hell this it is. Helps you are in the game industry. But, yeah, we, we, oh, we, we, did, we did think to ourselves, yeah. let's let's try and playtest this. But I think yeah. playtesting, uh, I mean, effectively doing that probably is what helped. It helped our Kickstarter a lot. Um, oh, it absolutely did. I mean, there were tiers that we got rid of. There were tiers that we added. Yep. We, we confirmed Doug's suspicion that fifty dollars was what yeah. it was at. That was uh, tobacco pride was the name of specifically. Yeah, fifty dollar t-shirt. Um, that was that was incredible. I think the vast majority of pictures have probably not done that. I think uh, <clears throat> one other thing that I've never seen anyone mention it. a thing that is really obvious about our Kickstarter that we, but in hindsight especially, is thank fucking God. The Double Fine Kickstarter launched exactly when it did a week before ours. It launched because because yeah, we we had been we conceived of and had been working on this Kickstarter for months. Like we've been talking about the merch, we've been trying to line up all the artists and sort of writing out stuff, starting to work on the video. And we had the page up. We were working with the cabal on all this stuff, and then boom, out of nowhere, Double Fine Adventure shows up. Had a million dollars in twenty four hours, and we just went, oh fuck. Are we just, are we wholly fucked? Did the Kickstarter wave just crest in front of us? Does no one care about any of this stuff? Are we going to look like chumps? Are we going to look like yeah. chumps with our also ran other thing that we've been, <laughs> we've been working on for months? Um, we started it in October when Chris yeah. Yeah, came back. Yeah. Well, we started talking about it. We started, yeah. yeah, we started, yeah, we started when I was still in Boston. So it was five or six months yeah. to get the Kickstarter up. Yeah. Which is, everything has taken longer than we thought. But at the same time, I'm really happy with the fact that everything is in quality that meets our standards, so I think yep. that's been good. Also, like, another thing is that this, getting the stuff to you guys has been... I don't think Jake and I ever imagined that what our lives would become thanks to this video... The, the, I was going to say something about this video game we've been working on. It's, it's um, been slightly uh, more life-maddening yeah. than what we'd expect. But hopefully but, it's all been worth it. But what I was going to say about the Double Fine Kickstarter right. is it did what, Sean, you, you predicted correctly, like, within two days of it, we were like, are, is everyone tired of this and you said no what actually happened is 50,000 people sign up for Kickstarter and 50,000 gamers who have money to burn now know what this is who did not have any idea what it was before right. um, we didn't have to create an account and it actually accounts. turned out that basically people caught the wave at Double Fine and surfed it right over to the old Idle Thumbs Kickstarter yeah. one of the other pod- or Kickstarters that already happened to just be up right then like yeah. huh Idle Thumbs launching today on Kickstarter does not do No. So, like, I think from a whole. Yeah, we, we are, yeah. like, so thankful to everyone who put that stuff, who did all that stuff. Who did all that stuff, who donated money to Idle Thumbs. Yeah. Um, like, thanks, Tim Schaefer. And also <laughs> thanks to Schaefer at Double Fine and Two Player Productions. And thanks, for, Ron Gilbert, for tweeting about it. And thanks, Ron Gilbert, for yeah, tweeting about actually, it. actually, that's how a lot of people found out yeah, about it. Um, it's, Ron Gilbert. it's, uh, yeah. Um, Anyway, Kickstarter campaign has been very weird. We it's great that we finally have all the rewards. We forgot to bring the stickers to show people, but um, they're sitting in my oh, car. I'm sure my laptop here. I have one on my laptop. Yeah. They're really Chen, nice. They're awesome. Robert Chen says, "Please discuss your opinions on the snowball effect. Well, winning makes it easier to win, uh, particularly in competitive multiplayer games. Oh, Dota. For example, in getting more in-game money in Counter Strike, levels of point damage in Dota are around the PvP equipment and abilities in Battlefield 3 Call of Duty." Traditional competitive games and sports don't have this. You don't get double points after winning around your tennis. Your work doesn't get the ability to move in corrections after capturing more pieces in chess. My opinion is that this effect is detrimental to longevity and spec- 
spectator ability of the game. The more drastic the snowballing, the more detriment. The most, ex um, the most exciting moments of the game are a big turnaround, which snowballing makes difficult. It would be tough to see game moments like Justin vs. Big Up in Evo 2004 uh, if fighting games did this. There's always tension when a current winner can be knocked off at any time. So yes, yeah, yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, I, the thing is, and something that you, I mean, you were actually at the international. You yeah. saw them like GG quit in like eighteen minutes in when it was that Navi versus that first Navi versus uh, Invictus. Invictus fight, yeah. and that's something I don't know because I think it's a nice balance. I like that. I like that sometimes with these fifteen minute stomp fests, you're like, holy fuck, because it's a tiered system. It's best of five. You're like, yeah. what are they going to do? How are they going to come back from this? It's sort of like. Um, it's funny. Well, like, I think basketball's kind of like that, just because of the nature of it. Like people just get so far ahead, you're like, they're never, they're not. You know, basketball is a really good example. So basketball is this best of five, best of seven series when you get to the playoffs, and it's sort of it's the larger narrative of that best of series that I think is the thing that's so taught versus just the flow of one game. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I Which think I think is one same, round. Yeah. It's the same with esports for sure. There's so much metagame stuff that like in between because they're you know again also unlike traditional sports or board games. You know, the bajillion different characters you can be playing, or like mm -hmm. a million units you can build in StarCraft. Like, I mean, there's so many lords in, in yeah. there. I mean, th that means that there are so many weird variables that come up, and then between games, the teams have to confer about those things and be like, well, we weren't expecting that strategy, or like, they did exactly what we were expecting, or whatever. Right. And there's all that meta element that's not just based on like play style purely, it's also based on like weird variable choices right. that come up. And then when you play a game two, all the, all the like, Growing things reset and you start from scratch again, but with all that meta knowledge that you have from the previous. Someone in the in the chat points out, and this is uh, a weird point. Says other sports do have it. If you keep scoring in football, it gets tired exactly. from not having a break That's and gets scored on more, etc. So that does yeah. the fact that there are human beings with limited amounts of yeah. endurance it's means just that the balance. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's not formalizing the rules, but that is that's interesting. But the thing is, is like I would say the snowball effect doesn't make it, it when it makes it impossible. They usually like they they concede. Yeah. But there is, it's not this like instantly impossible, it becomes scaling to impossible to come back. The thing that I hate about it actually is only in pickup games. When I'm on a team with a bunch of dummies, and everybody <laughs> like, and you know, and we instantly, we go down 10 to nothing, and it's just not gonna happen. Yeah. The idea, like, and I, I can't even think of this in. Um, but in Dota especially, I wish you could just do a GG vote. So it's right. not it's not an abandon. Your whole team can be like, are we GGing it? Like, good can, gaming. Can is? people do that in competitive Dota too? Like in pro Dota? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you saw that, right? Of, yeah, that's yeah, you saw that in pro. Product. I mean, you yeah. saw in okay, right. yeah, Navi yeah. like quit, you know, <clears throat> because there was just they were. Oh right, remember that? Yeah, yeah. 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 And that is an interesting thing about esports that is not the case in traditional sports where there's like a quarter or like a time limit or I mean tennis, I guess, does not have that, but like. Game just formalized resignation. For, for right. The yeah, equivalent is like putting in it, putting in the scrubs. It's like you're just gonna put in like right. Yeah, right, right. that's the equivalent. Yeah. 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 Uh, good question though. Yeah, what's something? Gosh. J D. Cohen says memorable experiences of live music. Well, put the dumb one. What's the best concert you've been to? Well, um, I mentioned that Doctor Tom is. Yeah. yeah, I have two. Like this best concert, I have a different scale. Like one. Radiohead, Hollywood Bowl, had really awesome seats. So what year was that? Awesome. Uh, right before I went to San Francisco, my last day. LA, what year is it now? 2007, 2008? It was I'm right when Rainbow came out. I was probably at that same show. That's hilarious. It had the columns, was, with the lights going through the columns. Yeah. yeah. So good. That was hilarious. That's funny. One of my favorite shows was I saw, I saw Radiohead at Shoreline Amphitheater when Amnesiac came out, I think. 
And it's the only like stadium concert yeah. show that I've actually enjoyed ever. Same here. But I don't I even like the thing is I'm not, a, I'm not really yeah, a big same. Radiohead fan. Yeah. But I but I can't stand stadium shows. So it means I like at this point don't really go out of my way to see Radiohead anymore, even though that was a good experience. Yeah. Like, I just going to a big arena is so exhausting to me. I love small like well, the Hollywood Bowl's a nice mix. Too. Yeah, it's, it's like I was it's outside. It's kind of, but yeah, yeah. Um, one of the reasons I love uh, um, Dr. Dog so much, I've seen them live like half a dozen times probably. And there's, well, I don't know if this is still the case right now, but for years, um, whenever I would see Dr. Dog, it was always at a very small venue because they were big enough that they could tour nationally, but not big enough that they would play in like a huge arena or anything. Right. So I would always get to go see them in a club or something. And that's what I love. That's and I've seen them so many times because of that, because I know they're old, they're, they're just a fantastic live band. Perfect. Um, and then, uh, just to tie this in with that previous question, mm-hmm. I guess, the other band I mentioned being the Flaming Lips, um, I have a buddy who uh, plays with the friend Flaming Lips when they tour, and he got me into a, uh, a show in, in San Francisco a couple months ago at uh, Windows 365 Club, and it was awesome being able to see the Flaming Lips again in a really small kind of club venue when they're a band that doesn't need to do that very much anymore. Right. And like, that was a really cool thing. Um, so I, I basically just like seeing small, small venue shows. Yeah. Yep. So actually, the best show I've seen in the past two years, um, two. One is uh, a now defunct Tom Petty cover band called Petty Party. But another one that you can check out in Seattle, they're like, I think they've only been around for like a year and a half now, is a band called Pickwick. They just played Harley Strictly Bluegrass. And they, their live show is like nine people on stage and it's a really exciting, sort of energetic. It's one of the best live shows I've seen. Those are the two things. I'll say, like Radiohead on one side, and it's like huge, and then this band Pickwick mm-hmm. uh, from Seattle. All right. Yeah. If you're in the if you're in Seattle, um, check on. Awesome. Is it Subs S U B D E S from the forums? From the forums says first gaming experiences at home at a friend's house at the arcade. Follow up question: Did you participate in the console wars and later discover you were wrong? You fucked the wrong side. Uh, I wasn't wrong. I was, we, we were a Nintendo family. Yeah, Although, my first gaming experience, yeah, my first gaming experience was, uh, a Sega Master System that my uncle bought me and I played the light gun game, like, obsessively when I was a little kid. When my I was a tiny kid. My first gaming experience, I think it's weird. My dad had some friend of his from college who collected and restored arcade games, and this was in the early 80s, where arcade games were not super old already, but I remember going to my dad's friend's house, and in his garage he had an arcade game, and I was very confused by it, and I enjoyed it. That's all. After that, it was probably some sort of Big Bird game. Did Variation stop recording? Yeah. Did we run out of space or we something? We ran out of space, I think, on our drive. Okay. So, get the, so there's going to be a hilarious middle section. Yep. <laughs> it's just going to go into space. I mean, well, let's cut it down. People listening at home, I'm sorry. Sorry for what you've just been hearing, in fact. So, yeah, too late now. What's the next after uh, My first was oh. SimCity, probably, which I played on, on an Apple II in my school library. So. What are you doing, buddy? I uh, don't know what happened right. over there. Next up is <laughs> Rick Fleischer, who says Organ Trail and how rad it would be to have a modern version. Well, we ended up talking about Organ Trail on the podcast so like last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh. And I don't even really want a modern version of the Organ Trail, I but really I do want do. more games like the Organ yeah, Trail. I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, Chris Van Grass says. Your views on the classic gaming Kickstarter revivals, for example, Double Fine Adventure, Xenonauts, Wasteland 2, the Sierra games, Tex Murphy, etc., and any memories of the games that inspired these Kickstarters. Can I be honest? Yeah. I'm really kind of not, not on the train. Uh-huh. Like, I'm, I'm definitely going to play the Double Fine Adventure game. 
but like I'm not like finally all these games are coming back. Well, it's the Double not... Fine Adventure one is different than most of these others in that it's not a direct sequel or reboot of right. a thing like Wasteland Two, Tex Murphy. Well, like it's, but it's a like... spiritual successor to a style of game. Like there are probably choices being made in that game that are f- firmly rooted in heritage. Sure, I don't think right. it's going to be more that way than like a Telltale game or anything though. I mean, I like. It's an adventure game. I mm-hmm. mean, it's an adventure game by Double Fine is what it is. Like, I think it says a lot that the name of the Kickstarter was Double Fine Adventure, not right. Old School Adventure. Yep, yep, yep. I totally hear you. Yeah, I don't know. It, it doesn't excite me because it's like, great, awesome. I, even if, if the games are good, cool. But, like, I just want more good games. Yeah, I want I, games I, I that are, like, exciting and and interesting and unexpected. Mm-hmm. And Agreed. the unexpected thing is the thing that's just not I think a part of any of those. Things, except to, Double Fine Adventures. You, you have to think of a lot of these things as almost novelty projects. It's, but yeah. but it's not though. These are like this is this is a movement in the industry. This is like a legit thing. This is going to employ hundreds of people. Sure, but I don't you think know? it's I don't think it's sustainable, and I don't think it's going to repeat. I think this is 2012, 2013 is the year of crowdsourcing sequels to weird 80s and 90s things that have uh, a rabid fan base that just wants one more go for sure i'm just not super i'm not like part of the rabid fan i'm not that's not me there's a yeah it's i know it's not really in your personality plus nothing has come up that hits a one that you'd want i mean i'm sure there's someone somewhere that would make you excited the wave race reboot (laughs) wave race 64 reboot that's where we're at if a Kickstarter video showed up that just had a dude with a huge mustache being like, I created Super Black Bass and I'm bringing it back, you would, 50 bucks gone. 50? At least. 50,000. Like, probably, honestly, I would probably give that man $250. If the video just started with the Bass Invest and then the guy turned around and looked just like the guy. Said, Hi, I'm Hank Bassin. <laughs> Hank Bassin, creator of Super Black Bass. Crown this for you. Ace programmer. <laughs> And Bass Fisher. Yeah. It's ace programmer and three-time national. Um, <sighs> Rihanna Pratchett says the positives and pitfalls of games narrative. There are many of each. That's a large question. Pratfalls? Positives uh, and pitfalls. Positives and pitfalls. Pitfalls from Pratchett. <clears throat> I mean, I think, I think the – to me, this is obviously – there's exceptions to this and it's like not a hard rule or anything. But like for me, generally speaking – the less explicit the narrative is, the, for me, the better, like, in a game. Like, I mean, the... I, oh, so I'm, you're really into Telltale's The Walking Dead. <laughs> <laughs> you know I like the game a lot. No, but, kidding. like, again, generally speaking, like, the type of stuff that I generally no, I respond to, the more of the narrative that can just be kind of in there, buried somewhere. Not buried in, like, a book that you physically pick up in the game and read and there's a million pages. But, like, the more that stuff can just be embedded in the world and less just overt in a cutscene or in, like, a big dialogue tree or whatever. The, that's... I don't. I think you can do great stuff either way in games. Obviously, I mean, I love Full Throttle and Grim Fandango, and those are games with the narratives right up front. Like that's fine. Um, but I think in general, games are better suited towards the other yeah, angle. Yeah. The biggest one is just lack of subtlety. Oh, yeah. Treat your treat your player like they're emotionally emotionally intelligent human beings. Yeah. And that's it. That's all I would say. Yep. Do you think? Do I really? Take a big pen to your script. Just cut it out. You know, I think that's editing and emotional stuff. I think people think about narrative in games. Well, it's a problem that games have across the board, but I think in the context of narrative, it's completely suicidal is when you start thinking, what would a gamer want? Instead of what would a human being yeah, want? Right. You're exactly. fucked forever. Yep, you're yep. fucked. You're done. <laughs> like just, I mean, thinking about that mechanically is also bad, but like there's enough sort of 
safety nets around just there's I feel like does a mechanic feel good has just there's objective truths behind that to to a certain degree or at least there's directions you can very cleanly and mechanically strive yeah whereas narratively you can just kill yourself in three seconds because there's absolutely like no language within games to sponsor or just to sort of fact check yourself against I guess but man how would a gamer react to this they would skip it how would a human (laughs) being react to it well if they would skip it oh man do you hear that that's the the big super plane that carries all the other little planes oh crazy yeah that's why the floor rumbled Uh, someone in chat points out this this is a good thing to point out uh, 2D says, in that sense, Chris will like Dark Souls if he picks up on the unspoken story intertwined through the game. So yeah, I haven't played very much Dark Souls, but you could say the same thing about Demon Souls, which I'd played a lot of, and that's totally true. Like mm-hmm. they've got a great, the amount of subtlety and restraint that those guys exhibited in Demon Souls, and I assume Dark Souls as well, is really impressive. And like there's just great tone, great vibe. Like it's really, really cool. Uh, okay. Yeah. Thanks, for, uh, thanks, Rihanna. Yeah. yeah. Mark Roberts says Oasis, parentheses, the British band. I don't really know Oasis. I, yeah, I haven't There was this ever. girl named Jessica who's on my floor uh, in Burncrant dorms at USC, mm-hmm. freshman year, and she was obsessed with Oasis. And we used to sit in her room and listen to these hilarious interviews with Oasis where the, the um, Gallagher brothers would start screaming at each other in the middle of it. Like somebody would ask an incendiary like a question and then clearly rub them the wrong way and they would just get in these massive fights and the interview would be over. We used to listen to a lot of those interviews. Anyway. Huh. Wonderwall. <laughs> Hell of a song. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's <laughs> like the Oasis song that I know, basically. Yeah. And last question. Oh my gosh. Holy crap. Zach Johnson says Zach J- Jick? I Jick so. Johnson? He's just listed as Zach Johnson here, so I can't confirm. But not on the it could be a different uh-huh. Zach Johnson. Uh-huh. It depends. You can you could list whatever you want on the wall. Um, the wall? He says the Binding of Isaac seems greater than the sum of its parts. Why is it so good? This is another thing I feel like we've actually addressed on the podcast a fair amount by this point. But um, yeah, where was your time machine, Zach? <laughs> yeah, to go forward and listen to all those new idle thumbs. We would be episodes. talking about that. Why didn't you already is, I mean, experience when we had drinks and stuff with you and talked about this already? <laughs> anyway, Rune Asha... No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it is so good, though. That game is so good. It I mean, is really good. Gosh. It just focuses on all the right things, and it's different. It seems greater than some of its parts is an interesting way to, talk about, to describe that it game. Is, yeah. Well, I think like, it's oh. because having a bunch of, like... Okay, so for me, a really direct answer to that, it just this is not, like, the main thing that's good about this game, but... Having a bunch of like poo and shit all over your game <laughs> is not a thing that I would ordinarily think is great, right? Like a lot of games have just really fucking gross, stupid shit in them just because they do, right? Just for like no apparent reason that I can determine. Whereas uh, Binding of Isaac, it feels it definitely feels like part of the whole thing. Well, I also think that part of it with the Binding of Isaac, it because the game has this weird sort of because it has the poo aesthetic, but also <laughs> because it has the poo but, aesthetic, um, you know, because. All of the different items are sort of specific and deliberately insane and deliberately jarring. You notice the disparate elements of the design more. Like That's you notice true. the passive equips because they're called weird things like mom's bra, or be- you notice yeah. that you're, you notice the specific like weird medicine that your guy takes. You notice the way that this enemy Instead looks. Instead of just damage plus two, right? Whereas whatever. if if you took the exact game that is the Binding of Isaac and all of its mechanics and washed over it, where everything was cloak of healing plus one and yeah. was like fantastical dragon guy. Um, I, 
I, do, I think the game would feel more coherent in that way. Like Tokyo Jungle is another example to me of just like the if someone made a more aesthetically and sort of like tonally cohesive version of those exact same mechanics, like basically just a reskin and a copy editing pass over that game, yeah, it it would not. You wouldn't notice that stuff as much, but right now I'm a deer wearing boots and a Groucho Marx mask who eats pet medicine the same way that in The Binding of Isaac, you know, whatever, you're a kid with a coat hanger sticking out of his head. Yeah, well, and the thing that I love, for example, so much about, like, Costume Quest, which is a double fine game, um, again, similarly, you could take that exact game with those mechanics, which are kind of like, you know, they're kind of a very stripped down implementation of traditional JRPG combat mechanics. If you just put that in a very traditional kind of fantasy game aesthetic or sci-fi game aesthetic, it would not be a super interesting game, but the fact that it's a bunch of kids having this crazy Halloween adventure and like saying what I think are really, really well pitched little mm-hmm. kid outbursts makes that game like magical. Like it's great. Like I, lo- I love the experience of playing that game, and a lot of it is just because the theme is so well executed. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, I-, I was talking about Binding of Isaac in a sort of negative way, like saying that it's jarring, but I think the fact that the when you hit all these new things, they are these really specific, weird, jarring things. Is a ton of the appeal of that game, and it also helps. It helps you pay really close attention to when you encounter a new thing, because instead of it just saying "orc mask" or whatever right. the fuck, yeah. it says a crazy, crazy thing, so that you go, "Okay, whoa, this is totally new." And you sort of, and it's also really impenetrable narratively. Mm-hmm. You can't infer from it what it is until you use it, like so that it promotes no, really it promotes point. you experimenting with all the weird things that it no, has. That's true. Really yeah. good point. Um, and I think that's it's cool. It makes it feel like it is all these weird disparate pieces, but I think that becomes part of the experience. No, I completely agree. So, in conclusion, Binding of Eyes, it's good because of that poo aesthetic. Because of that poo, that yeah, poo that aesthetic. Poo. That poo aesthetic. Yeah. Um, Speaking of poo, thank you. For hanging out with us <laughs> and for and helping us ruin this cast, yeah. Um, some would some would describe it in oh I see what I if I were you I would press. We're gonna start there and no, then we go there. Ours. But I do want to say, guys, seriously, thank you so so much. Stuff is coming to you guys, and you're the best. And looking at the chat during this whole thing, like nobody like craps on each other. There's no like yeah, it was really good. Like nobody's just in there hating. Like yeah, you guys are honestly the best community on the fucking planet. We, yep, pretty I don't great. Know what we did, but. It's Thank you for good. being cool. <laughs> More importantly, R is the key you're looking work? for. Oh, R. Thanks for the help. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. All right, we're done. Thanks, everyone. Guys, we did it. Uh, Woo! Right. Yeah. Good job, us. All right. Uh, so thanks for listening to the Ruination cast. Uh, JP LeBreton craps on everyone. No. That was a five-hour cast. Gross. Uh, thanks, guys, so much. Okay, podcast. Video game.